You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to week four of the greatest month in Oz Network history. Uh, At this point, we're probably boarding on the greatest month in human history as well. Uh, Lots of positive feedback out there. (laughs) My nephews are thoroughly enjoying (laughs) the Jurassic World (laughs) podcast that we're doing. But we are here to almost wrap up Jurassic Park, Jurassic World month because we still got a preview episode to come. But this will be the final one of the four movies leading into Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We did Jurassic Park. We did The Lost World. We did Jurassic Park 3. Now we're doing Jurassic World 2015, the 22nd anniversary of Jurassic Park. Boy, they timed this movie perfectly, didn't they? (laughs) And we're going to cover all the good stuff, all the bad stuff here, and talk a lot about how, as we've set up for several weeks, this movie probably doesn't hold up as well as uh, we thought it would have three years down the road. My name is Colin, and I was in the Navy, not the Navajo. Fucking hell, you stole, like, the one of two quotes, and that was the one that I was going to use. Um, <laughs> my name is Ben, and you want to consult here or in my bungalow? Um, neither, just for the record. <laughs> and we've quoted the entire movie of Jurassic World. There we go. <laughs> Along with some lewd gestures from Chris Pratt, uh, yes. that may or may not be sexist. Oh, the We're very sexist scene. The <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to be half of our episode, because, I don't know, I feel like there's not as much going on in this movie as it felt like there was in 2015. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, there's so much controversy that came with this in 2015 that I feel like has mellowed out over the years. That's probably going to be more of a discussion than anything else. But this is like, what, 14 years removed from Jurassic Park 3. Um, it's reintroducing it to a new audience. It's uh, uh, or reintroducing it to the original audience, introducing the movie to a new audience. So I guess they had a difficult task ahead of them. And uh, preceding this, it was the uh, 3D re-release of Jurassic Park. So before we even get into Jurassic World, because uh, at the point that this movie was starting to get developed, Jurassic Park 3D was coming out. Um, We'll talk about Jurassic World in a second, but tell me about your experiences of seeing Jurassic Park 3D in the theater. Uh, was that something you ever thought you'd be able to see, and uh, how did you enjoy it? Was it was it any good in 3D, or did you have a 3D in Hobart? Um, well, we didn't. We weren't going to get this movie. We weren't going to get Jurassic Park in 3D because, um, I mean, it was all sort of you know being released, and I remember seeing all the marketing around it, and then kind of when it, you know there wasn't really a set release date in Australia, and I remember. The, the distributor, uh, Roadshow, Village Roadshow, the cinemas, like in Hobart was Village Cinemas, and, you know, there was, there was a few sort of release details for Melbourne, and yet we didn't get anything for Hobart. So I remember I, like, posted something on their Facebook wall, and I'm like, hey, what's the deal? Are we going to get in Hobart? And they're all like, oh, no, it's only limited release. We're only going to be releasing it in, like, you know, Melbourne and Sydney. And, that. and I just, I don't know what I wrote back. I'm like, you know, this is ridiculous. We're huge fans down here in Hobart. We want to see the movie. Um, and probably, like, about three or four days later, I get, like, a message from the Village Roadshow account saying, like, Hey, Ben, we've talked to our distributor and we're seeing if there might be interest to have one screening in Hobart. We'll let you know. Um, so, long story short, they ended up having one screening of it in Hobart. And it was actually quite packed. Like, it was pretty full. Um, so, yay, I did something for Hobart. I got Jurassic Park 3D there. Um, but I mean, it, it, it was okay in 3D. I mean, it wasn't kind of one of these ones that really stood out of its, you know, skin. It's like, wow, this needs to be in 3D. It was just any excuse to see it on the big screen. And 
I remember I, they released yeah. it on Blu-ray, uh, on 3D and I bought the, you know, that was the first time I actually had Jurassic Park on Blu-ray and it was the 3D version and watching it in 3D cause I had 3D TV. It was, you know, about the same. It, it wasn't, you know, it was like the only other ones I think I've ever gone and seen in the cinemas that were like re-releases. I saw Phantom Menace in 3D and Titanic in 3D and you know, they're just kind of there. Like it's cool to see it in 3D, but it's, it's nothing groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. That is interesting that you actually pretty much are solely responsible for one showing in Hobart. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, here it was released like wide. So, um, although I, I do think there was only one screen because it was an IMAX one. So the only full IMAX screen we had here is what it was showing on. But I mean, I was, uh, it did well. Like, I think it opened, uh, maybe we'll look at the box office uh, uh, as I'm. Um, telling this story here but uh i remember it, it it opened maybe in like the top three or something like that but um when i went it was like opening night and i swear there was maybe about 25 people there like it was <laughs> not what i expected for the big 3d release of you know the the greatest movie of that generation but uh i kind of had the same reaction i mean i i don't remember anything about it in 3d i just remember it was so cool to see it in three to, in the theaters again. Yeah. But when I got it on uh, Blu-ray, I mean, I didn't buy the 3D Blu-ray. My nephews bought it. So they brought it over right before Jurassic World came out. They brought it over to my house. And uh, I think it was like the day before the movie came out, we watched it. And I thought it was better on TV. Like most movies are, it's probably slightly better on TV than it is in the theaters. I don't know why that is. Uh, but that's kind of what they did for the 20th anniversary. And in a way, I think that the success of uh, Jurassic World probably has a lot to do with that because the weird thing is we, we talked about the 14-year gap between Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic World. That's actually quite big, and especially for a franchise that was slowly trending down, uh, even though both The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, you know, they were huge movies, and we mentioned on the last two episodes, both movies had, like, zero expectations and end up way exceeding expectations for box office. But it wasn't like either movie blew people away, and in the 14 years that passed, you know, maybe Jurassic Park's reputation improved a little, but the franchise wasn't like people were dying for a fourth part. You know, they tried to make it for years. And I never remember one point in the probably 13 years uh, leading up to when they officially announced Jurassic World. I don't remember one point where people were really desperate for this movie. It wasn't like a Star Wars or anything else. Hmm. So Jurassic Park 3D coming out probably got people's interest the same way as when they did the the Star Wars um uh, well, the first, the THX release they did in the mid-90s, and then the special editions after that, you know, just to get people interested again. But it, we'll, we'll cover a little bit about the other plots leading up to this, because this was a movie that was completely in development, like, not even just on and off. Like, this was fully in development for 14 years before it came out, and Joe Johnston was signed on for 10 or 12 of those years. I think he was signed on all the way up until they hired Colin Trevorrow. Um Several plots that went around for this, uh, the first one being that it was going to be uh, the dinosaurs off the island that they have left and they've made it to the mainland. Uh, there was one that was about the dinosaurs breeding out of control. And then, of course, the famous one, which everybody thought for years was just this ridiculous rumor, is that there was going to be a dinosaur-human hybrid carrying a gun. And then we got the artwork for that. Um, <laughs> so... As somebody who is a big Jurassic Park fan, and probably along with me, one of the few people who would have been happy no matter what they released, regardless of whether it contained a human-dinosaur hybrid. I mean, how closely did you follow the development of this movie before it came out? I mean, there were lots of, you know, that I did read and sort of, you know, I remember kind of, 
I think it was around like the 2004, 2005 mark when it was really close. And like, this is, I think when you mentioned about Kira Knightley, um, you know, there was just, there was a, there was a period where essentially they had all but announced it and said, this is happening. Um, and I think kind of at that point I was like really starting to check on things and, you know, like you, it's one of those things that you check on every couple of months, like how's it going? How's it going? And then it just kind of just disappeared. Um, and like, again, as, as such a big fan of it, I'm, I'm really glad that we didn't get half of these things that we got. I mean, some, you know, sounded interesting, you know, I think like Sam Neill had said he'd all but signed on. Um, you know, I think even Richard Attenborough at one point said he was going to be coming back as well. So, I mean, you know, there were little bits, hints here and there that was kind of like, wow, this is going to be great. Um, but yeah, when you start hearing about the hybrids and, you know, you first think that like, oh, that sounds dumb. And then when you actually see the artwork and you're like, oh my God, we dodged a huge bullet there. Um, and I think there was even like something about, um, using Dilophosaurus as drug hunting dinosaurs or something like that. Like Mm. there was just random stories and everything that came out of what we nearly got. Um, so yeah, I mean, I followed it fairly closely, but then it just kind of disappeared. I remember hearing about this. And thinking again, like, oh, you know, we've been doing this for the last 10 years. This is not going to happen. Um, and then when they finally, I think, they announced that they released the poster and the logo, that was kind of like, oh, this is actually happening. Um, and, like, you know, part of you, of course, is very excited. But at the same time, this was kind of, you know, in a period where, you know, we'd had so many reboots and reimaginings and this, that, and everything else. I mean, it's kind of like when you first heard that Disney bought out Star Wars and you're going to get new sequels. You're excited. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, this is great. But at the same time, you're like, well, what's going to happen here? Like, this has been a long time and, you know, you just, you don't know how to feel. And I remember thinking that with Jurassic World, like, like, I'm excited. Great. We're going to get another movie, but like, it's been so long. Like, you know, what are we going to get? And, you know, you're also always scared that you hear the words just like reboot and this is going to completely steer away from the original trilogy, which I guess we'll talk about mm-hmm. in this. But yeah, I mean, you know, we got it. It took a while, but, um, yeah, I, I think we definitely dodged a bullet with some of the stories we had in the 2000s about what this movie could have been about. I just wanted to be noted for all the fanboys out there who say, Oh, Jurassic Park's all downhill since Steven Spielberg left. Spielberg is still the most involved person in this <laughs> franchise, like even up to Jurassic World. And all of those crazy stories, uh, if you read up on it and you you know hear interviews with the directors like Joe Johnston, uh, all the different screenwriters who have signed on to it over the years, they will all say Spielberg had this idea for a dinosaur-human <laughs> hybrid. All this crazy stuff comes from Spielberg. You know, people who criticize Jurassic Park 3, that was Spielberg's story. That was his first writing contribution. So I don't know if – I'm not down on – I mean I've talked about in our you know reviews of like the post and everything and even my one of Ready Player One that I don't really think that Spielberg's had like a really great movie in probably 15 years, maybe since Minority Report and Cash Movie Can. But you know, obviously he brought something to the first two movies as a director, but like creatively – I'm I'm not a Spielberg purist because clearly he's maybe part of the problem we've had with the franchise over the years. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I was having this discussion with Mallory last night after watching the film and, you know, talking about kind of comparing all these. And we'll talk a lot about that with this, you know, film and kind of its connection to the originals and then kind of, you know, setting up a new sort of version for this, you know, for today's generation. But, you know, I think kind of a lot of what I like about the first two films and, you know, the fact that they're so connected is is the Spielberg influence there in terms of the fact that he directed mm-hmm. them. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, every single one of these movies he's been involved with, you know, one of how many people that's basically the only one has been involved in all four of these films. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. But at the same time, I also respect Steven Spielberg that he kind of still 
he thinks enough of this franchise that he still wants to remain oh, yeah. involved. You know, it's kind of, that's one thing that I've got to look at him and say, well, like, hey, that's great. Good on you, Stephen. You haven't just walked away and taken Disney's money and sold off. Uh, hello, George <laughs> Lucas. Um, but no, I like George Lucas. That was mean. I don't mean to be taking a dig at George Lucas, but yeah. Yeah. And for the record, Jurassic Park 3D did $45 million uh, domestically. I don't know what the worldwide total was. That's more than two, right? Uh, I, I'm going to say the world the, it is, and this is a re-release. I'm going to say the worldwide total was 45 million and I don't know 500, uh, thanks to that special Hobart screening arranged by Ben Waterworth. I, I gave so an extra 500 dollars to Universal. You're welcome. Uh, I expect free entry yeah. to Universal Studios. <laughs> but it, it's also funny just uh, before we get into Jurassic World, just the the whole 3D craze and how re-releasing movies. You know, it worked really well with. Um, uh, oh, what was the the first big one to do it? Not Titanic. Um, Top Gun. Top, well, no, Top Gun did like one week showing. Was but Phantom Menace James before Titanic? Or? Uh, Phantom Menace re-release. Um, no, it was. Yeah. Uh, Titanic came out on the 20th anniversary. No, not the 20th. Was it the 15th the anniversary? anniversary so of the actual boat sinking 2012. Yeah. 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 So 2012. I think Phantom Menace was 2011, if I remember right, because mm. it was before the rights were sold to Disney. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park was 2013. So, but the, I think the trend uh, maybe started with like the Disney movies. Lion King was probably, I guess, the first one. Beauty and the Beast fall that Disney eventually canceled the 3D release of uh, Little Mermaid, I think, that was supposed Aww. to be following that. They did the Toy Stories in 3D, which did well. But you look at like the trend here, and I, I, it's still a decent amount of money. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to convert something to 3D, but Phantom Menace 3D made $43 million. Jurassic Park 3D made $45 million. Uh, there's some money in it, even when the movies aren't huge. Because like, you know, Jurassic Park, well, I think Phantom Menace opened like top three at the box office. Jurassic Park was top four. So I kind of wish they would do that because even though neither of those movies, like you said, really had a huge impact in 3D, I kind of like to see these movies in theaters again. Uh, and I think it definitely did help lead into Jurassic World. Yeah. But that's, and that's just Jurassic interrupt. World, like to me, that's, that's a thing for me when I see them doing these re-releases. I'm not necessarily mad about seeing them in 3D. It's, it's more of a case that they're back in theaters. You know, I mean, I remember yeah, exactly. like Titanic, for example, when the three, like, you know, we're <laughs> not getting into me being a fan of that, but like I never saw titanic on the big screen when it was released so to me that was kind of like the first time i got to see it um and then you know phantom man it's like it's a star wars movie you know you're always going to go and see it so um it's it's more of a case of that and i i you know we'll mention this again i think i mentioned it last week and kind of you know when we do the preview episode but the cinema here like a week before fallen kingdom comes out has announced that they're going to be showing the original jurassic park for 10 bucks so of course i'm going to go see Uh. it again so you know i've already got my tickets to see the original on the big screen a week before fallen kingdom comes out so any excuse to see these movies um and that was like i remember in the 90s you mentioned about when they re-released the star wars movies and those special editions you know i obviously mm-hmm. we were way too young to see the originals in the cinemas so like i i think i only saw empire and the re-release i didn't see the other two but um yeah and like you've mentioned plenty of times before about the james bond films you know kind of coming back into the cinemas like it's just it's just that excuse to see these films that you love on the big screen and the strategy of using it to I guess, increase the profile of a franchise that maybe wasn't uh, as much in the public eye anymore. Because I can't explain how else Jurassic World made the amount of money it made, mm. too. Uh, it's not like the 3D craze was big anymore. It's not like the movie looked particularly different or interesting. I mean, we'd seen everything at this point. You know, you've got, like, Pacific Rims and Godzillas and all those things out there. 
Uh, and then this comes out and it's like, well, it's just another dinosaur. And the movie kind of plays up on that, which is uh, interesting. And but I think, too, uh, just again, to interrupt you again, I think a lot of it, too, you know, in that period is that, you know, things like Twitter and Facebook and, you know, the, the whole meme generation kind of there, too, because... I think the original Jurassic Park got a huge meme treatment for some period there, and it still is, you know, like, we mm-hmm. joked a lot about that during the first one, and all of a sudden you've got, it's a Unix system, and like, clever girl, <laughs> and just like these random little things, like you and I just mentioned, like, there's not really a lot of one-liners in, in Jurassic World, whereas in Jurassic Park, there's a lot of lines which, at the time, would not have been like the most quoted movie lines of all time, you know, they're yeah. not up there with these historic lines, but nowadays, you know, clever girl, it's a Unix, little things like that, and, you know, Goldblum, you know, breathing shirtless on his side like little <laughs> things like that just took over as these weird memes uh that you know i think kind of also boosted the popularity and you, you get a lot of that too with kind of this nostalginess which this movie relies so much on and my god do you pick up uh, so much of the, you know, the fact that this movie mm-hmm. lives on nostalgia more than a story so yeah. yeah it's it's kind of i think a lot of that leads up to that and then ultimately as we're going to talk about in this is that we are in this era of nostalgia selling stuff more so than original ideas which this movie suffers a lot from if you're really going to pick it apart I think what was most interesting for me with the lead up to Jurassic World is that, I mean, I don't remember at any point being like Jurassic World's coming up because, again, it was in development for all those years. And I said it a couple minutes ago, if, you know, the version had come out with the dinosaur hybrids and, you know, the one any of the Joe Johnson versions or the Kira Knightley one or any of those, I would have been just as happy to see it. I mean, hmm. in a way, it doesn't matter to me what Jurassic Park is. It's just, there's a Jurassic Park movie coming out. I'm going to see it. And I think I even mentioned that with Jurassic Park 3. I mean, it's not like you even knew what the story was about. But what I do remember was just getting more excited about this and and that that difference of this movie coming out just at the right time where you had new young fans getting into it and you had the people where this is now nostalgia, this is our childhood. If you'd released the movie five years earlier, I don't think that there is that same nostalgia. Uh, But for me, it was, you know... uh, my nephews getting into dinosaurs and then the one nephew who uh, loves Eddie Carr, as I mentioned, uh, he's <laughs> like, I, he basically, like this one nephew, he basically is uh, Tim or Eric or uh, which one is the, the younger kid in this one. Oh, no, he is that. don't kid. compare him to the kids in this movie, please. We'll, we'll stick with Eric and Tim, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but he, he knows like everything. I mean, a kid who just, can name every dinosaur on the planet, knows every fact, and uh, his babysitters used to get annoyed because, you know, um, my sister and her husband would come home and be like, it's like he was watching the most boring nature documentary on dinosaurs, and it wasn't like something that a three-year-old should be watching. It's just like a BBC documentary, and this is the one I took to the the lecture (laughs) on the Spinosaurus. So them just being into dinosaurs and then me being able to be like, hey, let's watch the Jurassic Park movies. By the time this movie came out, I think that's what was exciting to me is that I was able to be like, I can actually show this to somebody new. And we get completely different reactions out of this movie you know, because they're young and still kind of stupid and um, <laughs> older and wiser <laughs> and have seen better. But um, I really hope they're listening I to this remember- episode again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> genius children. <laughs> But I just remember going to this opening night and, uh, you know, getting the tickets weeks ahead of time and having all of my nephews there and me and Jamie are there. And I think that was the experience for me as I was like, uh, it's not often you get to go to a movie theater and see a movie where you've got kids and adults and they're all there 
because they love Jurassic Park, but like they discovered it 20 years apart. So that's kind of what I remember about when the movie came out. The funny thing is that I don't remember being overly wowed by it. Uh, I remember really enjoying the movie, and I specifically remember one of my nephews turned to me and almost like this, you know, cocky, arrogant expression, what's your favorite Jurassic Park movie now? And I'm like, oh, probably the first one. Uh, and then I'm like, nah, the third, the second, then this, you know? <laughs> but, like, it was just this assumption. It's like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. But yet I went back and saw it a second time. Uh, I think a week later I had uh, a day off, and I'm like, I want to see Jurassic World again. And the funny thing about that is that I, years prior, when I was younger, I would see so many movies multiple, multiple times. I mean, it wasn't unusual for me to see a movie two, three, four times, even if I was just sort of a moderate fan of it. I mentioned Jurassic Park 3 I saw six times. But with this one, this was kind of a, during a period where I think the only movie I had seen more than once in the theater and maybe the you know several years leading up to this was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and I think I saw Tron Legacy a second time just so I could see it in IMAX. But other than that, I wasn't into seeing movies more than once, but yet I felt compelled to go again, maybe just because it, there was something about this movie that did kind of capture like the big scale of like its dinosaurs on a big screen again, and it actually, in a way, made it interesting, even though the movie kind of jokes about that not being interesting. I saw this on opening night, um, and... I, I cannot remember if I saw it two or three times in total, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably the same as you. This is the first time in a while I'd seen a movie more than once at the cinema. Um, but I actually did walk out of this straight away going, well, that's the best sequel they've done to Jurassic Park. Um, which I think kind of, you know, as I will talk about in this film, like, I think it just, it doesn't, it doesn't say age well. I just think it's not a movie, as we've said, that holds up the more you watch it. I mean, it's, it's not that this is a bad film. It's not that this isn't enjoyable. It just, the more you nitpick about it, you know. But, I, I mean, I, I was wowed just because I think at the time, you know, I just wasn't that high in Lost World at the time. It was kind of when I was just starting to really appreciate it more. And ultimately, you know, Jurassic Park 3, as I know, as you know, my bipolarness with it. So, I did walk out straight away going, wow, that was, like, really good. Um, but again, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, and I've read a lot of articles about this, it, it was the nostalgia factor that you left that cinema going, holy crap, I'm, you know, whatever age I was again when I saw Jurassic Park. And like, wow, like, I just remember how much I was wowed by the first one. And then kind of as, you know, I said, you watch this more and more, you pick apart it and you realize it's not as good. And it really is that nostalgia-ness that really hits you. And I think that that definitely is kind of my feelings with it overall. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I think the first time I saw it, it was in 3D as well. Uh, and the second time I didn't see it in 3D. And this might have been the last movie I've seen in 3D, because it's been a while since I've seen a movie in 3D. Um, so I don't really go out of my way to see it when they're releasing 3D now in 3D. You know, I kind of always just go for the cheaper one. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it really was a case of being wowed. It's, it's, it's not like, I remember when we talked about Spectre, how I kind of, not Spectre, uh, Skyfall. When I walked out of Skyfall, and it's kind of like, I really enjoyed that. I want to see it again. I don't know how I feel. Like, I'm feeling like that was good, mm -hmm. but, you know, I need to see more of it. Like, this was kind of like, wow, that was awesome. Dinosaurs, woo! And then you, like, you see it again. You're like, oh, yeah, dinosaurs, but I didn't notice this this time. And, yeah, you just keep nitpicking it the more and more you watch it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest difference between this and the first one for me. I think that they, they really could be the same movie. The yes. impression you get watching Jurassic Park the first time is just being wowed. Oh, it's dinosaurs. It's amazing. It's so exciting. But there's something about the first one that 
because I think no matter what movie you're watching it, once you get past that initial impression, that 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 first reaction of wow, that's incredible. Any other time you watch it after that, you're forced to only be wowed by whatever substance the movie has. And in the case of a movie like Star Wars or Jurassic Park, you know, you're going to be wowed no matter what. And there's a ton of movies I could think about where I saw it the first time and I'm like, that was incredible. Die Another Day. We joke about that all the time. <laughs> I walked to Die Another Day being like, that may be the best James Bond movie since Honor Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> then you watch it a second time. The, there's no longer the surprise of the excitement of, oh, I'm seeing something so big. You're forced to look at the substance and that's when, you know, you realize it's <laughs> the worst I would movie have isolate that clip just of Colin Hilding uttering in the same sentence die another day that might be the best James Bond movie since on a majesty's secret service no no uh, if that makes our best of I am quitting this show <laughs> but yeah it just it doesn't hold up but yet I still even enjoyed it the second time um, j- let's jump into the movie here because I mentioned that you know, even on the the first three ones that that opening sequence is so important to a Jurassic Park movie. And for a movie that's, I guess, trying to play on the nostalgia, also trying to reboot, it was just really confusing me in a movie that needs to be bigger and better right away and really grab your attention, that we don't have something like the raptor attack on the dock worker in the first one, or the compies, you know, uh, attacking the little girl in the second, or the, uh, the, the, the thing with Eric and the, the um, parasailing in the third one. The opening sequence is an egg hatching. Yes. And I a remember that, that was the egg. first thing. That, two eggs, sorry. Uh, no, no, and of no, course fake. They I mean, it is fake. It looks terribly fake. Yeah, it does. Yeah, And I think that's one of the other problems I have with this movie that maybe look better on a big screen but not so much on a TV is that yes. we're kind of again in this age where people are going back to let's do practical effects, let's do animatronics. Because people know what CGI looks like. And even if CGI can look more realistic or be cheaper or more efficient or whatever, you need to show the audience something that they can't explain. And people know what CGI looks like. This movie has far too much CGI dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Like This probably has the least amount of animatronics we've ever seen. And I don't see any reason why that opening sequence couldn't have been done with animatronics. Maybe it wouldn't have had the same type of like eye blinking. But it, I think it would have been better. But it's just the fact that it's it's just two eggs hatching. And that's the whole opening sequence. I mean, I would have rather, you know, had the two eggs hatching a little bit, maybe have that and then fade away and then you have an opening sequence of something. Um, even if it's a flashback scene, like anything. But the one thing I will say is I kind of like the little transition to the giant footprint and you realize it's just the bird in the, the, the <laughs> sand or the snow or whatever. That's kind of clever. Um, they jump right into the two most interesting characters right away in this movie, oh. don't they? Uh, Gray and why don't I never remember the other guys? Oh, who cares about their names? Little shit one and little shit two. <laughs> uh, I'm actually really curious what his name is because I've been watching the entire movie and I can't remember. Gray and older Gray. Let's just call um <laughs> horny teenage-ish, Gray. I'm gonna say teenageish years and a, a few years Zach. younger. Zach. Zach. Okay. Zach's the older one. So. I'm going to come right out and say I don't hate Grey. I don't love Grey. I don't even really like Grey, but I don't hate Grey. Maybe because Grey is that kid that I kind of was, like just overly obsessed with dinosaurs. Need the uh, but he's he's got his little he's got his little viewfinder thing. Remember those things? Yeah. Did you ever have one? Yeah, I had one. Those of things those. Are- I had a Disney one, I think that like you you changed it and little Disney characters were in it. I I, I just remember watching this again on the big screen in 3D and thinking to myself like 
Man, what I would have given to have a dinosaur viewfinder. <laughs> I'm just point out to the kids listening to this episode. Maybe your nephews are that. That was what we had as Netflix growing up, people. Like yeah, a little exactly. viewfinder. That was Netflix and chill in like the early nineties. All right. <laughs> Mallory had one any- too. Mallory's in the background saying that she's like she's how younger than all of us, but she had one too. So there you go. <laughs> We're not all that old, uh, but yeah, that's big cool and. Gray's kind of like mopey and everything, but you know, mopey just because we found out later his parents are divorcing. Of course, he sh- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, or he's just mopey. He has to go on a vacation with his terrible older brother, uh, who says to his girlfriend as he's leaving, "Sex me some pics." <laughs> That's basically what he's asking. He's like, "I want you to sex me as often as possible." How old uh, is he? Like he's like he looks like he's about. 14 and all he's like staring at these and all these girls that he's like staring to i swear they're like twice his age this blonde girl like like, she looks like she's about 40 (laughs) i mean maybe he has his way with them you know maybe (laughs) but i i there is one part that i like here there there is some good like the writing of this movie is bad i'm not gonna you know i'm not picking on the movie i'm also not gonna cover for it there's some bad writing this but there's also some really funny stuff that I think is maybe funnier than what we've gotten in any other Jurassic Park movie. Like when they're they're talking at the same time, uh, and uh, older brother, I already forgot his name again. What Little is it? Too. Older Zach? Little shit um, too. No, Zach's the uh, oldest. Gray's the Zach. youngest. Okay, old- <laughs> there we go. The older kid, when he's talking with his girlfriend, and she says, love you, and he says, see you later at the same time. <laughs> that part I actually like. Uh, the weird thing for me was that this movie's placed at Christmas for basically no reason whatsoever. Because then leave, they're playing a Christmas carol yes. here. Yes. So they get on the plane, and it's a movie that comes out in the summer. And it always feels weird to me if you're gonna do that. if you're gonna do that. Make sure that Christmas is important to the movie. At no point in this do they ever mention Christmas. Like we don't have a point later on when after they've got the Indominus, you know, clawing their eyes out in the gyrosphere and crushing their phones. They're like this is the worst Christmas ever. Like that would have had to make sense. Why is it Christmas Carol? In the opening sequence of this movie. Uh, the first 15 minutes here, I'm just going to go through a ton of stuff here because it's all very short scenes that really mean nothing. The kids get on the plane. Uh, you realize right away it's kind of subtle, but the parents are already arguing as soon as they're on the plane or whatever. And uh, that's going to come up a little later on, even though it has no relevance to this movie whatsoever, as one of my nephews reminded me of today. Uh, the mom has this line, which was, of course, a big trailer line. If something chases you, run. Uh and then they have the whole last oh so much for last family breakfast. This dad is annoying too. Like now I know where Zach gets it from. <laughs> no wonder his wife wants to divorce him. Um, I want to divorce him. I'm even married to him. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to marry him just to divorce him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to marry you just so I can divorce you. <laughs> We get a couple little facts thrown out here as we start to see Jurassic World or whatever. Uh, the 20,000 people per day or whatever, uh, 14 herbivores, 6 carnivores, which is weird that there's only 20 species in this because I swear that we see more than 20 in this. Uh, we get to see the train. So this movie jumps right into Jurassic World right away, which I think is one of the other things that wowed me because when you see the first Jurassic Park, I mean, it's great for what it is. But as soon as that movie's over, I guarantee every kid is saying – I wish that Jurassic Park, I could actually see it as a park. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's not the movie, like you want to go to Jurassic Park. 
And that was the smartest thing they did with this movie. It's like, let's show people this as a theme park. And I love all the opening shots, and especially the music that plays here, which is the, the new theme, I guess, which I hope they bring back because I'm not like a, a massive, massive fan of the score, but I did listen to it pretty much nonstop for about two weeks straight. And this track that plays here is incredible. Um, I, I like the, the cool little see-through train thing they have. Uh, going through the gates, you know, that the, the, it's a completely different look than the original gates, but they still have to have that iconic gates. And then that one shot that just goes on forever is it's like zooming through the park. Like that's, that's what I wanted to see as a kid. That's what, you know, was so important to me, uh, where I'm like, if you're going to make a sequel like this, you have to, you have to show us the, I want to see the scale of this. This is what everybody wanted. Uh, they introduced the ant here, which I've already forgotten her name. What's her name? Claire? Claire. Uh, Bryce Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah, Bryce Dallas, Texas here. Uh, as she's running through, again, kind of not like laugh out loud funny, but you know, a little bit amusing, where she's like, uh, you know, this guy, Vice President Drucker, bad hair, and she's trying to remember everybody by their faults, <laughs> which is a, a cool little character work that, of course, has no relevance later on, like a lot of the stuff in this movie. Um, we have the quick little meeting here as she's introducing... The idea of the Indominus Rex, you know, uh, people want bigger, louder, more teeth, the first ever hybrid dinosaur. And when we get, woo, <laughs> the character, every child was dying. Oh, finally, to here he is again. It's been too long. You know, I was an 11 or 12 year old kid sitting in the theater watching this movie the first time being like, <laughs> Alan Grant, guy's my hero. Jeff Goldblum, I want to look like that shirtless when I'm 40. Um <laughs> Ellie Sadler, how can you not love her? Uh, Tim, Lex, I want them to be my brother and sister. But you know what? If they got to bring anybody back for a sequel, I need to know more about that Dr. Henry Wu. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and I, I kind of understand like um, the logic that Colin Trevorrow has given with this, that if there is one character that would make sense to bring back, it would be him. But that doesn't mean that we need to bring the character back. Like This role could have been filled by anybody. I have no clue why he's here, and he's playing it completely differently. I'm going to have a lot of complaints about B.D. Wong's performance in this because he's not playing Dr. Henry Wu. He's playing some guy that's like a James Bond henchman <laughs> and has no similarities at all. He's got this weird swagger and this this pompousness about him. Um, I just don't like him at all in this movie. Uh, but he gets his quick little introduction here. Um, how much more do we want to cover here? Uh <laughs> Quick look at the Innovation Center as the kids start coming in. Uh, Mr. DNA pops up really quickly. Um, we get introduced to Zara, the oh. most wasted character in this movie. I'm going to have some points about that later on. And, uh, uh, of course, the the mention about um, uh, people dying. So the guy here, I know you're a big fan of his. I think he's grown on me a little bit. But when I saw this the first time, I hated this character. Again, I don't know the names of any of these characters. The the new Nedry, if you want to call him that. I think he's got Lowry, all the stuff isn't on it? Lowry, okay. So he's got all of his stuff that he got off of eBay. <laughs> this is why this is some of the nostalgia that they cram down your throat that I just find annoying when he's talking about, you know, uh that first park, that was legit. Like who knows anything about this park? The park never opened. And it's not like that there'd be these books out there that are showing you, you know, uh, oh, this is this ride. I mean, none of it was complete, and it was all top secret. It's the fact that he would even say that, it just sounds like such a pretentious <laughs> millennial dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> but 
He's grown on me a little bit, so I have some positive things to say about him later on. Uh, when, when they mentioned the, the Verizon presents the Indominus Rex or whatever, and he's like the Pepsiosaur, the Tostito Dog, <laughs> that I like. And then just finishing off, this is, this is basically 15 minutes of the movie here, but so many characters and stuff introduced. Mazrani gets introduced, my favorite character in this movie. Again, somebody completely wasted. Uh, I'm furious about what they do with him in this movie. Uh, as he comes in, he's talking to Claire, and he's like, you know, how's my park doing? And she's like, well, attendance is up. Uh, profits are up. He's like, no, are the guests having fun? Are the animals enjoying life? <laughs> she's like, the animals don't communicate with us. <laughs> and he mentions how, you know, John Hammond's dying wish, uh, that he, he gave him this park as his dying wish or whatever. Uh, and he g- gives out that whole spared no expense line, which is, of course, great. I just love Masrani. They, they mentioned here about his piloting license, which is a cool quirk that, again, got wasted as they basically killed his character. Not killed literally, even though they did, but just killed any type of interest I had in this character. Maybe it's just the actor, like Irfan uh, Khan, who who is uh, in The Amazing Spider-Man we talked about uh, last year. And, uh, you know, he was in Life of Pi. And, of course, he's a much bigger actor in India and everything. But, like, here, he's had a couple of pretty decent roles. I just love him in this movie. I think he's the only actor in this entire movie that really just gives me that, like, the, the sense of, like, uniqueness of all the characters we had in the original. How Alan Grant was a one-of-a-kind character. Ellie, Ian, Hammond, they're all characters. Like, you can't compare them to anybody else you've ever seen. Total waste in this movie. So, uh, there you go. You have the entire cast except for Chris Pratt, who I'm going to have a lot more to say about, and I'm sure Jamie will in the screaming and hollering in the background. Uh, well, there we go. She, she's getting excited already. She heard a Chris's name. Chris, which one? Woo! Uh, <laughs> Chris, woo! <laughs> but the introduction got... to Jurassic World, uh, the great children, and all the characters but Chris Pratt. She's got one of those uh, little flicky viewfinder things, and it's just all the Chris's shirtless. Yeah. She's like... <laughs> There's Pratt shirtless. Mm. There's Evan shirtless. Uh, There's Hemsworth shirtless. Pratt. Ooh, Hemsworth. There's Chris O'Donnell shirtless. There's Chris Tucker shirtless. Ooh, Hem- uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this ending is just... Uh, ending. <laughs> That's how much I'm talking about. That's how much you want to be done with this movie. <laughs> when the T-Rex is on the helipad. Um, the, the, the beginning of this movie is just... It's just weird. Like, you're right. Like, we get each of the, each of the Jurassic Park movies starts off so distinctly. And just even kind of, you know, you think about how they start off with just the, the opening credits and just it's straight into it. You know, like the first one, you just kind of get like three bass lines. You see this, the, you know, Jurassic Park and it's got like, and it like fades into the, you know, the, the raptor. And then, you know, each of them has that. And this one, it's kind of a very bad CGI raptor breaking through the egg. I want to say this straight away. How is this movie released in 2015 with cutting-edge technology 22 years past the first film? How does the first film look more realistic than this one? Like, like the, the special effects in this film, the CGI does not hold up. Like... I thought that, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit during Jurassic Park 3 about the Spinosaurus attacking the plane. Some of it looks a bit, you know, cruddy, but like, I'd rather a cruddy looking animatronic Spinosaurus than some of the CGI we get in this movie. And I just think it starts off terribly looking at like this weird eye and then like the bird bit's funny, but that bird looks fake. I could draw a better bird than that bird. Um, I'm glad you mentioned about the Christmas thing because, yeah, Mallory and I were talking about this and, like you had a you had an opening here to make this almost like a diehard where it's like is this considered a Christmas movie? Um, yeah, because it's it's just 
this is we should be creating a list here about things that are like brought up but just go nowhere. And let's like let's just have in the background Tony Bennett have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> like why? Like you could have this as like you know. Have yourself a merry little Easter. Like, I don't know if there's Easter carols, but, like, it's not going to make <laughs> any difference. <laughs> and, like, go full out with the Christmas. I want to see Jurassic World covered in Christmas decorations. I want to see the Indominus Rex wearing a holly leaf as it's eating people. Yes. Like, you know, why can't we have what Jurassic World's, like, themed at Christmas time? Um, Was this movie supposed to be released at a different date? Because the only other reason I could see including that would be like you do often get movies that have nothing to do with Christmas and they'll throw a Christmas Carol in it because they're releasing it in December or something. Yeah, but like I, I this don't was all think so. June, as far as I know. Yeah, same here. Because I mean, all the Jurassic Park movies are released at this point in the year. So um, yeah, I, I I really don't know. But um, we get these kids like I. Just, I'm not going to say anything kind about these kids. There's nothing redeeming about these children in this movie at all. Like, I, you know, I think when we first started these episodes, like, Eric, yeah, I don't mind Eric. Then I watch Jurassic Park 3 and I'm like, no, Eric gives me the shits. But, like, I would rather this whole movie be about Eric than be about little shit one and little shit two. Um, and, like, just take them out of this movie and nothing changes. Like, nothing changes at all. Um, and the fact that, you know, the, They've got the worst family, these kids. Like, they've got their parents who are just shipping them off to Jurassic Park over Christmas for whatever reason. And then for some random reason, oh, they're getting divorced, which is kind of like your ultimate throwback to Jurassic Park. You know, when we get the tiny little reference that Lex and Tim parents are getting divorced, that's why they're going to visit their granddad. Like, that is fine because it's mentioned once. And it's not mm-hmm. brought up at all. Like, that's all you need. Whereas this, it's just kind of like it's there. And it's just, it's just meant to be a big plot line, but you just don't care about it. Um, I love, uh, the mum though. Uh, Ju- is it Judy Greer? Um, yeah. I really like her. She's wasted in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, what? Well, she's Ant-Man, isn't she? She's, um, Ant-Man's ex-wife, right? And married to Bobby Cannavale. She's got taste, Judy Greer. Like, she's a good woman. Um, and she's, she's a much, I'm not going to say she's a big star, but, like, everybody has seen her in something, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I feel like she's much too big of a star to be in one scene of this movie, and yet it's not a cameo. It's like they set her up, and then it just doesn't go anywhere. And what's really weird is that she has, like, basically one scene with Bryce Dallas, Texas, and it's on the (laughs) phone, and then they hug at the end. But, like, they've got great chemistry. You can see these two as sisters. Mm -hmm. Like, these two, like, really work as sisters. So I want to see more of this. I hope she comes back in another... Um, Jurassic World movie, just not the kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got older little shit here with his slutty girlfriend sexting. <laughs> 40-year-old. <laughs> but, I like, you mentioned about the humour. I do like the bit when they're in the car and both the parents turn around and look at him and are just like, are you going to be okay? <laughs> like, that bit's kind of funny. <laughs> I love it, that. Um, but it just, it's the way it kind of just jumps from the car to the airport and then it's just kind of, they're on the plane. Like, it is very quick. Like, you're straight away into the park. Um, but I, I think I might have explained this before, but, like, I kind of you know, liken this almost to the Terminator franchise at this point, because, like, as you said, like, you always, as a kid, wanted to see the park open. That was it. And, like, I'm completely with you. I, that was uh, the first three movies. Like, oh, man, I really wish you could see what the park was like. And I don't know if you ever played the game Jurassic Park Operation Genesis, where you got to build your own park and then kind of, you know, pretend you were, like... It was like The Sims, but you built your own... The, the new Jurassic World game they're about to release is basically a reboot of this game. It was so much fun. But... 
like the Terminator movies, like you spent three movies hearing about Judgment Day and what was going to happen, you know, if they don't kill John Connor and how John Connor leads a resistance, but you never got to see it until the fourth movie. So, you know, this is kind of like that, isn't it? That like, finally you get to see the park open in the fourth movie. Um, and yeah, like all this sort of stuff is great. Like, you know, seeing what this park is like open, you know, I'm just ignoring the little kids here, you know, cause I'm seeing it the way I want to see it. Um, and the music is, yeah, great. Like the sort of the, the new version of the theme. Um, and uh, you know, I can't say his name properly. Michael Giacchino, Cano, how do you say his oh, name? Yeah. 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 I mean, we've talked about him before on these, on the show. Oh. Um, great, so great score writer. Um, you know, great choice to have him. Is he coming back for um, Fallen Kingdom? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I gotta let me take uh, a look. He here. is. I'm just looking here. He is. Um, so I mean, he's basically, in my opinion, he is the new John Williams. I mm. he kind of got. Well, it's the funny thing is he got started doing Jurassic Park video games because he did the score for the Lost World video game and another Jurassic Park Warpath game after that. Then he got into TV. He did like J.J. Abrams basically gave a start. So he did like Alias and then, of course, Lost. And then eventually into movies. And now it's like all of my favorite scores, like Mission Impossible, the new Mission Impossible movies, uh, Jurassic World and uh, Rogue One, which is arguably better than both of the John Williams Star Wars scores we've had. He's probably one of the best composers out there. Well, Lost to me is maybe the greatest TV score in history. Mm -hmm. I mean, God damn, that makes you cry. Um, like, that is such a great score. Like, he, he's just perfect in that show. So, yeah, like, he's definitely... I agree with what you just said there. Um, but, I mean, I think that the score for this is maybe the most unique since uh, since The Lost World. I mean, I know we've only had one movie in between, but, like, Jurassic Park 3 doesn't really have a lot of standout pieces of music in it that you remember, whereas this does. Like, I can hear yeah. the score in my head right now, that sort of main score that they use in Jurassic World. So, to me, this is... You know, it's a standout score. I, I like the score for this. And I was like, you, I, I listened to this. Excuse me, I'm choking on myself. Um, a lot during, <laughs> during this. Um, but yeah, I love kind of just the sweeping shots here you see of the park. And I, can I just say, to me, my favorite random character in this film is the assistant. <laughs> like, she's mm-hmm. just, they needed to do more with her. But I feel so yeah. bad for her in this movie. She's the Eddie of this film. Like, she does yeah. nothing wrong in this movie. And the poor thing just gets one of the most horrific death scenes. In all of the- <laughs> like, it's so unwarranted. Like, mm-hmm. why does she get tortured the way she does? But I like Zara. Um, but, uh, we, I like the, the bit you mentioned, like, with Claire being introduced. Now, I'm, I'm very, Claire to me is the Jurassic World part three of this movie. I'm always bipolar on her character. Like, she sometimes just annoy the absolute crap out of me, but she's also kind of quirky and fun sometimes, just the way mm-hmm. she is. Like, I, yeah, I, I like this bit when she's like coming down the elevator and she's like, you know, blah, blah, and I am Claire and I am late. <laughs> just the way she's like saying it. Although I do like the very cheesy way, like the, the doors open. She's like, welcome to Jurassic World. Um, her hair annoys the shit out of me in this movie. Can I just point that out? Like it doesn't what? move. Why? It's just this weird wig looking plastic thing. She looks like a Lego figure with her hair. Um, even when it's like messed up later on, it just is kind of weird the way it just doesn't move. Um, but yeah, I like it when she's like talking to these guys and trying to sell dinosaurs and like this is my one thing that i've got to ask about this universe that we live in in what world are people not fascinated by dinosaurs anymore like seriously yeah. <laughs> like well uh, <laughs> go i can kind of see the point that they're making um 
because it, it had a lot to do with how people would respond to this movie. Like when you listen to Colin Trevorrow's explanation, I, I have kind of a bipolar relationship with Colin Trevorrow because when I hear interviews with him, often I agree with everything he says. And I'm like, well, that's actually really smart. And, oh, I didn't think about it that way. But there's just something that's kind of so pretentious about him where I, I feel like he's just, he'll, he'll come up with some type of elaborate explanation for everything. But the way that he explains it is that it had a lot to do with the way audiences would have reacted to, let's give you another Jurassic Park movie. He's like, well... I don't see how that's relevant. And he had this image in his head of, you know, a 15 year old kid texting with a T-Rex, you know, uh, standing up behind it. And that, I guess that kind of is the way it, it is in the world now where it's like, people aren't necessarily impressed with things. They should be impressed because you can see whatever you want on YouTube. But there, the problem with that is that this is an exclusive park in Costa Rica that if, mm-hmm. Two kids whose parents seem to be fairly well off. I mean, they got a nice house. They can send their kids, you know, uh, to Central America for Christmas or whatever. And their aunt runs the park. If they haven't been there in who knows how many years, it's probably not easy to get in this park. So the only people who are not going to be impressed with dinosaurs are people who have been there multiple times. And that's the problem with this movie, or at least that part of what they're trying to say in this movie. But even as you just pointed it out, though, this is an exclusive park that there's only one place in the entire world Mm -hmm. that you can see dinosaurs. You know, people travel to the Galapagos Islands to see Galapagos tortoises because they're so unique. People come to Tasmania to see Tasmanian devils in the wild because they're so unique to one place. You think about it, you go to a zoo and, like, everyone's always wowed by pandas. It's like, oh, my God, pandas. And can I just point out, pandas are some of the most boring animals in the world. I don't get why pandas are such a big fucking deal. They're boring animals. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, anyone who comes to Australia, oh, my God, I've got to see a koala. Like, you know, it's like... Everyone's fascinated by the most mundane animals that have been around for, you know, we can see in the wild. This is a freaking animal that's been extinct for millions of years that, like, if you read into the the timeline of the Jurassic Park franchise, Jurassic World opened in about 2005, so this park's about 10 years old. Do people on planet Earth really get sick of dinosaurs after only 10 years? Disneyland. Yeah. Like, I've been to Disneyland once. Love Disneyland. I would go back again in a heartbeat. I'm not going back to Disneyland after I've been the first one. Oh, Disneyland again. Rides. Oh, I'm so sick of them. Like, I mean, like, what is with people in this film that they're sick of freaking dinosaurs? Um, yeah. So that's, to me, the biggest... So, like, they've now got to genetically modify one and... I do like the way they play up to it with, like, the sponsorship and the product placement. Like, this movie got criticised so much for product placement in the park, but they almost poke fun at themselves for it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. the way they're going to, you know, Verizon presents the Indominus Rex. Um, but I, I do kind of like this plotline of how they've invented a dinosaur. I think a lot of people criticised it, but, like, they would do this if this was a real thing. Like, they, they of course they would, you know, and I think that this kind of works that this is the thing, and I know we'll get to, like, the raptors being trained as another thing that people criticise it for, but again, like, why couldn't that be a thing? You can train dolphins, so why can't yeah. you train a raptor? So, you know, there's no difference to me in that. Um Now, Wu, like, I completely agree with pretty much everything you were saying, but having said that, like, I am glad that they did bring someone back, just because, to me, that's good that they connect them. And, I mean, look, if you look at the original cast of the original movie, of all the stars that they could bring back, you've already brought back Grant, Ellie, and Malcolm. You can't really bring them back again. I mean, you could, but, like, if you're trying to sort of do this in a way, you know, it's different. You've got to distance yourself. And why would they be working at the park? They're not. Richard Attenborough's dead. 
Bob Peck's dead. Martin Ferrero's dead in the movie. Uh, Lex and Tim, well, you know, I mean, that could have been cool. Like, let's bring it. Joseph Mazzello was working as park janitor or something like that. I don't <laughs> know. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's dead. Wayne Knight's dead. Dr. Harding's still working out what a pupil is. Uh, so, you know, like, I mean, you kind of really lost for people you can bring back. You're limited. Um, yeah. so I, I do like the fact that they've brought someone back from the very first movie. Um, he is the most random person to ring back, but at the same time, as we mentioned in the first movie, he is a lot of a, a bit more of a bigger deal in the book. Um, but again, I do agree with you that he kind of does go from random guy in the first movie to, you know, henchman number three from James Bond. Um, but I, I do like BD Wong. He was in, when I used to watch Gotham, I think he was in that from memory. Um, and he's kind of got a fun style about him and he also likes to play up to himself. Like he's in a lot of those college humor videos. Um, so like I do like BD Wong and he kind of, he's been waiting for this moment his entire career. <laughs> he's been begging Steven Spielberg, please Steven, put me back in a Jurassic Park movie. I'll show you what I can do. <laughs> so, but I like when he's running, when the kids are running through the parks and we kind of get all this nostalgia-ness, you know, Mr. DNA, we see these holograms. There's that weird digging thing where they're like, you know, digging away at the bones of the sand. Yeah. Like, like, is that, does somebody have to go and cover that with sand every five minutes? Like, it's kind <laughs> of like, once you brush the bones, um, you have to cover it again. Uh, we get the, the scene with, uh, when they meet the art for the first time, like, wow, look at you. You've grown. It's been like three or four years since I've seen you. It's been seven. Seven, um, actually. Like, yeah. like, these kids, again, like, don't be such an asshole to your poor auntie. Like, she's working hard. She's taking you in at Christmas. Yeah, She's a very busy woman. You're getting all expense paid trip to the most exclusive theme park in the world, and you're giving her lip. And the thing that I don't understand about why, like, she's treated as such, like, a bad auntie because she's ignoring them. Why is it Hammond considered a bad grandfather for yeah. ignoring <laughs> Lex and Tim in the first movie? Like, you know, mm. like, why does she have to be treated as such a horrible woman? Um, because she's ignoring them. She sent a British assistant after after them. Um, you know, it's not like she just left them by themselves. Um, you are right. I do like Lowry. Lowry's fun. And I do, like, there's, I don't know if it's in this scene, or there is one of the scenes, if you pay close attention on his desk, he's actually got one of Malcolm's books. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, there's kind of a nice little um, thing there. And, like, again, we're going to talk so much about how this movie relies on the first movie in terms of, you know, its nostalgia factor. And it, it really is 99% nostalgia from the first movie. It's almost like they do completely ignore The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, although there are, like, the Spinosaurus skeleton, which we'll mention, and, you know, a couple of little things which are which are in it. Um, but, I, I'd, like, you mentioned about, like, nobody would know about this park. I kind of feel that it would come to light for these people working there because it was built on the original place where it was. And again, kind of, if you read the timeline about how like Maserani took over from Hammond and all this sort of stuff, like I, I feel that somehow when this park was opened and, you know, this would be a huge story. Like there's a park with dinosaurs. Imagine that as a world story. It would have been mentioned like in the history of how this nearly happened. So I, I kind of feel that there, there would have been some sort of reference to it and people would know. But I do like the fact that he's wearing a t-shirt with Jurassic Park on it and she's just like, don't you think that's a bit disrespectful? Like that's people very 2015. Like <laughs> she's very. Show much some in- respect. <laughs> yeah, show some respect. <laughs> Malcolm pops up out of his book. Show some respect. <laughs> uh, I like how he's got like the order on his desk with the little dinosaurs and. 
the random bit where she pushes the bin to catch the cup. Um, and also I do like the, um, is it Vivian, the other, the random female control room woman, yeah. uh, who's in lots of things. But yeah, Mezrani, um, Actually, before I say Mizrani, I love how they're talking about the invisible fences. Like, this is a thing. <laughs> like, they don't learn much, do they, from the first Jurassic Park? You know, that now they've installed invisible fences, and I think this will work. Uh, but yeah, Mezrani, he's great. Love him to bits. Um, you know, he, he kind of, in a weird way, you're a Deep Blue Sea fan. Uh, yeah. LL Cool J in Deep Blue Sea, uh, which is kind of like the random cool chef. And, like, I, I mm-hmm. wish they had a kind of kept him, like, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Deep Blue Sea, LL Cool J is, what, like, one of two people who survives. Um, so, like, you know, they could have done that with Mezrani. I don't know why I'm comparing those two. But, um, yeah, I like it when he's, like, in the helicopter and he's, like, uh, and she's, like, so scared to be in a helicopter with him. And what does he say? Like, oh, have some fun, go to a beach or something like that. And she's just, like, <laughs> oh, I can't remember what she says, but at one point he just goes, like, ah, ah, have some fun. <laughs> like, he makes a bird sound. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like him. And I think it's it's important to kind of have, like, this John Hammondy kind of character that, uh, yeah, I like Mizrani. Mizrani's awesome. Uh, so more Mizrani here, uh, and more great Mizrani. When they the helicopter lands and then the, the coal pile or whatever, basically running off into the jungle to throw up, it's like, <laughs> oh, don't worry, he's just being dramatic. <laughs> uh, but this scene kind of setting up the Indominus, it's maybe... One of the most, I think, one of the most effective scenes in the movie because it's what we talked about so much in the first three movies that the movie is scary when you really sell that something is dangerous. You have to sell that a dinosaur is dangerous before you ever see it as dangerous. That's why the uh, scene with Grant, you know, telling the kid about the raptors, or even just his reaction when it's like you bred raptors, and Wu's just like, uh huh. You know, <laughs> those scenes matter so much. Because they have the Indominus here, and you're not going to get to see the Indominus, and it's kind of the point that you don't get to see it. And if we're being perfectly honest, the Indominus does not look special at all. It doesn't look different. In fact, most of the time when it's on screen, I'm like, is that a T-Rex? Is that a Spinosaurus? Oh, it's the Indominus. Because you can't just immediately identify it. Like, the T-Rex, you knew by looking at this a T-Rex. The Spinosaurus, you knew by looking at it was a Spinosaurus. This just sort of looks like another, you know, predator dinosaur. Uh, but they definitely do some dumb stuff with the Indominus here. But I just like the seriousness of the scene as um, you know, Masrani basically is selling everything uh, where they're, they're talking about the the sibling. Oh, we bred two originally. That was the second egg you saw. It's like, oh, she ate her sibling or whatever. And um, when they talk about how it was bigger than – they had to extend the walls because it ended up bigger than expected – and um, you know, we wanted something that would give the kids nightmares, and like, this would give the parents nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they first introduced the idea of Grady here because this Indominus, they don't understand anything about it. He doesn't want to reveal it to the public until he can get somebody to sign off on it. So why not the one character in this movie who apparently knows everything on the planet, <laughs> and they have to tell you constantly, like, I hate this i talked about how how much i hate this in the new star wars movies that to oversell the new characters they have they constantly have to have other characters talk about how great they are and that's all we get in this movie with chris pratt and it's just it gets on my nerves and the very first introduction here is just they're talking about he's talking about how smart he is and uh claire's like oh he 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 thinks he's smarter or whatever it's just i don't know why we always have to be told that chris pratt is so amazing in this movie and it makes it worse that the way they write his character, I'm jumping way ahead now, but the way they write his character is that he's never wrong about anything. 
<laughs> and he can predict everything that happens. I mean, why this guy isn't making a million dollars somewhere, I don't understand. You know, why he's in his bungalow, sweating in his little shirt. Mm, Jamie says. <laughs> he keeps it on, Jamie. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come off in this one. Uh, I don't know. I'll get into Chris Pratt in a bit. And I'm a huge – I've talked about so much on – every time we've talked about something Chris Pratt here. Huge Chris Pratt fan. The, the, one of the reasons I saw Guardians of the Galaxy when most people didn't know who Chris Pratt was, I saw that movie because I love Chris Pratt and everything else I saw him in. But this, I just don't like him in it. But, yeah, yeah, this scene setting up the Indominus is interesting. Uh, they throw so much of this away the next time we see the Indominus. But still, uh, we get the introduction of Grady now with the pig chase and the raptors. And you realize the raptor training. Now, this, I'm 100% on board with it. A lot of the complaints out there about this movie, I understand. Even in a weird way, the sexism complaints, I don't understand it in that way. I think people are misinterpreting it. But I understand the complaints. I just think that the issue is not sexism. It's something else that's being misinterpreted. This is something I 100% disagree with people on because this was so controversial. How could he be training raptors? That's the dumbest thing ever. Can we name one animal in this world that has not been tamed at least once? Like, um, what is the most dangerous animal? A cuttlefish. I mean, a cuttlefish, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... Why is it so hard to believe that you could have people in a circus that can stick their head in a lion's mouth, but yet the idea that you might be able to not even completely tame, but just train raptors to obey commands and move here and there, it's completely plausible. And the fact that people are like so up in arms about this, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Nobody knows anything about a raptor. Exactly. We mentioned in almost every episode so far that people's misunderstanding of even archaeology, they don't realize that archaeology is 90% theory. They generally won't even discover entire skeletons. That Most of the dinosaurs we know out there, they will uncover maybe 20% of the bones of a dinosaur. The rest of them are completely gone. And then they theorize what the rest of the bones may have looked like, which is why we get changes in, oh, well, raptors actually would have had feathers and stuff like that. Because new research are like, wow. We only had a 20% skeleton before. Nobody knows anything about a raptor. So to to say this could never happen is so dumb because even just the theory about how raptors were so intelligent is still just a theory. Nobody knows anything. The raptors could have been just as dumb as they were in the Lost World, for all yeah. we know. Um, you know, they, they could have been even dumber than that. They could have been uh, uh, they could have been geniuses. They could have been Chris Pratt-level genius, for all we know. <laughs> but we don't know anything about them. But... Even if we did know, doesn't it help the story? When I saw the first Jurassic Park movie, the one thing that bothered me for 20, how many years are we at now? 25 years following that movie coming out was, how is this interesting in the park? You can't really see anything with the raptors. You're going to have giant tours of like 50, 100 people at a time. And four people can gather around this little fence where you can watch raptors eat very quickly. (laughs) That's not an attraction. And the raptors are the big attraction, obviously, because they bred them so many times. So you would have to have a way to demonstrate this. And the way to do it, if you would go to a zoo or something like that, and they have, you know, tigers or lions or whatever, something you can't get that close to, they will have trainers doing stuff like this. So it's completely plausible. Uh, it's the one thing I do like about Chris Pratt's character in this movie. But um, something else that's really dumb here. Now, now Vincent D'Onofrio, I love Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, I actually even like his character in this movie, but the arguments he makes makes no sense whatsoever. He's talking about how uh, you can train raptors. These This could have military use. 
Like, explain how that makes any sense either. <laughs> if this were that valuable, couldn't you take all those lions that you can take? If you can train a lion to allow its owner to stick its head in its mouth, couldn't you tell the same lion, go over there and kill the Taliban? <laughs> like, I, uh, it's so dumb. And you have to spend so much disbelief to think that this could even be a thing uh, it's more implausible than training a, a raptor that a raptor could be used by the military. But when he says things like, uh, uh, you know, oh, Mizrani's wasting his money, uh, you know, we could be making so much more money selling this to the military. Do we honestly believe that the U.S. government is going to pay more than 22,000 paying customers per day in the most exclusive resort in the world? Like, why isn't Walt Disney selling to the U.S. military at this point? Like, why isn't he unleashing the Pirates of the Caribbean on the Middle East? Um, so many problems with Vincent D'Onofrio's character here, even though he's great in the movie and I actually do think the character is fun. He's not as, uh, I guess, poorly portrayed as a villain the way that Ludlow was. Uh, but then you have this other um, thing here where, where the guy falls into the raptor pen, which, first of all, this kid's like 15 years old. <laughs> And we're going to see this again later on. Like, why are all these American 15-year-olds coming to Costa Rica? Like, couldn't they get some locals? Like, wouldn't that be a more realistic thing? And he just falls in there. And then we get Chris Pratt, of course, you know, taming them. And then the way this whole chase – and now it is a tense scene. You know, he's uh, telling him, Blue Delta, get back. And he, he barely escapes with his life. And yet still, Vincent D'Onofrio is, like, seeing dollar signs after this. <laughs> You're inspired by this man who can train raptors and you think you could train them – to kill the enemy and not kill you, their trainer, who just did this amazing thing, almost was eaten alive because he went in there at the same time that some kid fell in. There is no way that this ever makes sense for military use. Uh, so I'll kind of end it at this scene because I think there's a lot to talk about in here. Uh, but when, you know, he's, I guess there's one good line here where he says to the, the kid, you know, you ever wonder why there's uh, the, always a job opening for this or whatever? But. <laughs> I don't know. I just have a lot of problems with not the logic of him training raptors, but of everything else here to do with the military. Um, the yeah, I like the pilot guy when he's vomiting. You know, it's like so dramatic. Like that's funny. The um, that set. I've actually been on that set where they've got the they've built the wall thing. So when you do the tour of um the Kuloa Ranch in Hawaii, sort of just north of Honolulu. There's one of the tours they drive you through the jungle, and this set is there. So you actually get to drive through the door. Um, you see the uh, the glass bit that they're standing in. And actually, when you're on the other side of the door, like they've actually still got all the scratch marks still on the wall from when you're going to see the Indominus Rex. So it's kind of cool to actually go through that. If you ever go to Hawaii, go do that tour. But um, yeah, like I think, you know, a lot of what this movie lacks when it comes, and there's a very good... Um, I saw, I read an article kind of when they were explaining about the editing of this movie about how it tries to be the first movie and tries to do this, but it loses a lot of its like fear factor and kind of, we see the dinosaurs too early. I mean, I guess, you know, it's not the first movie. We've seen these dinosaurs in three different movies, but, you know, I feel like the Indominus Rex is a dinosaur that needs to be sold a lot more to not see it. Um, yeah. You know, like the Spinosaurus, we kind of get a lot of that, don't we? That, you know, when they're on the runway, like, you know, we hear the roar and what's that? Oh, it's a T-Rex. No, it sounds bigger. Um, and, you know, even when they're kind of getting attacked on the plane, we don't really see it in full until it's fighting the T-Rex. So I feel as though there's just little subtle things they do with this that just take the fear out of this movie. And I think, 
you know, that a lot of what they're talking about with Fallen Kingdom is they're bringing back the fear level to it. I mean, Jurassic Park's never been, like, horror movie level of scary, but, you know, again, as I said, I remember in the first movie when I was six, like, people running out of the theatre scared out of their lives, you know, and there's still a level of tension in a lot of the Jurassic Park movies, which I think is lacking from this film. You know, they, they do go to a lot of jump scares in this movie rather than actual tension but like this scene is kind of filled with it like you know the bit when it's you know oh we want to give the kids nightmares like oh it's going to give the adults nightmares and um you know you sort of see a bit of it in the background and you know i i think it's it yeah I'm, i agree with you it's like an interesting scene I, I like the bit when they're like talking about the fence and they're like oh you know uh they can't get through we've got the world's best structural engineers and the way around is like so do salmon <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> like wow um but yeah <laughs> I've never, to this point, I'd never seen Chris Pratt in anything. So this is the first time I'd ever seen Chris Pratt in anything. So like, you know, I hadn't even seen Guardians to this point. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike Chris Pratt as much as you do in this film. I think his character's fine, but like the way you kind of, you know, talk about him as knowing everything, that's completely true. Um, and I, I really do hope that in Fallen Kingdom, we kind of do get a scene between him and, and Malcolm because I would be intrigued to see how he reacts to like Malcolm or Grant. You know, these, you know, granted, actual dinosaur expert. Because, I mean, like, Owen's really just a, a glorified Muldoon with a bit more swagger, I guess. Yeah. And not as old school. Because, you know, that's all he is. That's a so, really good explanation of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't yeah. thought of that. So, I mean, that kind of is how he is. And, I mean, like, he's... He's Chris Pratt. I mean, everyone likes Chris Pratt, I guess. Uh, I mean, Mallory actually said, like, oh, I actually find him kind of attractive in this film. Um, so, you know, there's that too. Jamie, you finally are getting her swayed. But it's just, I find it interesting with this scene with the Raptors, like, like, he's up there on this platform, which to me doesn't look that much higher than the original fence in the first movie, which they're saying they jumped up on the fences and then they, like, tested them for weaknesses. And we've heard in the last film that raptors are smarter than primates. So, like, you know, why are these raptors not jumping up there? Because the thing that, like, amazes me about this whole scene here with, like, this great bit when he's in there stopping them from eating them, as soon as he jumps out of the gate, they try and eat him anyway. So it's kind of like it's not like he has mm. complete full control over them. Yeah. Um. So I don't get why they're not jumping up eating people on these fences. Um, but having said that, like, I completely agree with you. Like, I don't get why people go off at this about them training raptors. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, people, humans train animals. It's a thing. Uh, and as I just said, it was mentioned in the last movie that these are supposedly smarter than primates. We can train monkeys and gorillas and apes to, you know, do things. So why couldn't we train raptors? Like, I don't get why people think this is stupid. Like, oh, this is something, you know, you can't do that with dinosaurs. You can't bring dinosaurs back to life. Like, there's, <laughs> there's something to complain about. Like, stop complaining about things for the fact that you got to complain about it. Um, but... Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's a unique take. It's kind of a middle ground of, you know, particularly when we get here, as you were saying, with Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio? You know, I'm not going to be able to say his name. D'Onofrio. That, you know, he's talking about the military. It's kind of that middle ground, isn't it, from the super soldier idea to something of, you know, what we're mm-hmm. going to have. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is just the dumbest idea because, like, even if they were smarter than primates and you use them in combat, the Taliban can still blow up raptors. They're still living yeah. organisms with <laughs> organs and flesh and blood. It's like, oh, they're invincible. They won't be able to blow them up. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> we'll genetically engineer them to be invincible to rockets. 
And and as we see in this movie, like it's not like they change their mind. It's all it takes is a Taliban person with a clicky thing going blue, blue. Don't do it. <laughs> like changes side. <laughs> like are we going to have like Homeland set with a raptor? Like is he bad or is he good? Ooh, <laughs> like, what's going to happen? But I mean, like I, I again, I'm the same as you. I like sort of his character in a way. But I think you mentioned it last episode that he is probably the worst villain in all of the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, just based on what his intentions are. But I think, like, he's kind of somebody you don't... You don't even really need him in this plotline in this movie. Again, you can write him out, write this military story out, have Wu as the villain, somehow kind of delve into him a little bit about what he's really been doing. Because, again, if you read through a lot of, you know, this timeline that they've created through the 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 behind-the-scenes, you know, engineering that InGen were doing behind the government's back, it's actually really interesting. Um, And just have it kind of as, instead of um, Owen fighting the man, like, oh, no, we can't have these going after the Indominus Rex, just have, like, Mr. Know-it-all Owen going, hey, why don't we send the raptors after it? Because it's kind of like it's not even a big deal at the end when they go after the the Indominus Rex anyway. So, yeah, I mean, good for Vincent Don, Vincent Law and Order guy to do stuff (laughs) in this film. But uh, can we just point out, he's put on a bit of weight. I remember seeing this movie going, whoa, he's gotten fat. (laughs) <laughs> this was, Not that um, I'm body shaming him or anything, but like, come on, <laughs> have a salad. I, I'm actually gonna look it up because I'm, Vincent Offrey is one of these actors that you you see every once in a while, and his weight seems to fluctuate. I don't know if he's very committed, but to, when he played uh, Daredevil in the um or not when he played dare yes when he played daredevil <laughs> when he played 280 pound daredevil <laughs> uh when he played um kingpin in daredevil so yeah that w- that came out the same year as this and i don't know if he just put on a lot of weight to play kingpin because you're not going to play kingpin at like you know 210 pounds you're going to have to uh get a lot bigger than that but yeah no it's it's definitely distracting because i don't think we usually see him this big the one thing that I'll say quickly is I always forget that he was um, in Men in Black as the, the bug yeah. guy. Uh, like, I oh. always randomly forget that that's him, and he's brilliant in that uh, when he's, oh, yeah. like, the cockroach guy. Uh, but yeah, what, which Law and Order was he in? Wasn't he in one of them for, like, a long time? Like, I never really watched Law and Order, but that's kind of when I uh, knew Yeah, which one is it? Um, I, I'm going to have to find it here. But, yeah, I do remember him being I, – I, I don't think it was – Criminal Intent, yeah. Okay. So, it was so like he the was the Mariska Hargitay of that Law and Order. Yeah. <laughs> Mariska Hargitay. Sorry. I watched The Love Guru recently. I shouldn't mention that on air. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Controversial opinion. The Love Guru. Not as bad as people say it is. <laughs> you say that almost every week. Would you please stop? We've lost half our listeners since you started that. <laughs> hashtag I like die another day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, hashtag Colin does too. Play the clip. <laughs> I just feel like I should, like, edit a bunch of clips of just, like, you saying the word love guru and then going, love guru, love that movie! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, after this, we get the short montage of the kids in the park, which, it's so weird that as many complaints I have about this movie, you think that the, you know, awe for me would still be, oh, look at the Mosasaurus, look at the, the raptor chase and all that. But the thing that I'm always, like, so drawn to every time I watch this are these little moments where we get to see, like, the petting zoo with the baby triceratops. (laughs) Maybe it's because, you know, uh, it's just that whole idea about I would love to see this real park, but I still love seeing all that. It's Um, a herbivore park, as you said. Like, all you need are herbivores. 
Yeah, this, if you took the carnivores out of all these movies and you just had this park, there's still plenty of people who are willing to pay for it. So we've solved the problem of uh, InGen that InGen's had for 20 years. <laughs> but um, there's one good Zach line here. So every time Zach says something good, I'm going to preface it by saying this is one good line, even though I think this is the <laughs> second, third I've done so far. Uh, where he says, cover your dork pouch, which I think is just the fact that this kid is wearing a fanny pack. You need to draw attention to that, please. <laughs> uh, but one thing that I wish they had gone further with in this movie, and we're going to get it in the, the next scene coming up where Claire realizes. So the kids basically ditch Zara here. And I feel bad for Zara, too, because Zara's just doing her job. I mean, Yes, she's on her phone all the time, but I guarantee that's work-related, you know? If mm-hmm. I take a day off, I'm still getting work emails. I'm still getting messages and phone calls and stuff like that. Like, you don't always get away from work. And here she's being told, escort these kids around the park. I guarantee that Claire's assistant has a full-time job that keeps her very busy. And she's missing a lot of work right now. So mm-hmm. I feel very bad for what they do with her in this movie. But the kids run off. Uh, and then we get the uh, the conversation with the... Well, first we get the, the T-Rex thing, which the T-Rex really doesn't do a lot in this movie. And... I don't know. In a way, I kind of envisioned that the T-Rex exhibit would have been bigger than this. Although I do think it's kind of cool that it's this camouflage log that they can view things through. The problem I have with that, though, is that if you're in this log viewing things through it, you're not going to see that it's a camouflage log. <laughs> so it loses a little bit of the the, the appeal of this whole uh, amusement park attraction here. But I don't know. I wish I could have seen a little bit more of like in the first Jurassic Park Let's take a ride and we'll see how all these animals are being presented to you. But there's so much here. I mean, I can't complain about it. Uh, so then we get the sister fight I'm talking about here uh, where you know, uh, Claire's sister, which I can't remember her name, um, the, uh, the, the Judy divorcing Greer. Judy Greer, yeah, <laughs> where she calls and she's upset. Like, you ditched my kids. And there's probably the funniest line in the movie here. Where she's like, it's okay, I left with my assistant. She's British. They <laughs> invented fannies. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's one of the moments, like you said, they're on the phone together, but I never even really thought of it before, but yet yeah, they probably have more chemistry than anybody in this movie. I'm definitely, I'm not going to say that, like, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Texas don't have chemistry <laughs> together. I think that they're decent, but I don't think their characters are written well enough to really pull it off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll completely agree with you. I think that these two sisters here have more chemistry than anybody else. Let's let's pair them up for a movie. Because uh, once we get to our Fallen Kingdom uh, preview, I'll have more complaints about the recasting they have in this movie here. But so she heads off to meet Chris Pratt here, who she's already sort of mumbling, but he's not as smart as he thinks he is. <laughs> it's just kind of all <laughs> immature. Uh, and this is the other big controversial scene. So... I kind of feel bad for Colin Trevorrow because I don't think this was a fair attack on him at all. But you do have to say, like, there were probably better scenes to release. And the big deal about this movie is they released the trailer and everything. And then they said, we're going to release one scene of this movie to show people. Not even a full scene, but just, hey, watch this 30-second clip of a scene from Jurassic World. And this was the big scene they wanted to introduce to everybody, like, two weeks before this movie came out. So when actors are doing talk shows, this is what you're seeing. The response to this was so negative and so much. This is the most sexist scene I've ever seen, which I guarantee you had one writer on the Internet write this. And then everybody read the article without watching the scene. But once you put that idea in somebody's head, oh, this is sexist. Everybody's going to be like, that's the most sexist thing I've ever seen. The point of this scene is it's actually just about old movie chemistry because 
I don't love what they do with Chris Pratt's character or uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character. But the idea that they're just sort of bickering back and forth, this is what Indiana Jones was built on. This is what Han Solo and Princess Leia is built on. This is Clark Gable and Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind. And it has nothing to do with being sexist. If you watch any of those movies, both of the characters are going back and forth at each other just as much. And she has her moments here in the scene where uh, – and this is where I think it's misinterpreted because of like, oh, well, the guy's just being so abrasive and making sexual into windows and – you know, making her feel stupid, and she's just kind of clumsy and, you know, uh, not as quick-witted as he is. And that's just overwriting Chris Pratt's character, because she definitely has her lines in here about, um, you know, oh, you wore shorts on our date or whatever. You wore, like, orange shorts on our date, uh, and uh, you might want to change your shirt first. So it's this whole witty banter that they're just trying to bring, like, this old movie vibe about, uh, and it's not someone we're really used to in a Jurassic Park movie, but I in no way see this as a sexist thing whatsoever. Uh, the other thing it's supposed to show is it's supposed to set up her character as being very stiff, and th- that has a lot to do with what they do with the kids. The kids' only purpose in this movie is for her to not so much be Alan Grant, which there's the other sexist thing people complain about. I'll just get this out of the way right away. People are like, it's sexist. This, this working woman and the entire plot is about how you should be a mother or whatever. Like, who cares? Why is it... it- <laughs> Is, is there a problem with Alan Grant being the successful scientist who doesn't want kids and the entire plot of that movie is he needs to settle down and have some kids? It's not sexist in any way. It is All it's doing is it is it's, it's one of those nostalgia moments where they wanted to make her Alan Grant in a way. And the kids with the divorced parents, that's more evidence of it. Because the only relevance that had, and I didn't even realize it until you mentioned the whole thing about is Hammond a bad grandpa – is that this entire purpose in the movie is just for more nostalgia. And it's kind of clever how they put that out there without it being so obvious. But the kids are there to be the nostalgia of the kids with the divorced parents in the first one. And Claire not wanting to have kids or whatever, or not being comfortable with kids, is the nostalgia with Alan Grant. It has nothing to do with being sexist. You're not going to do this with Chris Pratt. Is it going to be his nephews that come to visit him for the week? That plot makes no sense at all. Uh so I feel bad that they released this scene and Colin Trevor probably had in his head. It's like, people are going to love the witty banter here. And then just the onslaught against him was just brutal when this came out. Mm. Uh, and it's it's not a bad scene. But the problem, like I said, is in the writing of the character. They overwrite Chris Pratt where he has to be right about everything and he has to get the last word in. And that's not a sexist thing. That's the fact that they were trying so hard to make him this cool action hero. But that's not Jurassic Park. Like you said, Muldoon is a supporting character. Muldoon is a cool guy. Roland is a cool guy. The lead characters should not be cool guys. They should be cool to you because they're smart and they maybe have like a cool hat <laughs> or they look great shirtless. He's but, got a cool vest. <laughs> yeah, but but I don't know. Just to make him so smart and write about everything in this movie and even in this first scene here, it's it just – it's just all wrong. It was the wrong way to write his character. And that's where the whole sexist thing is misinterpreted, I think. Uh, but the the one really funny line that she has, again, where people completely misunderstand. They don't realize she has some good comments back at him where he's talking about, you know, you said you were on a diet. What kind of diet doesn't allow for tequila? And she's like, all of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then we get to the scene where we get the Indominus. So um, this is, I guess, the the opening. This is the T-Rex scene, a much smaller version of it. I think this is another one of the problems where there's not the fear factor. Not that they introduced the dinosaurs too early, but that 
you don't get this big attack. Because I think the Lost World introduced it just as early. Uh, you, you probably had even more of it because of the Compi attack. You don't see the raptor in the first one. You don't see the Spinosaurus in the third one. The only time you see dinosaurs in an opening sequence are the Compies in the second. And then when you get there, you see the Stegosaurus and uh, everything else. Uh, but they wait till an hour into that movie for the T-Rex attack. And this Indominus attack comes too quickly. But little things about the scene here, when, they, when she says it's called the Indominus Rex, and he's like, the Indominus Rex, like he's <laughs> laughing at it. Another great thing, because people complained about this before it came out when they just heard, oh, they got a hybrid dinosaur called the Indominus Rex. But they they knew this was going to be stupid. And another thing that I think that gets picked on a little too much about this movie is the idea about making a dinosaur hybrid. And Colin Trevorrow, again, he he has this weird thing where he can make a lot of sense. And then other times you're like, oh, there's something about this guy I just don't get. When he explained that the dinosaurs were always hybrids. And when you watch the first Jurassic Park, they say that when they say that they had the frogs. And that's what I loved about Jurassic Park 3 when Alan Grant was mentioning, you know, uh, the reason we can't study the dinosaurs in Isla Sorna is because John Hammond made Thebe Park attractions. They were genetically engineered monsters. And this movie said, let's take it a step further and let's make that the point. And it's interesting where you're talking about how, you know, even the raptors. Well, you know, well why do the raptors suddenly not have the feathers? Well, because let's say as they put together Jurassic World, they realize the feathers aren't really scary looking. So let's genetically engineer them not to have the feathers. Could they genetically engineer them to be dumber if the issue was that they were intelligent? Could they Possibly. genetically engineer them to not jump as high? There's tons of things you could have done. Uh, I, I do like the line here where it's like, uh, you know, you hear a four-year-old try to say Archeronithomimus or whatever. Should <laughs> you try and say it? Like, I, well, I like kind of the dumb, immature lines that are like childish humor here. And he asks the question, like, what's in this dinosaur? And she just says it's classified. A lot of problems with this, too. Uh, if you're going to make a, a hybrid, I would think you would start with something small to see how it worked. And they built the <laughs> biggest dinosaur. And they even say it became too big. Um, a couple of other problems in the scene. When she says, oh, it uh, goes after the same spots. And it, it's a play on that whole, well, the raptors never attacked the same spot in the fence before. And then when he's like, well, where is this thing? There's the claw marks on the wall. And they're like, oh, well, we, we don't see it anywhere. And you realize this thing can camouflage. You get the whole, you know, big attack. Uh, what doesn't make sense about this is this dinosaur, as they even say, has been in captivity its entire life. Intelligence is based on learning. And learning is based on experience. Is it, if this Indominus has never even encountered a human before, we can say, because they never would have put one in there, how does he know what the humans are going to do? How does he know that the humans can view it like, how does the Indominus know what it looks like? So suddenly it's like, I'm going to camouflage myself. I'm going to do scratch marks on the wall because if I do that, they're going to think I climbed over. The only way that any of this makes sense is if the Indominus had tried things like this and observed the human behavior. So it's just, it's completely ridiculous also that this is something a raptor could not do. Did they genetically engineer it to be smarter? Did they throw a human brain in there? <laughs> None of this makes sense even if you make a dinosaur smart. Um, it, when they have the, the, the comment back and forth where they're debating about why raptors are different and you have this, another moment where Chris Pratt's just like, why does he have to be so much smarter? So, yeah, but mine are, they, they have social skills that they raise with their sibling. <laughs> and I think there'd be a way to play this if somebody would just shoot him down and be like, the thing tried to eat you 20 minutes ago. But it's just he always has to be, he's so full of himself in this movie, I don't like it. 
um uh what else should i mention here um yeah so i guess the quick thing about the indominus escape here before we finish it off uh as the indominus gets loose we get that one poor worker who gets eaten on the inside uh i wonder why they would go in because at this point they can't see it but like does that mean you're gonna go in like it could be on top of the cage it could be crawling back in any minute i don't understand why they ever go inside this thing uh and eventually the indominus bites the guy we get the first big glimpse of it, which it is very effective and i think it's something that even though the cgi doesn't look great it's great to see that big dinosaur in some of the shots like where it where it just chomps the guy and uh you know w- once it's on the outside and chris pratt why does he cover himself in gasoline they said that this uh... thing senses well based on their thermal signature and like mm. i could understand if this was like you know, chilled or something <laughs> It's not iced gasoline or anything. He rips apart a gas line and douses himself. And I don't know if this Indominus is sniffing him or whatever. I think this scene could have been a lot more tense. And I remember thinking that at the time where I'm like, this is going to be the big moment. Like where uh, Lex and Tim are in the car and they close the door and the T-Rex looks and there's the flares and all that. Or the trailer scene. But it's just, it's blinking, it's over. And I feel like this should have been that one big moment. It's kind of split between this and the gyrosphere scene later on. I don't know. In a way, I just think that it would have been better to have one big scene early on. But again, why is he dousing himself in gasoline? Um, just back to yeah, the petting zoo is kind of funny, and that little kid riding the tri- triceratops. He's an ugly yeah. little kid. I want to slap him. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I like. I just feel so bad for the assistant because again, like as you said, she's just she's got to work. You know, she's got to do a thing, and then these kids run away from her. She's done nothing wrong. Um, and then I do like little shit, uh, the little shit get a haircut kid when he sees the T-Rex and he starts screaming like a little girl, like, ah, t-rex, 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 t-rex! <laughs> like, it's like, calm down, mate. Which that would have been me. That's why I don't <laughs> dislike them that much. But I do like when, like, you know, they're watching the T-Rex, like, you know, the, the slight little callbacks, again, just finding every excuse for a throwback. Like, let's have a goat and a flare, because we know that's what works with the T-Rex. Um, and then just everybody going crazy. An older little shit kid gets a phone call from mum, and he just, like, looks over his shoulder like, Oh, T-Rex. And then oh. he's, like, on the phone. Like, what a shithead. Like, fuck you, little <laughs> kid. Like, he's just so shitty that he hasn't gotten boobs from his 40-year-old girlfriend at some point. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned the scene before, like, the sisterly scene, it's nice, but, like, why is she going off at her sister for abandoning her children? Yeah. What have you done? It's Christmas time! <laughs> You've sent them to Costa Rica! <laughs> exactly! Um, like, it's got absolutely no, you've got no right, Judy Greer, to go <laughs> off about, you know, your sister abandoning your children when you've done exactly the same thing. Um... But, yeah, this, the whole scene, like, I think you summed it up very well. And, like, again, you know, you and I, the voice for feminist rights in 2018 <laughs> on a podcast. But, like, oh, it's just, it it made me so mad, like, when they, they just, everybody, like, you were right. This was such a controversial thing. Like, this is so sexist. Like, oh, you know, another blockbuster and a woman's talk down on and all this sort of stuff. Like, can we just point out that, like, Bryce, Dall- can we work out the screen time here? That does she not maybe have more screen time than Chris oh, Pratt far. in this film? Yeah, and she, I would argue, is the star of this movie. She and is, I think yeah. that with Mallory says with no redeeming qualities. But like the thing that I will say, I mean, that's an interesting point that Mallory does make in the background. But I, th- I think that like 
she has enough about her character that she's interesting and kind of quirky that, yeah, she's got no redeeming qualities, but there's still some things about her that you find, like, hey, you know, it's Claire, like, you know, she's kind of interesting. Whereas Owen is kind of just there and he's got a bit of Chris Pratt quirkiness about him, but, yeah, he's just, he, you know, he's what is unique about his character overall. And I think well, the thing that annoys me about these two is that, you know, we talked about kind of like the romance in all three of these films, you know, that it, the first two kind of it's there, but it's not in your face. The third one, it's kind of like, oh, great, let's get the divorce couple back together. And these two, it's just kind of like, hey, let's kiss while 30,000 people are getting killed around us. Um, To me, like, they've they've got chemistry. They're, they're great together. But to me, it's a brotherly-sisterly relationship. I don't ever get yeah. that these two should be jumping at each other, kissing and like, getting together. So I'll be interesting to see how they do it in the, the next one. But to me, just they're bickering back and forth. They're brother and sister. And I think kind of, like, it just it did annoy me so much, like, when you see this full scene about how they claim this is such a sexist scene. And, like, I think you, you know, she has enough comebacks as it is. And, like, as you said, like, this is kind of how movies have always done it with sort of these types of characters. And, yes, I know we're moving on. It's modern cinema. You know, women are getting more prolific roles. But, again, as I always say when we bring stuff up like this, like, why does this even need to be a subject that we need to talk about? Who cares? Like, Can we you have also- a man, you have a woman. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, this is how people are in real life like if I'm having a conversation like this with Mallory am I going to have someone in the background going Ben you're being sexist you're talking <laughs> down to her like I mean for God's sakes it's human Ugh. sorry go ahead shut me up can we also <laughs> say that she gets better comebacks to him like, yes I don't think I don't remember much he kind of has that innuendo in the bungalow and the hand just dinosaurs need a little of this or whatever He's just kind of being goofy. She actually hits at him pretty good a few times. Like the whole tequila thing is like all of them actually. And, you know, about him not dressing right. And you better change your shirt. You know, dinosaurs uh, are uh, turned off of smells or whatever. Uh, (laughs) So I think she gets the upper hand on him in this scene and probably all the scenes. The only thing that separates them is that his character is not allowed to have any flaws. And that's what makes her more interesting. Like When Mallory says when you say that you know, her character doesn't have any redeeming qualities. I disagree just because the whole point of this movie, it, the the way it differs from Alan Grant is it's not Alan Grant was about whether or not this guy would ever be comfortable having children. With her, it's just about her being comfortable with her own family. Like, if Alan Grant had nieces and nephews, I'm sure Alan Grant was different with them than he would have been with Tim and Lex. This lady is just uncomfortable with kids. Yeah. And we get that from the very first scene. And the movie's all about not her having this maternal instinct. It's about her just learning to care about her own nephews, you know, and, and just maybe care about anybody in general. So at no point is she like, oh, this is great. I want to have two kids just like you. She never says that. The movie at least gives her character a story arc where it's about her wanting to take care of something. And no matter who you are, like, are we going to say that, you know, uh, uh, Alan Grant you know, wanted to have children just because he helped take care of Eric. I mean, that's just human instinct. You should want to take care of a child who can't take care of themselves. And that's what her character is about. Owen goes nowhere in this movie. He's just there, like you said. He there's It doesn't pay off in any way. He's the guy who knows more than everybody, even though there's no reason he should know more than everybody. He's always right about everything. Everybody's talking about how amazing he is. And he just sort of does average things. But there's no payoff for him, and I think at least her character has a payoff. So, if anything, this movie's the opposite. I would feel like his character is the one that's made to be a little bit insignificant, even if he does kind of have this cockiness and arrogance about him. That's kind of men and women, too, you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying it's not about men talking down a woman. Like, 
this is every relationship. It's back and forth. Yeah. Jamie and I have conversations like this all the time, you know? It, it's it's her picking on something about me, and we laugh, and I pick on something about her, and we laugh. I mean, that's yeah. humans. It's not even men and women. And I, I completely agree, and I think there's this is a whole other coming soon you know colin and ben talk social issues of modern day society but like it, it is it's like this is a thing like there are differences between men and women and i wish some people would just realize this like you can't mm-hmm. you know like equality doesn't mean that human like both genders have to be exactly the same in every single aspect if that's the case i look forward to getting pregnant the day that Malin and i decide to have children all right like you know that's complete <laughs> You know, everything has to be the same. But, like, yeah, like, she has so much more development as a character. And then even kind of looking what's happening into the next movie, and like, as you said, she kind of goes from being this stiff sort of woman, you know, who's just all about the business and the assets, you know, to caring about, you know, human beings and then referring to these creatures as animals by the end. I mean, you know, again, read all the websites and everything that's happening between this and Fallen Kingdom. She's the driving force behind the dinosaur protection unit that is kind of, you know, going to be a big thing into the next movie. So she's got the development, whereas it's kind of the development with Owen is just he can train raptors and has a close bond with Blue. So that's kind of it. So, and she is, again, like she basically is a hero at the end of this movie. She gets the T-Rex, runs in heels. We'll get to that. Don't worry. Um, And it's like saves the day. Um, and like you, you know, like in no way to me is she like, you know, you stereotypical sort of female in distress, man stronger than her because, you know, she kind of is involved in all the action and is kind of there and helping out throughout the whole film. So yeah, I, this scene, no people just calm down anyway. Um, <laughs> calm down. But, I do, yeah, I do like just the lines, like the tequila line, and uh, what does it? Would she say about like you were wearing shorts on the first date? Like we're in Central America, <laughs> like it's relaxed. <laughs> and I do like when he says like, "Who writes out a schedule for a first date?" It's like I like to be organized. <laughs> like that's me. I'd write out a schedule for a first date. Um, <laughs> but like the put the on bit- shorts. <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> Abandon um, no tequila dialect. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be sexist to the woman. Otherwise, I will have a thread written on me. <laughs> Show her some respect. Uh- <laughs> But, like, I don't, like, when they're up in the viewing platform, and, like, this is, yeah, there's a lot of problems with this whole situation. Like, why is it classified? Like, it's part T-Rex, the rest is classified. To me, when she's there saying, like, we need a new attraction every few years to sell because we're going to get celebrities to come out. I want to know what celebrities come out. Like, hey, I'm here with a new dinosaur. Thanks, Kim Kardashian. Now go talk policy with the president. Um, what is with that? Like, can we just mention that? No. Anyway, uh, <laughs> did Justin Bieber talk policy with Justin Trudeau at some point? Because that's, I swear, what this world is coming to. I'm sure he has, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, that's the selling point. Like, we've created a new hybrid dinosaur. It's half T-Rex, half Velociraptor. That sells tickets! Like, imagine yeah. if somebody said to you, like, we've crossed a great white shark with a tiger. Like, I'm going to see that. Like, that's awesome. Like, we have crossed Usain Bolt with Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> and then we failed, so we had to use Ryan Lochte. Oh, boo. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Next. Um, so, like, that... I don't get why it's classified. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, this whole situation where, like, we find out it can camouflage 
why make it so it can camouflage? <laughs> like, this is the problem with the first movie. They couldn't see any of the dinosaurs. Like, oh, let's go and see this hybrid. It's T-Rex part something. Maybe it's T-Rex mixed with Gallimimus. Who knows? Oh, but it's invisible. We can't see it. What a waste of money. Boo, our approval rating is down low. And we, again, I've got to point that out. When she's talking to Masrani earlier on and she says, like, about the approval rating, guest approval rating is in the low 90s. How high a percentage is that? Like, that's brilliant. <laughs> if we had a high, a low percentage in the 90s on this podcast, I'd be laughing. That's brilliant. Like, why are they complaining that we, we need to create a new dinosaur because our guest approval rating is only in the low 90s? And also, can we point out, she says earlier in the movie that our profits are still high every year. So in no way are they doing bad business here. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's just a nitpick. But... Yeah, like, why do they have to go into this cage? This whole movie does not happen Mm -hmm. because, like... Okay, the first movie is done because you've got Dennis Nedry, who is disgruntled that he's not getting paid enough for what he does, so he's going to be bribed to take the embryos off the island. Fair enough. The second movie, it's based on, hey, let's get a head start on Hammond and take these dinosaurs off the island to create a new attraction. Fair enough. The third movie, a kid gets lost in the jungle. Done. Bless you. Uh, So, like, you know, there's kind of all little things here. The only reason the bad stuff in this movie happens is because Claire cannot make a phone call in that cage. She has to drive halfway through the jungle. We've got an asset, Adam! We've got to check it on the screen! To which Owen dumbly goes, Duh, let's go inside and look to see where the dinosaur's gone. Yes! Finally has his character flaw! He's the one who went in there! It's his fault! It's so stupid! This whole thing is sorted by her getting on the phone. Uh, yes, uh, Lowry, can you check to see where the Indominus is? Oh, it's still in the cage. Oh, that's weird. We can't see it. Oh, woo. Oh, remember we put cuttlefish in it and they can go invisible? Oh, that's right. Oh, it's okay. We've just discovered it's invisible. Go back to your bungalow. Oh, and la-di-da-di-da. There we go. Like, that's it. It's, that's, that's fixed. Um, but yeah, and like the bit when he says, um, you know, he's trying to be all like, <laughs> now that you've pointed it out, I can't not see it. I'm, oh, and I'm right with everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> you've ruined You realize that I basically me. ruined Vince Vaughn and Chris Pratt for everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vince Vaughn, you know, don't get me, like Nick Van Owen should have been brought back into this movie, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but when he turns around and he says, like, the only positive relationship this animal has is with that crane because it knows it brings yeah. food. So did every single dinosaur in the first Jurassic Park movie. They've all been bred in captivity. So the raptors, the only positive relationship they know is with the cow crane. And the T-Rex only knows is with the T-Rex, uh, the, the goat pit. So, like, you know, it's kind of dumb that they bring this up because, like, this would be a thing with animals in any zoo anyway. So, you know, and as you said, like, the the sibling thing is a thing because they've brought it up because they did create a sibling. It just ate it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not its fault. Um, So, yeah, anyway, so this whole reason why this dinosaur escapes is just stupid. Um, and, like, yeah, the intelligence thing is weird because, like, you know, we're meant to believe, we learn later on, oh, this is part raptor. Like, why doesn't this thing jump like raptors or have a claw like a raptor? Or, you know, the only time it's ever raptor-esque is this one scene where it's kind of smart enough to do this and when it talks to the raptors later on. So they mustn't have used much raptor genomes in it or something like that. But um I do like it when they escape out of the door and the uh, the fat security guard doesn't get in the car to drive off. He just sits in front of it. <laughs> like, 
Okay. Well, <laughs> search yourself right, mate, for getting eaten. And um, what is the point of this character? Like, why does InGen continue to hire such inept guards that you've got some fat guy at some point who's on the screen, like when the dinosaur's missing, still eating a sandwich? Oh, that's weird. Um, um, um. <laughs> we get it. You're fat and he's got to eat. That's discrimination, to Colin Hilding. The 15-year-old the kids who keep falling into raptor pens. I I am a man of a certain size, and I'm offended that they have to use a stereotype <laughs> of this man sitting on a computer eating a sandwich, right? Like, they talk about sexism in this film. Where's fatism? I don't think that's a word, but I've just created it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the, the Indominus is out. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> shit's about to get real. Um, yeah, I just it's just such a... Like, the setup for this, it's just no. It's just... I just think it's just weird that this is how this all happens because, and it is all dumbness. I'm going to blame Owen here. I'm not even blaming Claire. She could have made the phone call in the cage, but Owen essentially is the Nick Van Owen. There we go. That's why he's called Owen because he's related to Nick Van Owen. There, done. He's his brother. <laughs> yes, everyone's connected. It's like how Sarah. It's not Harding. Whit Hurt It's Nick Van <laughs> Owen's brother. Which can we point that out? That was actually a, a long. Oh, we did point it in the first movie, didn't we? Yeah. yeah never mind. That this was Whit Hertford's character in the first movie, but it's been proven that it's not. That actually would have been kind of cool, though. I think we did mention that in the first movie, but yeah, it's not. I mean, they're dead ringers for each other too. So yes, I'm sure Whit Hertford <laughs> wishes he grew up to look like Chris Pratt. I mean. <laughs> Okay, a couple of things. I know I've already said it, but I'm just going to dwell on it even more. Okay, the <laughs> intelligence of this dinosaur now. From what we've seen, they even say that it's basically never left this cage. They had to build the walls higher because it was almost climbing out. It's not like a person goes in there to feed it. And the glass, you're not going to – can you see on the other side of the glass? Like I don't think that they would allow this dinosaur to see them on the other side of the glass. Mm. So it has never seen a human before. How does it know that it has anybody to trick? Its only relationship was with a crane. Is, is the Indominus actually sitting there thinking, you know what? I bet that crane up there would be fooled if I scratch this wall. But it waits for humans to come in. It's like it has this entire plan and it has intelligence about things it's never witnessed before. A human being cannot just instinctively know there are people on the other side of this glass that I can't see through who will be fooled by me doing this. And, oh, look at this. I can camouflage myself. It can't see itself. If its vision is based on thermal vision, how does it know it can camouflage itself? It's not standing against a tree and it's like, whoa, look at that. I'm part of the tree suddenly. And it, and the thing with this thermal radiation, this thermal radiation, it's holding a thermal detonator. <laughs> um, like, the thermal vision thing, which is like mentioned, like you're so right. Like I forgot to mention when you're saying about like him covering himself in the, you know, the, um, the gas, which obviously is, you know, to block the scent. But at no point in this film is it ever further, you know, expanded on that this has thermal vision. Like, yeah. you're absolutely right. Like, it doesn't matter if he smells. Use your thermal vision mode, Indominus. Like, have you switched it off or something? Do you need some more batteries for it? Is this is this the whole thing? We're going to get, like, Jurassic World, you know, 0.05 seen through the vision of Indominus called Ian. And, like, he's just forgot, he's trying to find batteries in the park to fix his thermal vision or something. And he's just politely going up to, like, everyone asking, Oh, excuse me, T-Rex, do you have any batteries? Raw. Oh, stop biting me, that's mean. <laughs> like, he's just being friendly. Poor Indominus Rex. 
uh, yeah, it, none of it really makes sense. Um, we get introduced to the ACU here, which is kind of cool. And this is what I envisioned going all the way back to the first episode when I said 1994 or whatever, when they first started saying we're making a Jurassic Park sequel. This is what I envisioned. I envisioned, like, military crews having to come in here and restore order. And I'm still so disappointed because uh, we saw this ACU, the Asset Containment Unit or whatever, which in a way reminded me of ELFS. I was uh, thinking Santa exactly Claus. the same thing. <laughs> We're elves with attitude. Asset containment units with attitude. Who was that kid again that we bagged out that little shit? Uh- <laughs> oh, I wish I remembered his name. <laughs> maybe maybe that's who Whit Hertford grew up to be. Elves maybe. with attitude. <laughs> but, yeah, I like the idea of this ACU, especially in this theme park setting, because they would have to have something like this. This is the difference, but the precautions they're taking. And... When they have to kind of set them out, you realize this isn't like the first time. And I think they even mentioned something else early in the movie. I can't completely remember, but like how something was loose. There was a, you know, a, a stegosaurus that had gone out of its uh, uh, its area or whatever, uh, or something that was uh, outside of the fence. That this is just something that happens, and it probably happens with like zoos and everything too. It's like, oh, that bear is loose and it just ate a child. <laughs> probably not that far, but. You have to have precautions like this. And I love the idea of the ACU. Uh, I wish they'd gone further with it. I just want to say that when Jurassic World ended, I immediately envisioned what's the sequel to Jurassic World. And I still want to see a movie that literally takes place the next day. I wanted Jurassic World 2 to be this ACU and let's say some government, you know, some military without raptors coming in and being like, how do we restore order to this park? There are still all these people we have to get out. It's been destroyed. We need to round up the animals and put them back, and then maybe that goes even worse. That I'd like to see. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio gives his story here about the wolf pup that he raised, which uh, cool little character quirk, but do we need it? <laughs> Does it go anywhere? Uh, the... Um, the kids find out about the divorce here, I guess, as they're on their, their little uh, train ride or whatever, and Zach's hitting on 40-year-old woman here. <laughs> Do we miss the Mosasaur scene when it eats the shark? Oh, yeah, that's right, we did. Yeah, which, that's the first one. Oh, I want to go back to that, too, because there was something I missed earlier. I started, and then I uh, rabbit-trailed. But, uh, you know, Zach's so bored by everything, he's on his phone the whole time, and then uh, Gray's like, hey, hey, look, and then the Mosasaurus comes up, which, I mean, that was a trailer shot, and I, I don't care the CGI. That still looks great. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the things they did the best in this movie was showing us the most source right away and then just reserving it for the end. And it, it's saved for, I guess, the two moments they have later which on. Which I just quickly a- point out, which I don't understand why they're feeding it a great white shark, an animal that is protected. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's an endangered species. Uh, like, I get the whole thing. Like, oh, let's get this best predator in the water and get it with something bigger and put the size. Like, fair enough. But, like... This is an endangered species. Like, I want to see them feeding a panda to the T-Rex. Like, this is what they're doing. It's not a picky eater. It ate Zara, okay? So (laughs) you could have fed it anything. (laughs) I've been on that pool, too. That pool, like, when you go to this, like, they completely see giant around it. But, yeah, so, like, you actually go out on this little lake thing to get to this other part of this area. But, like, when you're on the water, they're like, this is the pool that they use the shot for, for the Mosasaurus. And then when you're actually on this, like, hill above it, you can see how they've done it. They've just completely CGI'd around it to put the the stand and everything. It's the same, and there's a dock on this lake, and it's the same dock where they filmed a lot of Lost on, too. The submarine scene in Lost, if you remember that. So, yeah, they mm. they filmed a lot of shit on this lake. Uh, well, the Mosasaurus scene, I think this is, like... 
every kid's favorite scene now. Because most of the kids I talk with are always like, Mosasaurus, Mosasaurus. And I had never even heard – I mean, I knew a lot about dinosaurs growing up. I had never heard of Mosasaurus. But what appealed to me with this was that this is what we never got. And I think they talked about it all the way back in The Lost World. And even, I mentioned Jurassic Park 3 that there were rumors that we were going to see like uh, swimming uh, – like mm. f- underwater dinosaurs. And we get a bit of that with the Spinosaurus. But we never got it up until now. So that's one of the things – I think that's one of the reasons that I love this so much and maybe a lot of kids love this too is because we, it's something we haven't seen before. And that's why I like that even the way they play it in the movie is like Zach's been watching T-Rexes and Baby Triceratops and none of it's impressive to him. Uh, he's sitting there sexting his girlfriend and then suddenly Gray's like, take a look at this. And the most source come out and even that, that impresses even him. So reactions are big in this movie. I mentioned with Masrani's reaction to the Indominus, uh, you know, going back to the original movies, people's reactions and his reaction tells you this is something that you should start paying attention to. Uh, but what I forgot to comment on earlier was uh, during the sister fight that we had on the phone, when she mentioned so that Zach can be so mean and she was worried about Gray. We never see that in this movie at all. We get that he's kind of like a bored older brother, but at no point is he mean. He definitely gets nicer from this point on and also segueing into the whole divorce talk thing here. Uh, I like how that scene kind of plays out where it's like, uh, oh, they got uh, letters from divorce lawyers or, or, or they got letters from lawyers. And it's like there was divorce lawyers. I Googled it or whatever. <laughs> you know, it, I guess that's the one kind of sad thing about this movie where I, I do like Gray's character a little bit better. But where do we see this mean brother? And I almost wish this movie had been like that more because I don't think there's a lot of great characters in this movie. The one of the reasons I think that Claire's character is one of the better ones is because at least she has a purpose about mm-hmm. her wanting to protect her nephews. But this would have been a great place to go that would have made these kids more interesting. If you just have this terribly mean older brother, and then when the Indominus attacks them, suddenly he has to start being protective. But we never see that. We just have that line yeah. about the mom saying, you know, oh, he's such a mean older brother. Well, first of all, why are you going to – now she really is the world's worst mom. She's <laughs> abandoning her kids at Christmas to go to Costa Rica for a sister who doesn't even know these kids' names or what ages there are ever, who's going to leave her with the assistant. And she's basically left this poor defenseless little boy with a terribly mean, abusive older brother who probably beats him daily. <laughs> you were yeah, well, yeah, so right. Rewriting it be slightly. <laughs> One thing, just quickly before I forget, I like it when they're in the Mosasaur Stadium, and like as you say before, like you know he gets excited for it. He looks at his phone, and like his you know fifty year old girlfriend, the blonde one, has sent a picture yeah. of herself, like just looking all mopey. Like, come on, if this movie was rated like R, would that be a picture of her boobs or something? Like It'll that? be tough. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the thing that like you're right, like no way, and I'm, I can't believe I'm defending one of the little shits here. Like, is he ever seen as mean? He's just you know disinterested. He's a horny teenager who like likes older women like that's basically all he is and like it's kind of going back to what you're saying like with claire like how they kind of you know like oh it's sexist because she doesn't have kids and here she is with kids like it's not like jurassic park where at the end of the movie grant has got that great scene with lex and tim on him and he's just kind of got that little smile smiling ellie like oh grant likes kids now like we get nothing at the end of this movie to yeah. even remotely show that claire has gone oh i like kids because even the kids like one of the funniest lines in this movie is when they're in the car and they're like you know oh i want to stay with you i'm never leaving you again no 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 we met him like it's kind of like because of course you know, everybody nothing- has to talk about how amazing chris pratt is in this movie <laughs> yeah like no point do we get that you know come up at the end where it's like oh she likes kids now like there's really nothing that, to say that little shit one and little shit two actually even like her at the end of this movie yeah not that they like her i think that we get little bits with her but definitely not with them yeah they're just going back to their room to 
go look at their flippy things and get boobs from 40-year-olds. The flippy things. <laughs> what is it? The viewfinder Netflix from 1992. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the, again, the little things that they show us throughout this of Jurassic World, that whole river rafting ride where you got dinosaurs on the mm. side. Like, that's really cool, too. Just, how much they put, how much thought they put into, if this were a real theme park, it wouldn't just be a jeep driving down a trail and here's the dilophosaurus and here's the tyrannosaurus and everything you'd get a lot more interactive stuff like this um the the scene where they attack here though uh and it digs out its implant again when they say oh it remembered having the implant put in how does it know what the implant is exactly like, this is a dinosaur that have its, has its tooth come out inside of the gyrosphere. Does it sit there and assume that this tooth is another implant or whatever? Oh, that one – is it losing its teeth because it assumes all the teeth are implants? Like, none of the logic makes sense. of Even if it is an intelligent animal, it would have to observe a lot more than this to understand any of this. Um but like the scene with the the attack there with the uh, on the ACU, that's a fun scene. Uh, again, it's all too brief. Like everything we're getting here is too brief. I think that's the one thing that really uh, this movie really lacks. Because I do have one sequence of this movie that I absolutely love, but even that I'm going to say it's too brief. All these actions things we're getting, it's just it's blink and you miss it. Uh, we do get the. Um, uh, oh, another Chris Pratt line where he has a, this dinosaur is seeing all of this for the first time. Now that goes against every, everything you've set up until now. Because if this thing is so super intelligent and observes everything, it's, like, it's seeing everything for the first time. It should be confused, not figuring <laughs> everything out. <laughs> um, let's talk about the gyrosphere thing here. I guess we'll we'll cover this because this is the next big attack thing. And uh, I guess this would be the real equivalent of the T-Rex attack or the, the trailer scene. Um, so we get another 15-year-old operator. Enjoy the ride, enjoy the ride, or whatever. He's and my I- favorite character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> him and Come Zara. Come on, guys, work here. <laughs> him, Zara, and the fat, dumb guy who gets eaten. Yes. <laughs> they need to have their own spin-off movie with Enrique. <laughs> Our unsung heroes. We're going to have, like, the hall of unsung heroes by the time this is over. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, so the whole gyrosphere, I mean, this is a really cool ride. and I I like how much thought they put into this park. Everything looks cool to me. And I think even though I'm not nostalgic about this movie, and there's going to be people who are saying, oh, oh, the only reason you guys are hating on this is because you didn't grow up watching it. That's not it at all. We didn't really technically grow up watching Jurassic Park 3, and we both were nostalgic about that. I just think... There's problems with this movie, but I still have it because when I see, like, the little clips of the gyrosphere in Fallen Kingdom, I'm immediately getting the same reaction I did, like, when I saw the the hole in the window of the Jeep that, you know, wasn't actually, but they wanted you to think was from Jurassic Park 2 to 3 with Ian Malcolm and then when Grant walks past it. Because I think this thing is, like, the coolest thing in the entire movie, and I want to ride in it, even though, if, again, it doesn't make any sense at all why we have... Jimmy Fallon in there also, I don't know. <laughs> um, why is Jimmy Fallon this? And, and are, first of all, are you a Jimmy Fallon fan? And B, do I have to slap you for whatever your answer is going to be? I mean, okay. I don't dislike Jimmy Fallon. I think he's entertaining. I think he's more of like a, 
you know, he's, he gets fun stuff out of celebrities when he gets fun skits and does like cool little things, but he's a terrible interviewer. Yes. Um, like if, you. if you're, if you're watching him for, you know, a, a great interview, no. I think Jimmy Kimmel, I, I prefer Jimmy Kimmel, but like, I still think Jimmy Fallon has his redeeming moments. Like, I, I like that movie he did with Drew Barrymore, that baseball movie. Um, and he does do some funny skits. Like, when he's on Saturday Night Live, it was great. But I don't know. Like, he does... He's okay. <laughs> like, he's, yeah. he's just Thank a terrible you. interviewer. <laughs> no, it's funny because I know so many people are like, oh, Jimmy Fallon's great. And I'll always have the exact same argument. I'm like, I can't watch his interviews. And everybody say, well, I don't, I don't watch his interviews. They just watch YouTube clips that he does. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Jimmy Fallon. I think this scene is kind of funny just because they would do something like this. Um, yeah. but it's ridiculous and it doesn't need to be in the movie. Uh, going back to the 15 year old operator again, he's American. So, <laughs> Why, how do you get sold on this? Like, do you think that, let's say, which one is in Florida, Disney World or Disneyland? I never know the difference. Uh, Disney World in Florida, yeah. So do you think that Disney World is populated all by Costa Ricans who come to work for the summer? (laughs) Well, that's exactly the same thing that I wonder if, like, here in Australia, all our tourist shops that sell Australian, like, little merchandise things are run by, like, Asian people. So I always wonder <laughs> yeah. if I go to China or, like, any country in Asia and I go to, like, a you know, an Asian tourist shop, are they just run by Australians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's just also weird that these are kids because this would make sense if it was, like, local kids. Like, if you're at Disney World, I would assume a lot of kids from Orlando get that as their first job, kind of like, you know, McDonald's is everybody's first job, or Tim Hortons is everybody's first job in Canada. <laughs> but... Uh, the the airfare that this fifteen year old kid paid to go work for the summer <laughs> not even the summer this is Christmas this kid should it's be in Christmas. school right now <laughs> that's why he's so upset enjoy the ride I'm missing out on my turkey <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but we get another woo scene here and this. Uh, Again, I don't have a problem with having Wu in this movie. I already said at the beginning that I agree with what Colin Trevorrow said, that it makes sense of any of the characters to be in, especially when your argument comes up. It's like, you can't have anybody else in there. Yeah, it, it makes sense if you're going to include any of the characters to be Wu, but this is not Henry Wu. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not related to the character in any way. And it just, it doesn't make sense for a guy this smart to, be this dumb to, to have built like it's like why is it camouflage well cuttlefish or whatever <laughs> he knows that this like in, in any other world or universe you would start by doing these hybrids of small animals like it's why you test on rats in science they test on rats before they test on humans i just there's so many like i'm not gonna call them plot holes but just completely implausible things in this movie and there's just something about the way that Wu talks in this movie where i just want to smack him <laughs> like the the whole uh thing about the the monsters is like uh to a, a canary a cat is a monster it's like yo uh, we're just not used to being the cat like ah this is this movie's attempt to come up with clever dialogue with like the god created dinosaur or whatever god destroyed dinosaur god created man or any of the other like scientific d- discussions like the the rape of the natural world you can have those things and, and have them be meaningful, but this is just throwaway lines and none of it really makes sense. And it's just, it's a poor attempt to be the first movie. Um, but back to the gyrosphere thing. Uh, why, when they shut down the ride here, do the kids have control suddenly? Because I'm not seeing Zach controlling this. From, from what I can figure out, this thing is automated and that, uh, it just knows, okay, well, there's something, it's like self-driving car or whatever. 
it's not like you're controlling it the whole time. Would they ever give people like that control? Certainly, if you shut the ride down, there'd be an automatic return thing where these things would just come back. Am I missing something, or how do they suddenly get control of this thing? And wouldn't everybody in the park just suddenly be like, well, I don't want to go back. It's still early. Let's explore some more. Yeah, and um, I think it's in the Everything Wrong With video, as they correctly say. We live in a world where shopping trolleys and shopping carts cannot be removed from a car park yeah. <laughs> uh, because of automated little locks on them. So as a, if these aren't going to be, like, returned back to base. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's um yeah um so where do we even start from this uh well, I'm gonna <laughs> oh, go a little further i just wanted to ask that oh question. sorry you haven't done all right never mind <laughs> okay so the raptor jumps on the t-rex's um, back and jumps onto the indominus rex <laughs> mosasaurus to the rescue <laughs> no um but yeah the, the, i mean it, it's funny because when you mentioned that when they come up to the gap in the fence that was the first thing i thought about whenever i try to remove a shopping cart from walmart it just locks up. I'm like, those are shopping carts. There's no way that this this would ever happen. Uh, but the sequence is cool. And I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't love that gyrosphere thing. That that looks so cool, and I want to ride in one of those. Uh, what is with this weird conversation? Like, some of the dialogue here is very funny. It's very smart. And some of it's funny, but it just makes no sense at all. When they're talking about, we're going to get arrested and shave our heads and make root beer in a toilet. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm legitimately confused by this. Root beer in a toilet? Like, this feels like something that's, that's, uh, I don't know what joke, wasn't, I can't remember what it was. There was one James Bond movie, um, oh yeah, Down For Your Eyes Only, where, uh, he, right as he's dumping Blofeld in the opening sequence, or not Blofeld in the opening sequence, uh, he <laughs> says, I'll buy you a delicatessen, and that's just this bizarre line that's confused people for all these years, where there's all this speculation that was just some inside joke that, <laughs> You don't get the setup for. That's what I feel like this is. Like, have you ever heard of making root beer in a toilet? What does that even mean? I don't know what part of America they're from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not my America. <laughs> Make it, this is why Donald Trump ran for president. What? What is yeah. this? Making root beer in toilets? <laughs> I'm running for president. They're getting arrested, shaving their heads, and making root beers in toilets. <laughs> and they can't even count. Because we get the dinosaurs coming up, and th- this is a cool sequence, though, too. And I actually do like the way they reveal it—that slow reveal, where um, uh, you know they, they have they have the ankylosaurus or whatever, and he says, you know, there's four of them, and he goes, no, five, and he goes, can you not count one, two, three, four? And he's like, no, five, and then you see the Indominus slowly close in. That's got to be one of the best effects in the movie, uh, and it's because it's it's a slow reveal. You don't see a lot of it. This whole sequence is great, and I do wish that it was longer because even as a kid, uh, you know, you look back on a lot of movies from when you're younger and you don't realize how much slower pace there is to it. Or even the fact that Jurassic Park could wait an hour before getting into the action. Lost World could wait an hour before getting the action. You couldn't get away with that nowadays. But there's things like that where you don't, you just, you take for granted that movies have changed so much. This isn't even something that's changed. I just, I don't know why they didn't think it would be effective to have a big, long sequence. Because even in 1993 or 1997, those T-Rex attacks, attacks, those T-Rexes did their taxes? Yes. I think we're going to carry the three here, George. Oh, yes, you're right. We've eaten too many Gallimimuses this year. We better put that into (laughs) equation. (laughs) But, um... No, the, the T-Rex attacks 
in the first two movies, those are like 10-minute sequences, and they're so effective because they are long. And this is just another one that I just wish were longer because there's so many great shots in here. When the, the claw goes through the glass, like that's an exciting shot. When it's biting the whole thing, it's like swallowing this gyrosphere whole, and the kids are upside down trying to reach the phone. Like this is all really good stuff. And even the, the point where they get out of there, when it's slamming it down, uh, great moment where you think they're about to run, and then it slams it down on top of them again, and then they eventually have to run for it. But just, I just wish the whole sequence was longer. They eventually get to this waterfall, and like, you have to jump. No. Yeah, jump. And then he just shoves it. Like, why did they pause to have that moment? It's like, I can't. Yeah, you can. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> I want the mean brother here, like, smacking him across the face. <laughs> get down there, because I tell you to. But we don't get any of that. Uh, and, and this is where all the good stuff that they did they completely undo again because they have this terrifying scene and what worked in the first Jurassic Park movie is Tim and Lex are more terrified after the T-Rex attacks than they are during it. Lex is freaking, he left us, he left us. And then you have Tim terrified to even climb down a tree and none of this ends in the, during the entire movie. There's even that great moment after the, the raptors in the kitchen where Lex comes up to, to grab Tim and he, he looks like he had a heart attack. He just gasps. These Kelly's kids were afraid to do gymnastics after the Lost World. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but these kids survived this terrifying attack, which should have been longer, but isn't. They in no way think this is even a possibility of happening, and they jump off a waterfall. And as soon as they land, they're like laughing, like <laughs> and high fiving. That kills the scene for me because there's nothing exciting about characters. I mentioned this, my biggest complaint in Alien Covenant, and I mentioned a couple of movies since then. One of my pet peeves in movies now are movies where if the characters aren't afraid, the audience isn't going to be afraid. And these kids have no fear after this happens. And that kind of kills all the suspense here. And I think we're coming up with a lot of little things that strip all the intensity out of this movie. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems here. If you had had these kids just paralyzed with fear after this, and what are we going to do? And just trembling, and eventually they're like, "All right, well, we got we got to do something. This thing's coming to get us again." I think this movie plays a lot better, at least from the kids' point of view. Stupid entitled millennials. Um... <laughs> I was <laughs> drinking water. Did not expect that. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> Colin joke. <laughs> We're making enemies here with feminists, millennials. <laughs> Ah, oh, they'll just write a blog about it and tweet us. Yeah. And we'll probably get attention and probably people start listening to us. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about the wolf story. Um, I, I forgot to mention a line that I don't think Mallory's listening to me anymore, but she said earlier on with the raptors when they're in the little headlock thing that they're, uh, kind of like cute little puppies that would eat you. Uh, so, no, she just heard me say it. Um, there, yeah, I mentioned it for you. There. Uh, she's drawing pictures. I don't know what she's doing in the background. But, um, <laughs> when they're, um, on the train and they're talking about divorce, I, ugh, just, these kids are just, ugh, just, I just don't, why do we need this scene? Like, as you said, like, even, he's meant to be some mean brother, but, like, even if we've seen this scene of him, like, punching up his brother earlier on or something like that, like, eat your grass, like, I don't know, but, like, it's just yeah. like, there's nothing <laughs> Like, oh, you get two of everything. Um, I do have to laugh in the um, Everything Wrong With video, the narrator guy, when um, the little kid's crying, <laughs> he just turns around and goes, Dad's leave, kid, don't be such a pussy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... <laughs> 
I like it when Owen's like in this control room and he's got like this one guard who's just like, I need to see your badge. Where's your badge? <laughs> like he does nothing to stop him. Why is this control room able to be accessible by the general public? Like, why yeah. have got no security? Um, I can I just back up and go all the way back to like, he's so pointless. We haven't even mentioned him in this episode. Owen's friend, the bald black dude who's like oh, helps yeah. him out. Like, I like him. I have nothing against him. Barry is his name as I'm seeing here, which I don't even think we hear his name in the movie. I like Barry, but what is his purpose in this movie? Like, no, no, no. not even... Nothing about him is in these movies for any reason. Um, but yeah, the the bit taking out the tracker, like, you're right. Like, how does he know that's a tracker? I mean, the the scene is kind of cool the way, like, it, it reveals itself from the tree. That's actually one of the, the special effects that yeah. does, like, r- really good. But, like, the random dude, the, it can camouflage! <laughs> just like, these are the worst, like, asset containment unit. Like, they, they do nothing here. <laughs> they just, like, destroy some trees and everything like that. Uh, on the same tour that I was saying before I went to in Hawaii, you get taken to this little river point where they film this scene too. It's actually a lot smaller than it looks. Uh, I hear that a lot. Um, and... <laughs> I do like the bit where they're like, they're all connected to like some sort of heart rate monitor or something like that. So they're just mm-hmm. all live viewing these people getting killed. Um, I've written here, not Lee Trooper, like one of the <laughs> random ones. They like zoom up on them seeing like the beep. You see like Lee Trooper. I'm like, no, not Lee. He was my favorite trooper. The best since Eddie Carr. Exactly. <laughs> saddest death since Eddie Carr. Uh, I just like it when Owen gets kicked out and he knocks all the dinosaurs off. And I love the way that Larry's just like, oh. Like, he's just like, I don't know. Just surrender. That is me. I'd be so pissed off if someone ruins my desk. Um, but yeah, random pimply faced 15 year old. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> Love that kid. And then, like, when all of a sudden it's like, we've got a control, we've got a, a bridge, close the park, close the park! And he's like, oh, oh guys, oh, we're gonna close the park! And he puts in this little book, and everyone's like, ah! It's like, oh, come on, guys, I just work here. <laughs> I gave up my Christmas for this! Shouldn't he just be like, there's a code red, there's a dinosaur, and everyone's like, ah! Like, you know, like, if there's a, like, say, you know, please, if this happens tomorrow, this isn't a Roger Moore moment, we haven't done this. Like, if some guy goes to Disney World tomorrow and just starts shooting everybody, and somebody's in, like, parts of the Caribbean, oh, we're going to close the ride, everyone, and we're like, ah! Like, guys, there's a shooter involved! Ah! This is a serious matter. Um, I randomly do like this Jimmy Fallon moment, just because, like, as you said, this is something they would do. They, I mean, mm-hmm. we had Richard Kyle, or whatever his name was, in the first movie doing the narration, <laughs> so why wouldn't they get Jimmy Fallon to this? You would get some form of celebrity yeah. doing this. I remember when I went to Universal Studios and I did the Backlot tour, they had, like, an introductory video, and I think it was, like, Whoopi Goldberg or somebody like that. So, you know, like, they're going to have somebody well, doing no something. Spare no expense. Like- I know, right? And people knew who Whoopi Goldberg was. I like Whoopi Goldberg. Hashtag bring back Whoopi. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, this scene between uh, Wu and Mezrani, like, it's... I mean, I'm not as down as you, because I, I think, like, I get what... completely get, like, this is a different Wu, and, yeah, I'm with you. I don't really like him, but at the same time, it's... We got so little of Wu in the first movie that we don't really know who he is. So I think you can kind of get away with him being this way. And I think, again, 
if you read a lot of the timeline stuff that they've sort of tied a lot of this into it, it does make a lot of sense because InGen was doing a lot of bad things behind the scenes, kind of, you know, and just sort of getting away with it. That's why, like, there's a rumour that the Spinosaurus was kind of a genetically modified dinosaur. So, um, I do like it. And I don't know if this is the bit where he says this or it comes later on, but... I just think, like, the, the most, one of the most important lines of this movie in the entire franchise is when he turns around and says, like, um, if we modified these dinosaurs to how they're meant to look, they would look completely different. Yeah. So that's why we've, you know, all of these dinosaurs do look different to what they are to, for people to look at them. And I think that's kind of very important. It's just a real quick little throwaway line, but I mean, you know, and that's also a way of saying that, like, for all the paleontologists who are like, oh, this is not how a dinosaur would look. Like, you know, this is kind of how they do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's, like, a very important line, the way they say that. But um I, I'm not too down on the cat line. I think it's kind of a... I know what you're saying. Like, they're definitely going out of their way to try and make this, you know, iconic line. But I think it's kind of... It's a good way of explaining it. Um It's it's not as bad as, like, in the... Oh, I can't believe I mentioned this movie. The second Independence Day, the way they always try to seem to get Bill Pullman to, like, do a speech again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every single time he spoke... He's like, today we celebrate our McDonald's Burger Day. And it's like, oh, damn it, he's not saying his, <laughs> his speech. Um, I absolutely hate the kids, even more so in this scene, particularly when it's like, we're VIP, dude, we can do whatever we want. Like, yeah. why? Like, no. <laughs> Just no, stupid little shits. And, like, again, like, there's no way these would not be controlled. Like, this is the worst security ever at a theme park. This is, mm-hmm. again, like, if you're on a roller coaster at Disneyland, they get stuck halfway up, and all of a sudden, <laughs> instead of safely bringing him back down, oh, cart number two can now control itself. Let's keep doing loopy loops. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> that is so dumb. Um, but I, I like when he's, like, on the phone and, like, Claire's trying to ring him. He's like, can't hear you. I'm in the hamster ball. Um, and then when, like, this is the thing, too, which, like, kind of just is, makes no sense. Claire has just yelled at Owen and, like, go away. So he's, like, squashed the dinosaurs for poor old Lowry. And then five minutes later, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, come help me find my nephews. Like, why isn't <laughs> Owen just like, fuck you, bitch? Like, no, I'm not going to help you find your nephews. Um, but, yeah, I again, I completely agree with you. This scene is, like, really tense and cool, like, with the Ankylosaurus and all that sort of stuff. And so much more could have been done, but it's just so quick and done, it's over with. Um, and I've never really thought about it too much, like, that way, about when they jump off the waterfall and it's kind of just a laughing two seconds. Like, oh, dude, we almost died. Ah. Uh, I'm surprised. They're like, oh, let's do it again. I'll get it on my GoPro. Um, <laughs> but... Again, kind of a bit of a throwback in a way to the novel where they do have to go over the top of a waterfall. But again, that's sort of different because they get flipped over and there's a T-Rex at the bottom of the waterfall. But, um, yeah, it's, um, they shouldn't love. These kids are stupid. These kids are terrible. I would, I really wish they were eaten in this scene. Ben, you know, this is like the third episode in a row in which you've basically trashed children. You do realize at this point our entire audience is probably children right now, most of which are related to me. Yeah, but they like me, so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to like you much anymore. (laughs) You know that children like me. Um, That's why there's a restraining order against me under a certain age. Um... Uh... Right, let's move on from the kids here. Uh, we're going to get into the good stuff now. <laughs> so uh, uh, Claire and Owen decide to you know, go after the kids here. 
Uh, Claire does it in heels, which is going to come up later on. And I've got a good argument for that, as does Bryce Dallas Howard, which um, it's kind of fun. We'll talk about closer to the end when the heels become more prominent. But they basically leave the confines of the office here. And uh, as they're looking for the kids, they find a dying Apatosaurus, uh, which then turns out to be about, I don't know, a herd of dying Apatosaurus. And this is probably one of the few moments in the movie that actually has a little bit of emotion to it, where... You know, it's not just cheesy. I mean, I, I kind of do feel bad, but it sort of gets ruined when they give that terrible line. And again, I'm a defender of the whole idea of the dinosaur hybrid would make sense that having somebody tame a raptor would make sense. But he's killing for sport. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. He's that's it into Muldoon. <laughs> yeah, it's we're it, being hunted. Like, seriously, <laughs> run towards it the shed. Sense in the Go original, now. Sorry. Like <laughs> you, you can explain away, you know, the Raptors in the first one because a Muldoon's a lot better at playing Muldoon than Chris Pratt is. I'm sorry, Chris <laughs> Pratt. Sorry, Jamie. But uh, also, as I keep saying, the Raptors. They established during that movie, Muldoon established, they look for patterns and stuff. They had one throwaway line about the Indominus attacking, you know, one part of the fence, similar to the whole comment about the Raptors earlier. But again, that explains none of this. It doesn't explain why he's hunting for sport. I mean, this thing has basically been fed forever. And even the, the line they have with T-Rex. Now, we're supposed to believe this is part Raptor. So there's the intelligence. It's part T-Rex. There's the whole thing about, you know, it wants to hunt. And that was Grant's line in the first one. Here, the Indominus Rex is hunting for... The Indominus Rex is basically a serial killer in this movie. <laughs> and yet it makes no sense at all. Because again, you have to uh, completely suspend disbelief and think that this intelligent creature is more intelligent than, I don't know, Ted Bundy or Charles Manson. Well, because that's basically what it's evolved into. <laughs> I do, I do You're like going somewhere that, with that? No, it was just a terrible attempt at a joke. But you know like those, those dentists who like fly to Africa and shoot a line and get their photo taken with it and then everyone gets shitty at them? Yeah. Like I, I want like there to be a picture of an Indominus Rex with this Apatosaurus and everyone's like, boo, boycott Jurassic World. They're killing their animals. You know, yeah. this should be protected. Yeah. Well, th th that leads to a good point because in this movie, I almost have a big problem with, you know, Chris Pratt. We're going to come up to it later on, but how protective he is of all the dinosaurs. And yet... He pulls a gun on this Indominus Rex and doesn't hesitate. The entire This entire movie, he's basically like, yeah, just kill the thing. And, of course, he has to say that because this thing is a psychopathic killer, uh, as we learn here. Which, which uh, again, is kind of like, it is a psychopathic killer. But, I mean, at no point in any of the Jurassic Park movies do they generally go out of their way to use live ammo, do they? I mean, even in the yeah, first one, never. when the raptors are trying to kill them, Hammond's going off at them for using um, ammo at the raptors. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is kind of maybe... a a bit with Mezrani or something like that, like, don't kill him off, have someone, like, wanting to protect him. I mean, we get a little bit of it, like, ultimately early on, when they're like, you know, you need to use your minigun on the helicopter now. I'm like, no, we need to protect this animal. But, you know, they just, yeah. they do full-on turn this Indominus Rex into just, yeah, an absolutely, you know, it's just Godzilla going through New York or something like that. And how does he determine this by looking at one Apatosaurus, or he looks at a bunch of them here, but... What if this thing was just going by it? Like, they even said it's, it doesn't know what it is. It's never been out of containment. How does it know it's killing these things? It could be playing right now. Like, I've seen mumps. animals play. 
They could have measles. They just all died at once. Like bird flu or something. It's just coincidence. coincidence. (laughs) And he's like, he's gone up to each of them with his claw and gone, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? No. All right. Moving on. And he's just left a claw mark on them. (laughs) The Indominus Rex was helping those Apatosauruses. (laughs) So judgmental, Chris Pratt. Show some respect. Uh, just wait, people. We're going to have the same defenses when we do any movie on Charles Manson. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was simply trying to help out Sharon Tate. Like, just leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Bundy got those Let's girls move. to try and get them a scholarship. They panicked okay. and they all hit their heads, all right? Let's move on. He tried to on. bring them back to life when they were dead by no. putting that in there. <laughs> no. Okay. Moving on. Girls Network, defending serial killers since 2018. <laughs> but still, the voice of feminism in your podcast Hitler world. Was trying to... Ha- Actually, no, let's stop there, Ben. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the line. <laughs> so they end up, uh, you know, following the, uh, the, the footprints to the waterfall, and this is where Claire rolls up her... Sl- it is kind of a funny moment, but again, it's, it's one of these moments where... You gotta wonder, like, are they just trying to make Chris Pratt, like, so cocky, so funny? And uh, I guess it's kind of funny when she's like, all right, we're gonna go after him. And she rolls up her sleeves and everything and, you know, ties her, her blouse. And he's like, what, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> she's like, mean, let's go. Come on. Uh, it's kind of funny, but I don't know. I just, I don't like that they're always trying so hard to make him, you know, clever and witty in this. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The line here where she's like, you know, couldn't you, like, track their scent or, or or follow their prints. He goes, I was in the Navy, not the Navajo. <laughs> Great line there. Uh, they end up following them, and of course she's doing this in heels, because why wouldn't she? Uh, there actually is a good reason why she's doing this in heels. We'll talk about that later. Uh, this leads to the the kids who find the old Jurassic Park. Now here's a, a load of nostalgia moments here that really has no relevance at all in the story (laughs) there's no reason why this place still exists and why they wouldn't have simply built the park around this and why it's so run down and uh why these jeeps can start (laughs) 22 (laughs) years later but it also brings up a lot of other interesting points um that i have about you know when i first heard about this movie and they mentioned that we were going to see the original uh jurassic park along with the, the new Jurassic World, and that we would see maybe see the Visitor Center. And then they even mentioned that the T-Rex in this movie, which isn't going to come up till later on, is supposed to be the same T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park movie, still alive there. But that that also kind of opens up plot hole. It's like, if, if this is the case, why all those years are we like, oh, the, isle, the island of Isla Sorna, you know, Site B, where all the dinosaurs are. Isla Nublar still has dinosaurs. Mm. And I kind of was hoping that this sequence would be like, well, this is the park that they can never, you know, actually capture the animals or whatever. And the, these kids would be lost uh, in the middle of like, OK, now it's not just the Indominus is after them. Now you've got the Dilophosaurus from the original. Maybe mm-hmm. that would be an interesting side movie or uh, a side plot or something. But I, I think it's kind of a missed opportunity, even though they throw a lot of nostalgia at you here. It's blink and you miss it, and I would have loved to have spent, like, half the movie here in the original park. I don't know if that's just me. No, no, I agree. I mean, this, uh, as much as I'm sort of saying that, you know, a lot of this is just relying so much on nostalgia, I mean, 
I remember just seeing this for the first time. Just every time I see this, you just get a little bit like, oh, like, you know, there's the original visitor center and the way they had the sign on the ground, which just little shit just burns that sign. Like, you little shit, that's a piece of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like literally having nostalgia goggles, uh, with the night goggles. <laughs> um, I mean, it's all just nice little scene, which it really is like a, like a huge lump of nostalgia at you. But yeah, your idea there's great. Like, I think that's a really good idea. And, um, yeah, I know you're jumping ahead to the T-Rex, but, um, you know, we've went through two films. It's about Site B and everything along those lines where you've heard nothing about Isla Nublar. And clearly these dinosaurs have just been roaming around, which, you know, again, when they rebuilt this park, um, you know, what do they do with them? Do they ship them back off to Site B to ship them back off to here to Isla Nublar? I mean, it just, yeah, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, th- there's some problems with the idea that these dinosaurs are still alive here. But I guess it never was really addressed, other than the fact they said, like, a typhoon came in, wiped out most of Isla Nublar. But again, it didn't say that it wiped out the dinosaurs. I don't know. It's You, you kind of read up on all those, uh, those fill-in-the-gap theories and yeah. stuff like that. Is there anything ever mentioned about, you know, when they came back to Isla Nublar or, you know, why? I don't think I've read that much into it. I mean, they, they rebuilt the park in 2005. Um, and like Mezrani took over, I think it was in like 1998. So basically, I'm assuming between 1998 and 2005, they're rebuilding it perhaps. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I mean, in the book, the, what the Costa Ricans come and blow up is La Nubla, don't they? So like yeah. they fly in the jets. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's probably somewhere on that website. I just haven't quite gotten in depth that much to it. Um, I'll, I guess just end it here with this sequence because I want to get into uh, the the big stuff later on. Basically, when the uh, the park gets destroyed, when when Jurassic World actually begins. But as you mentioned, the nostalgic goggles that we see, uh, the raptor painting. So I'm having a little bit of a hard time figuring out like when they come in here and you see that raptor painting on the wall, which I'm assuming is supposed to be the same one in the mm-hmm. dining room mm-hmm. when they're eating. But yet there's a garage. That's in the same vicinity. Like I, I can't well, Lex quite figure out the jockey. The or garage, if this is just they another decided one. to go to the kitchen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a weird geography that you kind of get when uh, you know Grant walks past the the cracked window uh, in front of the other yeah. visitor center in Jurassic Park Three. But um, the 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 jeep that they start like this is another one of the dumbest things ever in this movie. But I guess it's kind of fun. You get to see the original jeeps again. Um, any I don't know anything else you want to add on this stuff the uh, the the nostalgia sequence here it, not not a lot of relevance and I think you could have easily gotten the kids back to the park in a more interesting way but I guess it's kind of cool to see the original park I kind of think it would have been cool if they had gone into like the kitchen and found like a, a skeleton of a raptor like inside the fridge or something like that or yeah um like I mean even in that section where they're picking up the bones and they've got the when the dinosaurs rule the earth sign like there should be dead raptor skeletons in there from the T Rex so. <laughs> Um, you know, little things like that. But yeah, I mean, the, I, the Jeep bit is completely dumb because, you know, oh, let's have the most convenient plot twist ever. Hey, remember little shit when you fixed up grandpa's Jeep? Hey, I can fix up oh. exactly the same thing. How convenient. Like, I, I really like, hope if- that if I'm ever stuck on an island with dinosaurs, there's like a, a microphone and a podcasting server that will allow <laughs> me to save the day. Cause wouldn't that be a world of convenience right there in front of me? He helped his grandfather fix up a car once. Now, everybody here has had a car break down probably multiple times. It is never the same issue. So the odds 
that what's wrong with these Jeeps after 22 years of sitting there, probably with, you know, no gas in the tank, uh, batteries completely drained, the, the elements, how many hurricanes have hit this thing, that this is the exact same issue that him and his grandpa ran across. It's just completely absurd. And then when um, when Clarinet comes up like two seconds later, this road leads straight back to the park. Like, what a convenient thing that is. <laughs> it's not even that far. They, like... They, they got exactly. Just, like, they run there. <laughs> they beat the yeah. kids there with the car. <laughs> Can we just point that out? <laughs> and she manages this island. She's never seen it in the distance. <laughs> there it is. Come on. And that's why isn't that a tour? Should that not be a tour? Like, think about it. If Disneyland yes. got like wiped out by a tsunami tomorrow and they rebuilt it like just down the road, as if they're not going to have some sort of memorial or some sort of you know like let's go visit where it is. And why isn't there a memorial there? Here died Arnold. Here died Muldoon. <laughs> you know, like I mean, fuck you, uh, me and Jen. Like not even remembering your beloved tour people that you killed twenty two years previously. I want there to be Mr. like you Arnold. Know, A cigarette and a butt. Hold on to your butt. (laughs) Uh, 1957 to 1993. (laughs) But it's a good point, too, because they talk about how disrespectful it is that he's wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. It's like, five people died here. They built a whole new building where the World Trade Center collapsed, okay? Exactly. <laughs> That's like they built a, a museum tourist site. based on all the yeah. people as a tribute to where they passed away. So again, like, this should be, like, this is a thing. We, you know, in Tasmania, we had the Port Arthur Massacre. There's a tribute thing there. We had a, our bridge, a boat crashed into it and, like, people died. There's a tribute plaque to it. Like, surely this has got to be, like, some sort of memorial here at the at Jurassic World for these poor victims. You know, the next time we visit the Canadian Museum of Human Rights, let's bring this up in their little confessional yes. video box. <laughs> My human rights were violated when I watched Jurassic World. <laughs> uh, after Sorry, this, Noah Grove. they start... Sorry. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, they start to set up what the Indominus' plan is, because now they know he's killing for sport. <laughs> and they mention, it's like, it's drawn to warm bodies, and you just put all the warm bodies in one spot. Uh, Hoskins and Mizrani have their little showdown here. You know, he's talking about his plan. Mizrani's got his own plan. Uh, we need a pilot. Now, again, this island has 22,000 visitors <laughs> per day. And the only helicopter pilot in the entire place was the one guy on the one ACU chopper. But the ACU's still there. Like, how they're all not cross-trained and how they don't have a million pilots, I don't know. But Ms. Ronnie's like, we don't need anybody else. <laughs> to me, that, that and Ronnie goes to be like, where we're going, we don't need roads. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I still love Ms. Ronnie. I just hate the way that they just make his character die so dumb. Yeah. Um, I guess let's just get into it here. I'll kind of break this up because the movie sort of goes back and forth here. Uh, there's... The general riding into battle here, Mizrani, this is what makes him look so dumb. Because, you know, he's he's this good guy. You, you kind of look back on the Lost World and everything else. Or you, you would figure, even at the time of Jurassic Park, especially if you read the book, you realize, like, even Hammond's not that great of a person. And that you wouldn't think that InGen would really be looking out for people's best interests. Hammond just happened to be the one voice of reason in this whole organization and that is realistic to the way the real corporate world would be 
And Ms. Ronnie comes in, he's a nice guy, and he's correcting Claire. You know, Claire gets to be the hero of the movie, but she starts out as a pretty big scumbag, let's be honest. And yeah. Ms. Ronnie's trying to correct her. Everybody in this movie's a scumbag. Ms. Ronnie's the one nice guy here. And he's like, oh, I'll ride into battle, even though I, I still have two lessons to go before I get my pilot's license. There's nobody else qualified for this. He basically handles this thing like uh, a four-year-old you know, playing an arcade game for the first time, and he crashes like five minutes after takeoff. Now, they, you could have done this sequence and had him flying around and landing people, and they're shooting, and they're trying to accomplish something, and then just something goes wrong. You know, uh, something rips the fuel line. But the way this whole sequence just happens so quickly, it just makes it look like he's a really bad pilot. And then that leads to everybody dying. Like, they could have handled this situation without opening up the aviary sunroof or whatever. And I just hate that they make him look like such an imbecile and that they kill him off right away. Like, every time this movie has an interesting character, they kill him. Mm. Uh, you know, except for the 15-year-old kid, which, which I assume he's going to come back and fall on Kingdom <laughs> or something. But uh, but while this is happening, we have uh, the Claire and Owen, as you said, showing up and, uh, you know, jumps out in the Jeep. There's the cool moment there with the Indominus. And again, when I first saw this and I saw that, that's the moment where I was hoping this is the original T-Rex, but no, it's still the Indominus. Uh, I don't know why he can't sense their warm bodies. Same here. Uh, he should have doused himself with gasoline. Uh, so they briefly visit the center, but then they're off again. So as the kids are driving back, we have uh, uh, everything that uh, um, ends up going wrong in this movie after Mosrani foolishly crashes into the aviary. And then we get a bunch of pteranodons and dimorphodons, which are basically pteranodons with teeth, which I don't know if this is a real dinosaur or not, but it's kind of fun. Uh, why they're all just encased in glass? Like, these are powerful creatures. Could they not have broken the glass on their own? That's another thing I don't understand. Uh, but I will say, what's coming up here, probably the best sequence of the whole movie, at least in my opinion. It doesn't come anywhere near what the first one had with the T-Rex attack uh, in the Jeeps. Nowhere near the, the trailer T-Rex attack in Lost World. I wouldn't even say it's necessarily at the level of the Pteranodon cage in uh, Jurassic Park 3. But I think this is the best stuff of the movie because we get all these pterosaurs loose uh, and they basically just kill everybody in the park. And, and it's just an incredible shot, you know, watching them come in to the park and then when we get, you know, the all the people screaming, like, that's kind of the visual that you always imagined over these years if, if something actually went wrong when this was a real park. And there's just a lot of great stuff that goes on in the scene. And I like the little background thing where uh, they have, like, Pterosaur, the IMAX experience, as they're basically <laughs> eating people to death. Uh, Zara's death, completely meaningless here. Like, it's a great shot, the way it comes in and scoops her up. An incredible shot. But again, why they feel the need to have these characters that they just kill off. And I don't know if this is something... It's a complaint I had in Titanic 2. It's a complaint I have with a lot of disaster movies. I don't think a disaster movie or even a movie like this should be about cheapening... Like, this person deserved to die. Because even if you watch the first Jurassic Park movie, when the lawyer dies... Yeah, it's kind of like this funny irony. Oh, the lawyer just gets eaten on the toilet. But... You're not supposed to dislike his character. You're not supposed to be cheering when he dies. And I almost feel like the way this is set up, like you're supposed to cheer when Zara dies here. Uh, but as we already said, she's just doing her job. And it's interesting because uh, there's something here on Wikipedia, and I don't know if you've read this before. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it here. Uh, that, that criticizes this sequence. Um, 
I haven't seen that. All right, right. You, you go on and talk about it. I, I, I love, I love the sequence. I'll come back to it in a minute, but yeah, I'll, I'll find it here. But it's an, it's an incredible sequence, this whole thing here. It ends in the really stupid two characters kiss for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> uh, which I think that there's a more effective way to do this. And we already talked about how I think that these love stories are better if you do it completely different. Uh, if you do it like the first two movies where it's barely even said in the movie, but probably my favorite sequence of the movie. And I'll come back to that Zara thing after you have your piece here. Um, I think, yeah, when Hoskins and Majorani had the thing, like 20,000 people, um, like the thing I don't get is this, do they just let 20,000 people in in the morning and only pick them up in the afternoon? Like, is there no way that these people can leave halfway through the day? You know, so it's, it's well, kind of weird to think that they just have to ferry them into a centre and then essentially there's no plans of evacuate. Like, I know they've said, like, oh, we will not evacuate already, but surely there's some mm-hmm. sort of boat that's there halfway during the day. <laughs> Helicopter? Uh, it, well, there's only one on the island, isn't there? Um, yeah. So it's only one pilot. I mean, they've literally got the military on this island. Like, it's in, like in a minute, we're like, Mizrani's in this helicopter. And for some reason, we need to humanize, like, two of these military men. I served in Afghanistan, sir. Like, I mean, do they not, like, see people? Like, I mean, and the logic of one of the little shits watching Granddad fix a car so I can fix a Jeep. This military guy should be like, <laughs> I was in Tora Bora and saw a man fly a helicopter. Can I fly? Like, why not? Like, there's, like, that's the logic that they use in this movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, it's just, even the, like, the dramaticness of it when he's, like, going out to the helicopter and you've got Vivian, like, I'm sorry, there's got to be someone else who can fly a pilot, like, helicopter. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just dumb. Like, if Bill Gates is in ground zero <laughs> during 9-11, and they're like, sir, we've got one more plane. Fly to the White House. I'll fly this. I've got flight simulator on Windows. Like, they're not <laughs> going to put Bill Gates in a plane. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it's just, like, I think a lot of this was, again, recycled sort of of what they wanted at the end of Jurassic Park 3 when you've got these, like, pterodons flying into the helicopter. Um I mean, I do like the bit where, you know, you've kind of got that guy dangling off and a pterodon just grabs him and then the other one kind of flies through the window and kills poor old Tora Bora man or whatever his name is. Um, and then just like smashing through. And then the, the worst bit about the whole thing is how everyone's so sad about it. Like Claire sees it and then Vivian's like, no, not Ms. Ronnie. Well, you could have prevented this from yeah. happening. Um, I mean, the Avery does look cool, but at the same time, it's, yeah, like that, surely they've tried to escape before or something like that. Um, and. And how I, do people view the animals in there? Yeah, exactly. Like, do they have a camouflage <laughs> log or something like that? Or, I don't know. But, um, yeah, like when I first saw this movie, I thought they'd like made a hybrid T-Rex with a pterodon, because those ones with like the teeth look like little T-Rex heads on, um, pterodons i do like the bit where the car's driving towards the fence and you've just got those two guys standing on the thing you're like beep, 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 and they're just like yeah well that's a first <laughs> like, are we supposed to do something here <laughs> i just think that's funny like, it's just so random um, but i want them to shoot the kids like you know stop no. stop. <laughs> stop 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 um yeah, all the all the stuff when they're attacking the park, like it's really cool. Like I agree with you, it looks great. And this is maybe one of the bits where the, the CGI actually does look really good. I do like yeah. the random uh, Jimmy Buffett 
cameo when he's grabbing his margaritas at Margaritaville. I don't know if you knew that. Um, oh, is that who? Yeah, so they, they've, they made, like, through all the product placements throughout this park, there's a place called Margaritaville, which, of course, is a Jimmy Buffett song. So, they've actually, if you see a man in that scene, it's like a real blink and you miss it. A guy holding two margaritas diving under a table, that's actually Jimmy Buffett. So, like, it's actually kind of like a nice little fun moment that they put in there, which I think is quite clever. Um, but I really don't know, and I can't wait to, for obvious reasons, I can't wait to see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. How is InGen still a company? All right, can we just establish their track record? In 1993, <laughs> they get five people killed on a park expedition to try and prove a park which fails miserably. Three years later, four years later, they somehow get a, par- a dinosaur loose in the streets of San Diego, killing who knows how many people, still exist as a company. Four years later, a boy gets lost on an island, and there's all these dinosaurs and everything, and here they are, opening up a park with 20,000 people, and how many people are dying here? Like, this is... <laughs> You know, if every time I open up Windows, I'm just ripping them Bill Gates all of a sudden. And, like, you know, the paperclip from Microsoft Word murdered a person. Like, do you think that Microsoft is staying alive as a company? No. Like, well, I do you know not crazy? know how this is possible. This company has outlasted both Sega and MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> what did they They never killed anybody. Well, Justin Timberlake killed MySpace, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, the one thing that this really does, like, gel over, and you, like, you pointed out with, like, the cheapening of death. Like, I don't know if it's possible to get a death toll from these pteranodons, like, killing the people. But just even the way, like, later on when we're going to get a scene when they're, like, in that shed and you see all these people with blood and, like, you know, and you just got that really nice voiceover, like, going, if you require medical assistance, get to your nearest tent. (laughs) <laughs> this is like a tragedy. Like this is absolutely like this is world news. This is absolutely everywhere. There's no way that there's not lawsuits and people are going like just up with arms about this. This is an absolute disaster zone. But who cares about these innocent people dying because uh Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Texas have to kiss. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels so forced. Oh, it's like, I want them to again make like a 9-11 movie where just because two characters have got rescued, they're like kissing as the towers fall down. Like, think about that. That's just, you know, how it is. The, yeah, the death scene is, uh, I just don't know how to feel about it because it's like, it is such an epic way they film it. But like, what did this woman do to warrant such a horrific death? It's not even just the case that, you know, like, even if one had have picked her up and thrown her in the water, like, that's even horrific. You've got, like, five pterodons, like, ripping her to shreds in the air. Yeah. Then fighting over in the water, only for the Mosasaurus, which is a great (laughs) shot. But then, like, you've just Mm. got the kids who just look and go, oh, no, and then they just run away. Like, they should be absolutely mortified over this. (laughs) This poor woman. Was... Was the intention of the movie to show that because she's distracted on her phone the whole time, she doesn't care about the kids? Okay, then if that's the case, Claire didn't care about the kids at the beginning of the movie. If being distracted on your phone's a problem, it's like, uh, Zach didn't care. Why are these characters not getting the same treatment? It's just, and I don't know, maybe they didn't intend for it to be like, oh, this, she's getting what, you know, she has coming to her. They probably didn't intend that, but that's the way it comes across because. Yeah. Like you said, it's just it's it's almost a little bit of cruelty with the way these these death objects expendable, and this is the uh, the part I was looking for here. So you can find this on Wikipedia, um, 
and by the way, this is talking about several different uh, reviewers, I guess, all criticized her death. And it says that even Sam Neill, apparently, who praised the movie, even Sam Neill noted that this death scene went a little bit too far. Uh, The quote here from Entertainment Weekly says, There's nothing amusing about the demise of Zara, who's as close to real people as Jurassic World gets, and is that unsettling quality about her death that more Hollywood disaster epics need in order to reclaim their visceral emotional prowess. (laughs) So it, it is kind of an interesting point, because if you had really set up her characters that she's an innocent, this death could be a powerful moment. If you play it the way that some of the deaths in the original Jurassic Park movies, like like Eddie, if they had played this, if they had one moment, it's like, hey, show some respect. That woman gave her life so that, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know, this park could run efficiently. <laughs> Anything. I think that this is a powerful death, but it's so throwaway that it's it's kind of the problem with this movie. There's also no stakes in a movie like this if you don't care about the people who die. If the only characters you care about are the heroes that are only heroes because everybody else is an idiot, a la Titanic, then you don't care about the people who die, and then the movie itself doesn't matter. Well, it's actually, I've found that section on Wikipedia, and actually the really interesting thing underneath it is, did you read this bit where it's got, several journalists have noted plot and character similarities between Jurassic World and the 1999 film Deep Blue Sea, and that senior (laughs) news director Christopher Rosen of Entertainment Weekly tweeted that Jurassic World is my favourite Deep Blue Sea remake of 2015. I see it. I can see some similarities. Um, Yeah, I just... Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, pause out. Like, do this with, um, uh, with Hoskins. Like, Hoskins' death scene is kind of just, like, he gets his comeuppance in a way, but, like, it's, you don't yeah. see anything graphic. It's just kind of, you see you getting his hand bitten and then you, it's all off screen. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this, I mean, is this the most graphic death scene in all the Jurassic Park movies? Like, you know, we talked about, uh, what's his name in the last movie, but even then, like, you kind of get him stabbed in the back and you just get it off screen when they snap his neck. So, I mean, yeah. this is all think, on screen. Yeah, that, that's the interesting thing is that if you look at all the major death scenes, even minor death scenes, I mean, uh, who do we have that had you know, a really violent scene for any of their deaths? Like Eddie, you could say Eddie's is kind of violent, but it's also very quick. And with scenes like that, or uh, and I keep forgetting the name of the lawyer. Who's the lawyer in the, uh, the Gennaro. first one? Gennaro. Gennaro. So you take like Eddie in Lost World or Gennaro. When they die... Uh, basically you're watching it happen, but the camera pulls away or the dinosaur pulls them up. So it's not as visible. They're like right in Zara's face. Every moment as she's being eaten alive by basically three separate dinosaurs throughout yeah. the course of this. And it's terrifying. It, it is it's like even the water bit when she's like struggling in the water and then you feel it yeah. like as she's kind of going to be pulled up, pulled down, pulled up, pulled down. Like even if the Mosasaur doesn't come out of nowhere and eat them, like it's still a pretty horrific. It's kind, it's kind of like, um, Oh, why have I gone blank in his name? Billy's sort of half death in Jurassic Park 3 when they're like, you know, playing with him in the water. Um, yeah. you know, but it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, like, it just, it's just pointless for such a character that just does not deserve this treatment. Yeah. Like, I just feel so bad for poor Zara's family. They should be suing <laughs> in Jen, like in. Oh, they will Kingdom. be. <laughs> the, the one bit too, which I just want to point out is like when they're all running around and all these dinosaurs are killing everyone. The bit that I just do not understand how Claire survives is when she stands up on like a table and he's like screaming at the kids. Like these pterodons are like ripping everyone out of heart on the ground. Did they not see her as like a clear target? Like, here she is, yeah. in the middle of all these things. Like, kill her! She's right there! 
No, very true. Um, and, and actually, there's one thing I've just written here. I've just written my notes. Uh, the, the one bit I do laugh at, though, is when um, Owen's like, son of a bitch, and the little shit kid shouldn't say bitch. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know why I laugh at that. It's so bad, but it's just kind of funny. There's another kind of weird moment that comes up after this where they, the ACU is still there and they uh, just shoot a pteranodon in the middle of the air. <laughs> which, by bit. the way, somebody's flying that helicopter. So yes! I'm just going to say, Masrani did not have to go in. <laughs> um, but again, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. Like, he shoots the thing, but then he turns and he smiles. Like, I don't know. They try to make some point about, you know, the cruelty of animals. Like, there's more. The Indominus is a serial killer, and we're trying to say, oh, these humans are abusing these animals or whatever. But anyway, so uh, the whole hunt for the Indominus starts at this point here. Um, there's the moment where you mentioned earlier with uh, Claire, you know, don't worry, I'm never, ever going to leave you again. They're like, no, we're talking about him. <laughs> so obviously, because... No character in this movie can exist unless they believe that Owen is the greatest human being to ever live, which just gets completely drilled in every time the kids talk from this point. I swear, the the rest of the dialogue they have in this movie is all about Owen and how much they worship him. Mm -hmm. uh, when Owen comes in and he finds Hoskins and he's putting his whole plan together and he just punches him, like, that's workplace violence. Though. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, that's inappropriate. It's a lawsuit. <laughs> because he, he, like, I understand there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. But when there's this much craziness going on, like, can you imagine anybody going there and punching a coworker in the middle of this? <laughs> like, Hoskins is still trying to help. I'm not going to say that, like, he's not Ludlow. Ludlow is completely misunderstood or misunderstood only because it was a very poorly written character. The, the movie was poorly written around a decent character. But, like, Hoskins is not a great guy, but he's still trying to help. And his plan does make sense. You don't know how to kill this Indominus. So far, all the people you've sent after, why are you worrying about the people? If you've got these animals, you could turn loose on it. Let the animals kill him, you know? Yep, so exactly. his plan makes sense. So why Chris Pratt has to come in and punch him in the face? I don't know, especially since he goes along with his plan as soon as he lets him <laughs> open his mouth. You know, they talk about, um, uh, you know, oh, this is a field test or whatever. It's like... Uh, uh, basically, you planned this. I love when he said, you wanted this to happen. I think it was Claire that says, you wanted this to happen. Like, yes, he planned for you to breed a dinosaur that was completely without a control to have a dumb fat worker who's lazy and couldn't watch this thing 24-7 and didn't realize his camouflaged to have your boyfriend or whatever uh, let this thing out by leaving the door open <laughs> and then have your boss crash a helicopter. So far, Hoskins is the only person in this movie who's not done anything to cause <laughs> He hasn't. This. He really is just taking an opportunity to, like, you know, try something out and help out. Like, again, yeah. you know, we've established that the Indominus Rex isn't bad. He's just trying to help out the other dinosaurs. And he's Hoskins, <laughs> like, oh, I can help. I'll help everyone. I know. Let's do all this. We're just, it's kind of like Survivor when they, you know, they edit around it to make people sound evil, where it's just kind of half of what they yeah. say. So all this stuff Hoskins is saying, he's like, a wolf attacked me. Like the next scene was like, but then we got my wife medical assistance and the poor little wolf, like, you know, became our good little puppy and we lived a happily ever after. I might call my wife now and see what she's up to. <laughs> it's just like so edited around him being evil. <laughs> That whole wolf pup story, like, he understands what Owen's doing here. And there's several moments, like, even the one here where, um, <coughs> sorry, no editing in this episode. <laughs> 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 that, that was the sound of the Mosasaurus after eating Zara. No, uh, Tom, Tom some sound effects. Aiden and Patasaurus for sport. 
<laughs> it would have been louder if it was for hunger. <laughs> That's how you know it was for sport. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when he has the sort of the wolf pup and everything, you know, he obviously understands what Owen's position is. He's not just some fool who came in here as like, I know how we can make money on this. Like, he's thinking about how to keep the, as he says, keep the company alive. We're almost going to probably get this reputation as like, we're just going <laughs> to defend every villain. But like, there, there is some validity to, to defending how we're defending Hoskins here. Even though I think he is a more clear-cut villain, as you said, that death scene for Zara would have worked for somebody like him because he is kind of a bad guy. But at no point does he want to hurt the Raptors. Like he actually tries to be friendly with them and everything. And even the one where um, we always forget the name of the the guy who doesn't matter in this. Um, oh, the, the, yeah, that guy. <laughs> cool sidekick to Chris Pratt, who gets nothing decent to do in this movie. Black Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, because <laughs> Chris Pratt has to have the spotlight and everything. But so why is this considered you know, when... racist? Just because he's black sidekicks, a sidekick, like he should be the oh, main yeah. person. <laughs> White yeah, supremacy we... coming in here and taking over. <laughs> this movie's racist <laughs> as well as it is sexist. And they're gonna put him in heels in the next movie, and then yeah. it's gonna be, you're against transgenders as well. <laughs> If we really are living in this world where you're taking a kid's movie like Jurassic Park that you are going to assume the worst of the filmmakers, that they are basically playing out about every stereotype that holds every human being down everywhere in the world. <laughs> it really is ridiculous. But, um, yeah, back to what I was saying with Hoskins where, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, they're, they're looking right at you because they, they, they look at what they want to eat or whatever, you know – that's not nothing against him. He's not sitting there taunting him. He's not sitting there, hey, hey, stick, stick, stupid. He's just, hey, how's it going, buddy? He kind of wants to make friends with the Raptors. So, yeah, let's give him a bit of a break. Anyways, he even says this whole operation is happening with or without you. So, of course, Chris Pratt's like, all right, I'm the hero. If it's happening, you know, anyways, I'm going to be the hero here. Uh, when he introduces the kids. Now, why they bring the kids this close to the Raptors when they were almost eaten by an Indominus Rex? That's kind of bad. You can't call it parenting, uh, anteing, uh, uncleing. I don't know. Um, but as he's telling the names of them, it's like, oh, this one is Delta. This one is Echo. This one is Charlie. That one's Blue. I'm like this guy really doesn't. For a guy in the navy, he does not know his military alphabet. Where does Blue come in here? Should it not be called Bravo? Is there well, a reason it's got blue stripes blue? on it? So I don't know. It's just uh, it, he he breaks his whole military thing just for this. Uh, I did want to mention though. Um, there, Doritos has this big promotion thing going on. I don't know. Do you have the Jurassic uh, World Doritos there? Um, I saw them in Thailand. Well, I saw some version of chips. It was in Thai, but it had dinosaur on it. So I just assumed they were like, you know, Indominus Rex flavored Doritos or something. But then, uh, since I've been back, I have seen, yeah, some Doritos with like dinosaurs on the front of them. Yeah. So the, the one flavor, which I'm going to encourage everybody to try, cause it sounds so bizarre, but it is absolutely amazing. Uh, is the the one that's based on blue? So it's called like uh, Jurassic World Blue Grilled Steak, <laughs> and it's blue on the bag, but it's a Dorito flavor like grilled steak, which is usually when they have those flavors, like yeah, I can kind of taste it. Like this tastes like grilled steak and but what Doritos. What meat is it? Like, is this going back to our first episode where we're talking about like dinosaur food? Is it grilled blue? Yeah. Like, is it grilled raptor? Is this what they're saying? <sighs> He's gonna eat the goat steak. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter, kid? You know that steak chops? <laughs> but it is really good. Vegan <laughs> So now they're dumping on vegetarian. 
Vegans too. <laughs> no, in 2018, I happen to be a vegan. <laughs> There's no difference. Bloody hell. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so when this happens here, you know, I, I do have to wonder again about the whole they've never been out of containment because he says something about or, or Owen says something about, you know, when they get on their mark and they will get on the mark. But then he says, well, they've never been out of containment. He knows nothing about what's going to happen. Like these things have been locked in a cage their entire life. And I don't care what training you've done for them. You turn them loose for the first time. Like it's going to be like a dog who sees a shining light. They're just going to be all over the place. But he's so confident. No, no, they'll listen to what I tell them to. Uh, but one thing I do have to say the oh, quickly, the, the moment where Claire puts the kids in the, the back of the van, so okay, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts. And they look around and they start like reaching. It's, it's really good physical comedy for the kids too. They're like reaching and like, there's nothing there. It's just like, um, just hold each other's hands. And she closes the doors and you slowly see Gray <laughs> actually hold his hand, which is actually funny. Gray has some good moments. Give me that one at least. Oh, get a haircut. Okay. <laughs> But this next sequence here, uh, probably one of three really good sequences in the movie. Not quite as good as the uh, the the attack on the park that we just saw. But the way that the buildup is for this, um, and I guess this is the main thing we'll talk about here. Uh, the motorcycle riding, which of course, I, I don't remember it specifically from the book, but I guess this is something that Spielberg had been wanting to do for every single Jurassic Park movie. We kind of saw it a little bit with the... Uh, uh, the InGen guys, you know, taking down the the Pachycephalosaurus and the Parasaurolophus and all the other ones in uh, the the motorcycles or their jeeps or whatever they had. But Steven Spielberg just loved this this image he had in his head about you know a motorcycle riding alongside raptors. And this is the moment that caused so much controversy with the whole "you can't train raptors." It's the dumbest thing ever. It looks incredible. I don't care if it's the dumbest thing ever. Like, I don't think it's the dumbest thing ever, but this is one of the great shots of the movie, which is why it's basically the poster shot mm-hmm. for this, uh, with Chris Pratt right alongside these things. It looks incredible. The music, like Michael Giacchino's music, I remember seeing this the first time and thinking, yeah, there's some really good themes in there. And as I said, I couldn't stop listening. I'd listened to just this for two weeks. And yet I still forget, like three years later, how good the music is in this sequence here as they're riding towards the Indominus. Uh, and, Something about it being in the dark, I think, makes the Raptors look a little bit better here. It makes the Indominus looks better. Uh, when the Indominus, though, uh, finds the Raptors and they do that whole call thing and you realize it's communicating with them. Again, <laughs> this thing's been in captivity in a cage, has never observed anything other than what they feed him. How does it know the language? <laughs> so many problems with the Indominus Rex in this movie. But yet I have to say... I wish that I could just be like the Indominus Rex is the dumbest idea ever just because of how intelligent they make it and there's no logic that goes along with it. But like, I actually really like the Indominus Rex. And I think they probably could have made it look a little bit more different than, you know, just your typical Tyrannosaurus, especially in a sequence like this. He can't tell that much of a difference. But like, it, it, it looks really cool and it is a cool dinosaur and I don't think it's going to come back again. But. You know, I think these big dinosaurs, you always end up... Well, I'll mention on the end how they kind of become the hero character of this. Uh, But this sequence here where the raptors are with him, it was a good surprise in the movie. It wasn't so dumb that I was like gymnast kicking a raptor. It was was just dumb enough where you're like, yeah, you know, that's kind of stupid, but boy, this is cool. Like To see the raptors turn, and it was probably one of the few 
good twists in this movie that you didn't see coming. And then the sequence where you have all the, the military guys shooting them and the raptors picking them apart, this is sort of what I always envisioned that first Jurassic Park sequel to be. You know, you're going back to reclaim the island and you have to send in the Marines or the Navy or the Army or anything. And just seeing all these soldiers do battle with raptors, it's, it's incredible. It's one of the few sequences of the movie that you can really take seriously because there's no goofy comic tone to it at all. Uh, so I, I love this sequence here. Uh, and I think it's, it's probably, again, not nearly on the level with even, let's take like the, the river attack with the, um, uh, Spinosaurus in Jurassic Park 3. Like, none of the action scenes in this movie are quite as good as the best action sequences from any of the first three movies. But I still think it's good enough. Like, this belongs in a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting saying about the Indominus Rex. It's like, I don't dislike the Indominus Rex either. It's just, I mean, you know, we've gone over about how each of the films has its sort of own unique dinosaur. I mean, the thing that kind of through the trailers and the footage we've seen of Fallen Kingdom is that the the new one in that Indoraptor doesn't really look that much different. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. But um, I do like the um, the bit where... Um, is this, have I, have we gone over the bit where he, where Claire's like yelling at the kids and she's like, it's okay to yell at people when you're scared. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, that's part of the sequence here. Yeah. I've just written that down here. It's okay to lie. Yeah. It's okay to lie when somebody's scared. (laughs) Oh, it's just such a weird line. (laughs) It's just Claire, like just not being good with kids. It's so me. Um... But yeah, I mean, the, the only thing really, I mean, to add, I mean, just a few, like, nitpicky bits, but like, when he, when he's got the flesh, and he's like, trying to get the raptors to sniff it, mm-hmm. how did he get that flesh? That was on the Asian dude who got, like, mauled by the, the Indominus Rex, like, an hour ago. <laughs> did he, like, go, okay, right, like, quick, let's go get that flesh. Um, yeah, good like, point. <laughs> it's still not, like, does, does, how quickly does it take for flesh to, like, go all gross and everything? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, but like yeah like going like the reveal is kind of cool and like it's part raptor like again like i get why they've kind of kept it secret because this is like you know a big plot twist thing but i don't know like even just the way it's done and then five minutes later they're going to be back on team chris pratt anyway so it's you know it's and then he's like saying like don't shoot my raptors and then five minutes later they're all getting shot anyway um but he's shooting another dinosaur while he's saying don't shoot my raptor I do like some of the scenes. I like, I like that bit when like Chris Pratt's kind of there and he's just staring at one of the raptors and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like a rocket comes out and just blows it up. Um, Can I ask a question about that though? Sure. The raptor's eyes are on the side of their head. How are they looking at him straight forward? Um, because like when the other guy is in the, uh, um, when he's hiding, I think it's in a log or something like that. The raptor actually has to turn its head so its eye can look directly at him. But yet, when they look at Chris Pratt throughout this movie, it's always dead on, like face to face. Well, isn't it like with animals that have their eyes? Like, I mean, I mean the T Rex, the Indominus Raptor, they've all got it on the Indominus Rex. They've all got it on the side of their head. But like, isn't that a thing where you have more peripheral vision with animals when they've got them on the side of the head? If you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a I thing with that, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I I like the fact, like actually, the scene when they're watching in the control room. Um, and you've kind of got, like, the cameras on, like, you see the cameras eating the people. Like, that is actually a bit, like, scary. Like, when you just see that one person, like, going, ah, like, getting ripped to pieces by a raptor. 
Um, there just yeah, always seems to be a Lowry's, thing. Lowry's uh, Lowry's workmate there. The way that she freaks out is pretty good too. Yeah, I mean she's got those eyes that kind of you know work in those sort of scenes. The, <laughs> I don't know how to. I, it's like it's attempting to be a funny moment, but it cuts, cuts across as really awkward and shitty. When like it's like someone needs to stay behind, and he gets up to go kiss her, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, I've got a boyfriend." <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Gives a hug and leaves. Like, yeah, it's funny. But at the same time, like, it's, I don't know how to feel about it. It's kind of like the death of Zara. Well, like, it's kind of like, you see what they're trying to do, but it just kind of comes across as, like, a bit hammy. I don't know. But I, no, I do agree, but I, I like the way that they kind of drag it out, where it's like, <laughs> I have a boyfriend. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't realize you were, like, together. Okay, well, we are. It's like, uh, it's just, you never talk about him. It's like, well, I'm at work. It's like, oh, okay, all right, handshake. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, I'm kind of... Because I don't think either of them are going to be in Fallen Kingdom, which, you know, I, I kind of think they could be, you know, because kind of... You always need one of these techie people, don't you, in sort of movies like this, so I don't see yeah. why they couldn't be brought back. Um, are we... Are you... Did you want to talk about the Wu one separately, or is that kind of in where you're here as well, where well, Wu I mean, leaves yeah, with his suitcase? Let's quickly <laughs> include... Like, you're talking about Hoskins and Wu and how Wu, uh, you know, this plan B that they talk about. Yeah, which, like... And I'm dumb not to completely understand this because, like, all of a sudden we find no. out that they're they're in cahoots with each other, which this is really the you know Wu is evil moment. But it's mm-hmm. kind of I don't fully understand because, like, we've just gone over that Hoskins is kind of helping here, but this is kind of seemingly was his plan all along. But then what what is what is he in cahoots with Hoskins with? Because Hoskins wants is he just trying to get Wu to sell him the embryos? You know, behind the back of Ingen is that well, kind of what they're implying? I mean, I'm assuming this scene and Wu escaping with the embryos was all about whatever setup they wanted for the sequel. Because, I mean, I don't know how much they had actually figured out what they wanted to do with the sequel, but obviously they want to go somewhere with this whole, uh, let's sell this to the military. And I think if you kind of read between the lines, and we're going to find out in like two weeks, of course, when this comes out, but you read between the lines, you can sort of see like, Hoskins idea that this was to save the companies like if the company's going to go under we need to have this plan b and that Wu was in on this with him but it really does go nowhere in this movie I even made the note that this had better pay off with a better explanation in Fallen Kingdom uh and is Wu supposed to be in Fallen Kingdom he is Wu is in in Fallen Kingdom but like okay. I get it but like even if the fact here because like on Wikipedia according to Wikipedia it says Hoskins arranges Dr. Henry Wu to leave the island with the dinosaur embryos in order to protect his research now there's only a couple of dinosaurs loose here at the moment, right? It's not like mm-hmm. the volcano's erupting at this point. Like, I don't see why they have to, like, quickly leave with the, all the evidence now because it's not like these people are going to be evacuated and they're going to send in, like, a recovery team a day later to train the dinos and kind of bring it back into order. Again, if That's... a shooter's going through Disneyland, it's not like they're just going to leave it rot for three hours. Oh, well, shooter killed down Mickey Mouse. It doesn't matter if just leave Disneyland and all the history and research behind, you know? Like, it's, it seems dumb that they've got to, got this thing like, oh, we better leave now with the research. But that's what that's what's even weirder because... Wu says that himself when they're like, hey, we got to evacuate and I need you to get the embryos. And he says, you know, the embryos can survive for eight weeks here on their own. He says, no, you, you got to get them out now. So there's obviously something else there that they haven't said. But even Wu asked that question in this movie. So there must be some explanation. It's just a matter of whether or not they will pay that off. 
Yeah, I do. I do like. Um, I know I'm jumping ahead here because like it's, it's Hoskins' death, but there's a line which he says when he's talking about the fact that they're wanting to create like different hybrids for you know military purposes. But he says the line about how he's looking at the Indominus Rex and he's like, imagine this, but like the size of a dog or something like that. Like that. I don't yeah. know if you remember in the the first book. That was kind of a, a, a real sort of side plot, which is InGen was mm. talking about with their, the fact that they've got dinosaurs. We can create these to any size we want. We can have dinosaur pets and we can create dinosaur food, which you have to buy from InGen. Like that was something that was actually explored in the book. So I kind of, it's, an, it's another mm. throwaway line, but I still kind of like that, that they've kind of harked back to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm jumping all over the place with everything here with, with all these scenes, but I mean, I, I do like it, although it just, it is weird that these kids have to be involved at the end. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. Like, I mean, this would be like in the Lost World. Like, Kelly has to go along with, you know, Ian and Sarah for whatever reason. Like, they don't need to be there. Like, it's just dumb. Um, and like, cause it's going to lead to maybe one of the, like, the worst lines of the movie, which I just do not understand how it turns into the heroic moment for Claire, but we'll get to that. I think. We've clearly established, you know, Jurassic Park movie needs to have kids there. And the whole reason they're there in these movies is to give you that sense of fear. Uh, because you're going to be a lot more afraid for the life of a child than you are for eh, I'm not know, in this movie. Chris Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> no, most of us, <laughs> rational people, <laughs> those of us who aren't sociopaths. But um, <laughs> you got a lot in common with the Indominus Rex now that I think about it. Uh, anyways. Yeah, they modeled it uh, off me. <laughs> but... Um, I think the problem is, it's exactly like you said, what did they need to be here for? Their story basically wraps up as soon as they get back to the park, which is one of the reasons I thought it should spend a lot more time in the old Jurassic Park. And yeah, you have to find the Indominus, but then maybe you know, you're know you also trying to find the kids, or you just stumble across the kids. Uh, the same thing, like you said, with The Lost World. That's one of the other reasons why I think that Eric is better in Jurassic Park 3 than you give him credit for. Because other than Lex and Tim, he's the only kid we've seen in any of these movies that actually needs to be there from the first scene to the end. And it's not a stretch. Because they're here, like, you know, putting them in the back of a van or whatever, but there's tons of opportunities they could have gotten to get these kids out. Like, do you not think that she would have been like, okay, we have evacuation plans, or wherever the rest of the people are, why does she keep them with her when she's basically going into the war zone here? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I agree, and it's... I, there's a lot of not making sense. It's like, he's, again, he's all of ACU murdered by the Raptors. Why aren't they, they helping out? Like, are there yeah. not people guarding the survivors here? Where are the survivors? Like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of this free question. range here. The control room's not being controlled. So it's not just, you know, like, are there only... So can we just establish the amount of carnivores on this island? We have one T-Rex. We have one Indominus Rex, like four Raptors. Is that it? Have they listened to us and made Herbivore Park? Where are the other, like, loose dinosaurs? Where are the well, Dilophosauruses that are on this island? Shouldn't they have gotten through the fence? Why have the Pterodons stopped killing people? Did they really shoot and murder all of them? There were thousands of them. So, like, it just can seems... Can we count them? Because... Yeah, we should. <laughs> they, they say there are 14 herbivores and 6 carnivores. Now, that doesn't include the Indominus, because, of course, that's not public at that point. So we have, what, the T-Rex, the we have the Raptors... We mm-hmm. have the Tyrannodons and the Dimorphodons, or if you, let's say you even include them as one species, but realistically they're two, because they're two separate ones. So here, so you're, there's probably Dilophosaurus somewhere on there. There has to be. Why would they kill them off? Like that's, a, and because they, they mentioned Dilophosaurus venom and you get the hologram of it at some point. So you gotta yeah. assume that there's Dilophosaurus. I mean, Spinosaurus, there's a skeleton of it, so at least it's kind of, 
you know, whether or not that's just a, hey, we created this on site B, but you're not going to see it here. Like, you know. Mosasaurus. There we go. We got our six. So that's our (laughs) six. So did they say there's only six species of carnivore, right? They they said that, yeah, not including the Indominus. Right. So hang on. To go over our six, what were they? The two pterodons, raptor, T-Rex... Uh, Dilophosaurus and Spinosaurus. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, where, where are well, not, they? Not, like... not a Spinosaurus, Mosasaurus. Oh, Mosasaurus. Sorry, you're right, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, the Dilophosaurus is somewhere. Like, they're just not attacking people. They're just nice and sleeping. They're going to wake up. Maybe that's where Fallen Kingdom picks up. You've got a Dilophosaurus waking up. Oh, right, what did I miss? <laughs> the only ones that sat out the battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lazy carnivores. <laughs> they're on holiday. They're off in mainland Costa Rica with cameras around their neck. Incognito. We're not dinosaurs. Click, click. <laughs> You shouldn't lose my real name. Dilophosaurus! We got Dilophosaurus here! <laughs> We're so smart, and then somebody comes up to us, Stick! 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 Stupid horse! Stick! stick stupid! <laughs> uh, so, we start to actually get the point of Claire's character here, too, because it, it it still bothers me that people try to say, Oh, you know, this this woman, she can't be a working woman. She has to want to become a mother. The movie says nothing about her wanting to become a mother at the end. It's about her wanting to protect her nephews because she even says here, what's the first moment she has of being protective over these kids where uh, she says, you know, oh, your mother's never going to let me see you ever again. You realize like she actually does care about these kids. It's about that more than anything. It's it, there's, there's two things. It's about her realizing not everything's just like the cut and dry corporate world, which is what was set up by Mizrani earlier on. And then there was a whole, oh, I don't even know the kids' uh, ages or when Grady's making fun of her. Like, you don't even know how old your own nephews are. <laughs> and you realize here it's like, oh, she'd actually be devastated if she couldn't see them again. Uh, so that's a little bit of a setup that's going to come along later on. But uh, there's the Hoskins and Wu scene, like you mentioned, we already went through. Um, when Hoskins basically says, like, the park's going to be in Chapter 11 by morning. And that's when you get, like, this, this actually would make sense. But do you really think the U.S. government's going to trust a company that has now allowed probably dozens of people to die after dozens Again? have died in the decade prior? Again? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure the U.S. government's not going to mind that. Well, is like, Trump president? About- or who's president? <laughs> Obama's president here? Well, okay, Obama's president, right, so he's going to care. But if Trump's president, he's like, you know, nothing happened. <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> Nobody died. <laughs> he tweets about it in capital letters. Nobody died. It's a fake news media. No one would believe the amount of dinosaurs. No one's got anything better. Nothing. Nothing better than our dinosaurs. Um, so the, the, the boyfriend scene, which I thought was kind of funny. I just wanted to say really quickly, because I mentioned at the beginning of the movie that I, I didn't really like this guy. I thought maybe he was just trying a little too hard. It was a little bit annoying. I still think that... Some of his whole trendiness and, you know, this park was legit. But this guy is a really good comedic actor. And uh, I I didn't love him in this movie, but I think he's grown on me even just the more we go over this. Uh, I did see him in the last year in The Mummy with Tom Cruise, uh, which, by the way, is still an underrated movie. Not a great movie, but underrated. Not nearly as bad as people say. And he played basically the same role. He was this really over-the-top comic relief, and I thought he was fantastic in The Mummy. So this is one guy I'd like to see pop up, even if it's not in the next movie. Like, just pop up in something. Uh, by the way, I'm just looking at his Bond, filmography apparently. here. That's what I was just about to say. Who's Peregrine <laughs> Carruthers? Don't know. He's apparently the voice of uh, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. In the, is that the new video game that's yeah, coming out? Oh, it's an yeah, the one. new okay. man. 
yeah, so I, I think that this guy's maybe not the best handled in this movie, but I think he, this guy, Jake Johnson, is hilarious. Uh, and definitely check him out in The Mummy, even if you don't like the movie. I mean, he, he is pretty good in it. He's in uh, the Natalie Portman movie, No Strings Attached. Woo! All right, that's it. Enough <laughs> on Natalie Portman. <laughs> uh, a little bit cruel with the Hoskins' death here, okay? So we sort of explain on He... I think defends himself pretty well here. And again, when the Raptor comes up, he's not being cruel to it. He's not stick stupid. He's not, you know, uh, taunting it or, uh, no, not doing gymnastics. He's doing nothing wrong, but you do understand that because of the type of villain he is, that he's going to get the death scene like this where it bites off his arm. <sighs> uh, Colin's bored by his death. I didn't yawn during the five hours of Jurassic Park 1. That should tell you where the series is headed here. But <laughs> I, the way that it bites his hand and everything, I still think it's a good death because it's memorable. And it, looking back on the other movies, I mean, most of the time we just see people getting eaten. Do we really have any other death scenes other than, let's say, in part three, there's um, the, the claw into Michael Jeter's back. Uh, that's something where I can remember other than just chomping down on somebody. Uh who else really has like a really clever original Cooper! type of death scene? <laughs> Cooper? <laughs> That's Cooper. <laughs> That's... He punched me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I think this is one of the more memorable death moments here. But what bothers me is that Grady just runs out of here as he's dying. He makes no attempt to save. And I understand he couldn't do much, but this is animal. I'm sure he could talk the animal down. But let go of Hoskins' hand. <laughs> Come on, come on. No, no. Don't move up to the what elbow. What's clicky thing? What's that clicky thing he's yeah. got? We've not even talked about that. What is that? Yeah, what if he's like, leave the, <laughs> leave the shoulder alone. No, don't you get to his neck. Don't you. Hey, blue. That's, Put down his even, leg. <laughs> and they run away, and this is another one of the moments where it's like, it, it probably comes across like a little bit more you know, disposable character than it should, and I think that Maybe in a Jurassic Park movie, there should you should dwell on the death a little bit more. Because when they run away, it's like they don't even care. At no point are they even screaming, oh, I, like the kids aren't even like, I just saw a man's arm get bitten off by a velociraptor. <laughs> like they just run to, oh, he's dead. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, and let's, uh, I guess we just have really the end to talk about here. So let's just wrap it all up. Uh, we get to the, the big climax here, which is basically three fights. You have the uh, uh, Indominus versus the Raptors. Then you have the Indominus versus the T-Rex. And then you have the Indominus and the T-Rex and the Mosasaurus against... Uh, or, sorry, the T-Rex and the Raptors against... Uh, the Everybody against the Indominus Rex. Everybody <laughs> and Claire against the Indominus Rex. Uh, the Lophosauruses are not there, though. They're sleeping. The holograms are there, though. They're there in spirit. <laughs> Which, that was a kind of a fun shot, too. Um... All right, so I'm going to talk about the big thing here, the high heel running. Now, this got so much criticism when it came out, as a lot of things did in this movie. It's it's bizarre that a movie that had this much bad publicity leading into it, uh, for really no reason at all, ended up becoming as big as it was. Because I feel like even though this got a lot of criticism, maybe people have forgiven it, maybe partly because they realize it's not quite as sexist as you make it out to be. In my opinion, there's nothing sexist about this. And uh, Jamie would be the perfect example because she kind of gets these scenes and she would look at it and say, yeah, that's, that, that's how you show her as a tough businesswoman. Like, she's a businesswoman. You're not going to have her out there holding a gun 
or anything. How do you show that she's tough? Well, she can run around in heels, and any woman who has worn heels will tell you. I mean, it's incredibly difficult, requires an incredible amount of skill, and to run around in it, that makes her the hero, you know? Some men know as well. Jamie's like, yes! (laughs) She's agreeing with me. Now, let's even take that out of it. He said, why don't you put on some heels and try it, she said. <laughs> That's one but thing think... that I'm glad men don't have to do, is that and push yep. a baby out of their vagina, but it's also wearing heels, because like I just, yeah, don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, we've tried it, not fans of it, right? Have but... we? Well, I haven't. What are you, against transgender people now, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking that you, what do you do, like, when Jamie's not home, just whip on a pair of her, like, you know, <laughs> shoes, and, oh, these are all right. My ankles look really nice in these. <laughs> Well, let's be honest. I mean, if you probably most guys are probably at least. What does this feel like? How is this possible? Because it's like walking on stilts. You just don't get it. Which is, I'm not which saying is I, why. Which is why. Like you'll laugh at what I'm about to say. This is why I respect women a lot more than I probably ever give. You know, say for it. Because like <laughs> they're literally walking around on something that's like a centimeter wide and like ten centimeters tall. Their foot's in the most awkwardly, uncomfortably bent position, and yet they walk around in it fine and like look all glamorous. So like, good on you, women, for wearing those shoes. Yeah. But let's take that even out because there's still some people complain, oh, it's sexist to have her running around in heels. They go out of their way to show it during the most intense moments of this movie. Now, they don't – people look back on this movie and they're like, she was wearing heels the whole time. Why would she wear heels when she jumped off a waterfall? Why would she wear heels when she did this and that? She never left the office intending for any of this to happen. And – I've heard some people or read some reviews where they say, like she wouldn't have had another pair of shoes to change into. Well, she's in the office when she finds out this all went down and that her nephews are lost. Should she have waited five minutes and risked her nephews dying so she could go to her locker and change shoes? And I'm not even going to argue like the logic. Logically, it makes sense that she'd probably still have the same shoes on. I Realistically, she would have ditched them and rather walked around barefoot. Yeah. But even putting that aside, this isn't a movie that's trying to be logical. So I'm not going to use think- that as... To, to interrupt you quickly, I think it's fascinating that you say that I, I've never, maybe I've just avoided the bits because I just roll my eyes when people are talking about the other thing being sexist, but I've never heard of this scene being sexist. The bit that I complain mm. about this scene is that, is it logical that she could outrun a freaking T-Rex in, in yeah. high heels? I don't think a Sane Bolt in his brand new pair of Nikes could outrun <laughs> this T-Rex. Like, that's my point I get complaining about this scene. Well, you can even see it in the same Wikipedia one. It says, uh, the New York Times, New York, and Slate considered the film's depiction of Claire to be sexist, including her use of high heels throughout the film. No. Now, Why I'm going to put all those, no. <laughs> I'm going to put all those arguments aside and just say this one thing. Like, I give my opinion that I think it makes her look a little bit more confident and tougher. You could say that it logically makes sense, but the movie never intended for those two things. Bryce Dallas Howard has actually come out within the last day or so to talk about this. I don't have the whole article up, but she basically explained that the script for Fallen Kingdom went out of its way to mention when Claire first appears that she's wearing sneakers, basically to make a joke about the fact, okay, we understand, we had, people didn't like her in heels, so the, it was supposed to open with a shot of her wearing just regular shoes when she's introduced in Fallen Kingdom. Bryce Dallas Howard said, no, she should be wearing heels because I guess where she's being introduced is at a meeting or something like that. And she's like, this still is a corporate woman. The character will be wearing it. And then Bryce Dallas Howard went on this, this huge rant about the whole point of her wearing heels in the first movie was about this woman who had never left the corporate environment. 
So she wasn't equipped to do any of this. And if you don't think that that's the intention of the movie, I don't think it's a smart thing. I don't think it's necessary. But the scene with Mizrani says that was like, oh, profits are up. Attendance is up. And he's like, no, how are people enjoying the park? Are the dinosaurs having fun? You know, uh, they clearly stated from the beginning of this movie that it was about a woman who couldn't leave behind the whole corporate environment. So to have her in heels, whether it's, you know, dumb or not, whether it really was needed or not, it clearly was not an intention to be sexist or to, you know, uh, do anything demeaning to her character. Bryce Dallas Howard has said that the intention, even in the first movie, was to be about a woman being pulled out of the corporate environment and how she would have to survive. And she's insisted on having scenes where she's in heels in the next movie. I just think it's like, to me, it's almost the opposite. Like, it shouldn't be perceived as sexist. Shouldn't it be the complete opposite that a, you know, a woman can do anything and like, here she's in her heels and yeah. she can still outrun a freaking T-Rex? Like, I mean, for God's well, sakes, like, it doesn't, I, like, if she's, if she's running away from the T-Rex, like, making a sandwich and washing the dishes, then that's kind of sexist. But she's not. Like, she's, she's running away in yeah. high heels. Like, that should be the complete opposite of sexist. I think, oh, God. There's, um, the TV show, uh, Supergirl. There's a great speech in the first episode, I don't know if you saw it, where uh, Calissa Flockhart's character, Kat Grant, who's like the big boss, the Perry White, uh, she goes on the speech about when they're trying to talk about the name girl is demeaning. She's like, it's not demeaning at all. And it's it's actually one of the, the smartest speeches. You look up a YouTube clip of it where she talks about girl is not an offensive term. And, and I kind of love that. And I think that maybe there's been a bit of a shift where it's not let's be so overly sensitive to be like anything uh, portraying a woman as being feminine is automatically sexist. It's like it's embracing being a woman. Like I said, to be able to do that, to me, that makes her a cooler action hero, whatever you want to call her. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's to me, it's there are women who are going to be want to be feminine. There are women who are not going to you know want to be masculine. They're going to be in between. It's not different. There's going to be men who want to be masculine. Men who want to be feminine. Men in between. Like, what does it matter? Like, it really doesn't matter. This is one thing we should be learning in this day and age is at the end of the day, you can be whoever you want to be, except for the little yeah. kids in this movie because the little shits and they should be eaten. <laughs> uh, so just wrapping up the movie here, All she French. runs around in high heels for, for the whole... Just <laughs> <laughs> had to throw that in there. <laughs> so Claire runs around in high heels for the rest of the movie here. Um, and she gets to be the star. You mentioned this in the beginning that... The idea that this movie is a sexist depiction. She's the real hero. Yes, I'm kind of annoyed that they go out of their way to make Chris Pratt so amazing at anything, but he's completely sidelined during the rest of this. He's the one hiding out with the kids through this entire action sequence. And when Gray does his really weird Rain Man thing, it's like 14, 15, 26, which is completely dumb. But still, he's like, we need more teeth. And she gets the idea, okay, well, I'll get another dinosaur. For one thing, I love the reveal that I don't, it was probably just like the thing where it's like, you know, it's part raptor. I didn't expect them to, at that moment, have her go get the T-Rex or whatever. Uh, I probably at this point was thinking, well, that was a disappointment of a cameo for the T-Rex that we had, you know, for the log, camouflage log or whatever. But when she runs off with the flare and gets the T-Rex, I mean, they don't even show what she's doing until it comes out, which is amazing. But this is all her on the end here. And if you look at all the other Jurassic Park movies, it's basically a split between the characters. Uh, Alan and Ellie are both kind of having their their action moments during the final moments of Jurassic Park. Uh, Ian and Sarah are both, you know, basically splitting 50-50 the Lost World. Uh, 
the, the entire family, including Eric, the child, and <laughs> Alan take part in the Jurassic Park 3 one. Uh, this is all one person. So this is a first for a Jurassic Park movie to basically have one character get the hero moment with the dinosaurs at the end. So this movie went out of its way to actually make the female hero the strongest character, at least on the end. I think she is the star of the movie, and she's probably slight. I don't think she's a great character, but I don't think this movie has any great characters. It's not a fault of her or the depiction. It's just it's not a character movie. But yeah, she's the big star here. Uh, I love the fight scene. All the fight scenes we get are amazing. So as much complaints I have about this movie, and even in rewatching it, I was thinking to myself this whole time, I was like, is this movie worse than I even gave it credit for each? Because each time I watch it, I get less and less interested in it. But mm-hmm. then all of this stuff comes up in the end, and I'm just—I basically would say everything from the you know the aviary breaking to the end here. It's so much fun, whether it makes sense or not. And this is kind of like the dream fight. I mean, it's you know we got the Spinosaurus and T Rex in Jurassic Park three, which was amazing. But this like takes it to a completely different level because we get the raptors all over the Indominus, and we get the T Rex fighting an Indominus, and then we get. All of them fighting together, and then that final moment with the Mosasaurus, I don't know, like in your theater, but that was just like the moment where everybody just sort of screamed and then applauded. When this <laughs> whole thing ends with, you think that, oh, you know, it's going to be T-Rex versus Indominus, and the Raptors are going to come in and save the day, and then the Mosasaurus just comes in and swallows it whole. Like, perfect ending. Uh I don't think you could have done this any better. And that's what everybody still talks about. Like I, I you know, every time my nephews are talking about they're, they're always talking about the Mosasaurus, which is such a small part in this movie, but it's because of this moment here. Uh, I guess just quickly grouping in the last scenes here, we get the final evacuation, which by the way, is clearly the next morning because nobody's changed their clothes or even washed their face yet. So how the parents of gray and Zach got here overnight when this, probably only ended like nobody's even made a phone call to them this is well over it's probably well past midnight within six hours they've landed in costa rica and gotten in here which is probably a quarantine zone as well <laughs> uh we can get this really bad again some really great dialogue in this movie and this really bad dialogue unfortunately they have to end it on the bad dialogue was what do you want to or what do we do now probably stick together for survival and that's it they walk off into the the hangar sunset but at least we get the final shot of the T-Rex again and that great theme playing. Uh, but, I don't know, terrible final line. But this I can't say anything bad about this final fight. Like, every shot of this is amazing. Yeah, the whole the whole bit, last bit's great. And the, I, I was going to say it, I absolutely despise the we need more teeth line. It's just dumb. Yeah. Like, it just makes it no dumb. sense. Like, and why does this little kid, like think this and it's you know if it was a running thing throughout the movie that every time he saw a dinosaur oh a patasaurus 48 teeth and blah 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 but like, out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. he's just like he's just like blah, 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 blah. we need more teeth it's like what <laughs> like it's just such a dumb attempt at like a one-liner which just just comes across flat and it's just no it just i hate it um but yeah i i do the there's the little things as well here like the dilophosaurus hologram I like the fact that it appears, but at the same time, and I think we've talked about this so many times, like, we want these dinosaur back. Um, mm-hmm. we want, we want to see, it. I just, it just baffles me that they have never brought the Dilophosaurus back. So hopefully Fallen Kingdom can be one that they do bring it back because, you know, like, you can understand if they never bring the Spinosaurus back. You can understand if they never bring the Indominus Rex back. But, you know, you, there's not really been a logical excuse why the Dilophosaurus has never been brought back. Because, you know, that's a cool, memorable dinosaur with a cool little, you know, um, you know, stick about it. But, um, 
Yeah, the the scene with uh, Claire, that, that, that's my only complaint with it again, is the high heels running away. Like, that to me is dumb. Like, she can do that. But I absolutely love that shot when she opens the door and you just, yeah. it's dark and you kind of see it. Like, I, that just, that scene is awesome. I do like um with Lowry as well. When, like, she's like, just for once in your life, would you do something with, you know, without being asked, well, oh, man, why'd you have to make it personal? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's such a cool way to end it with a fight. Like, and just that one scene where you see the raptor jump on the T-Rex and jump on the Indominus Rex. Like, it's just, you know, teamwork by them. It, it certainly works out. But yeah, the Mosasaurus, like, I, no, I was not expecting that. I don't think everyone in our theatre cheered, but like, you know, out of nowhere does that come, and you're like, holy crap. Um, which uh, does beg the question, though, if this Mosasaurus can just jump out like that, can it not just jump over its pen? I mean, I know, I think in Fallen Kingdom, there is a plot line about this Mosasaurus escaping, so, you know, we yeah. might see just exactly that in a couple of weeks' time. But, uh, I do also like the fact that the T-Rex and the Raptor just give each other, like, a gentle nod, like, good working with you, Steve. You're welcome, Betty. And then they just, like, walk <laughs> off. Like, what do they do after that? Like, do we believe they live in peace and harmony, like, for the rest of yeah. their lives? Um, so, you know, there is that. Um, yeah, the, I don't like the hangar scene at the end. It's just, ugh, <sighs> like, and where's the media? Like, again, where is the media here? Um, just, you know, no one's caring about this. Um, and yeah, that line at the end, just like, no, but, uh, yeah, the T-Rex on the helipad at the end is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like, what, I've reclaimed the park, I guess, but yeah, like, this is meant to be the T-Rex from, uh, the, the first film, and I think, isn't there a scar yeah. on it that is meant to be the scar from where the raptors attacked it? Um, mm. I think there's, like, I, on its I, neck or something. I only notice all the scars in the last scene, and it's hard to tell what's new and what's old. Yeah, but I'm pr- I'm pretty sure like it was like one of the creators or something said something that like yeah like one of the scars obviously is where the Indominus Rex has tried to eat it, but then there is also a scar on it from the raptor attack. As much as I do love the scene though, like again we mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, some of the special effects do look very you know special effecty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I know that's what they are, but I don't know. Like the T Rex Spinosaurus fight does look more realistic to me. I don't know if you think that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and again, we mentioned last week that one of the reasons for that is because they decided they, they didn't want to just have two CGI dinosaurs fighting each other. So they would have the Spinosaurus be, uh, you know, uh, animatronic actually attacking a CG character so that you kind of had that mix of both in there. Mm. We don't really get that in this one. This movie really does. I, I found very few shots where you could tell that was animatronic. Yeah, I, I think. They use, I think they've just come on record and said there's like such a small percentage they use. So they have gone and said that in Fallen Kingdom, we're going back to using a lot of animatronics. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that because, you know, again, that is one criticism for them. We said at the very beginning of this episode, it's just somehow a lot of these dinosaurs just look a lot faker than the first movie. And that should not be a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like really should not be a thing. Oh, that's all you got. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's end on the negative. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> um, so I guess the movie, well, should we talk about the reviews or the, let's talk about the reviews first here. Uh, so I guess this movie, it, it kind of got that label like you were talking about um, your initial opinion of it when it first came out as being hey, it's the best of the Jurassic Park sequels. And 
we're still pretty close to when it was released, so I don't know if it'll always hold up that way. But in comparison, I mean, it's got 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, so decent rating, not like incredible, definitely better than the, the last two sequels or a two and three. Uh, but I don't know. Personally, my opinion is going to be slightly different than that. But when, when you look up reviews, you don't really find any like glowing reviews. Mm. Most of them are kind of along the lines of what we're saying. Like uh, uh, one here, Jurassic World may not meet the expectations set by Steven Spielberg's original, but does surpass the underwhelming sequels. So again, it's saying it's not great, but it's better than the others. Uh, motorcycle Chris Pratt sprinting dinosaurs. If you require more than that out of a movie, you're being unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like what we say about, you know, you're just going to see a Jurassic Park movie, uh, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Uh, I already mentioned the review about uh, Zara's death being, you know, a little bit overly cruel. Uh, here's one. Uh, it's an ugly, oversaturated movie that lacks the depth sense of wonderment, wit, and suspense that guided the original. Uh, the same review also praised the score and Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's performances. So that, that kind of was the general consensus. There was a lot of praise for Chris Pratt, a lot of praise for Bryce Dallas Howard, a lot of praise for the music. I feel like Colin Trevorrow is one of these directors that he went from such a high of directing a movie like this. But I don't know if because he was kind of outspoken, but his career really didn't go well after this. He's the only one I really want to talk about the success after this because I don't think Bryce Dallas Howard had a career resurgence because of Jurassic Park. Chris Pratt, it didn't really matter. Colin Trevorrow comes off of this and he basically has the choice, you know, he's going to do Jurassic Park 2. He eventually says, oh, I'm not going to do it, uh, but I'm going to write it and I'm going to produce it. You find out later on the reason is because he's been hired to do Star Wars Episode 9. So he's the guy attached for the final chapter of Star Wars for the longest time. And then earlier this year, he's fired from that, uh, which coincidentally came right after his follow-up to Jurassic World, The Book of Henry, came out and got terrible reviews and flopped at the box office. So I, I, I kind of feel bad for this guy's career from such a high. He could have had the Jurassic Park sequel, but he put it on hold for this dream job to do Star Wars, and then that never happened. He's already said that he will do Jurassic World 3 whenever it comes out. Uh, but uh, yeah, sad story for him. Uh, box office-wise, just like all the others, I don't think there was a lot of expectations that this would have been the biggest movie of the year or anything. Uh, it was coming out after Avengers Age of Ultron, and there certainly was never going to be any expectations that it was going to surpass that. Not only did it surpass it, it completely blew it away. Even the opening weekend. Now, up until this point, I think the only movie that had ever done $200 million for an opening weekend was the first Avengers, which did something like $204 million. This goes on to surpass that. Biggest opening weekend of all time, $208 million dollars. Uh, came out the same weekend uh, or knocked the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy <laughs> and Jason Statham from number one, which isn't a terrible movie. Uh, San Andreas in his third week was at number three. Uh, Insidious Chapter 3, Pitch Perfect 2, Entourage the movie, Mad Max Fury Road, Age of Ultron, uh, Tomorrowland, and Love and Mercy. Who knows what that is? But that was the top ten the week this came out. Week after week, it just continued to break records. It made $106 million in its second weekend. Uh, it's third weekend, it was still number one, $54 million. So putting that in perspective, the third weekend of Jurassic World was still outgrossing the opening weekend of Jurassic Park 1. And obviously there's inflation and everything, but like this movie was just enormous when it came out. And it goes on to be the second highest grossing movie of the year, $652 million domestically, uh, and something like $1.9 billion worldwide. And the only movie that beats it, of course, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So Star Wars had to come in, steal the thunder, 
and then go on to ruin Colin Trevorrow's career. Just I, one thing before I talk about that, one thing that I just forgot to mention in that last section was um, just when the T-Rex has come out, it smashes through the Spinosaurus skeleton, and a lot of people oh, yeah. have kind of, you know, commented that that's kind of just their, you know, apology to all the fans who went off so oh. much that Spinosaurus beat the T-Rex, because fans get so shitty about that, so they're like, hey, this is a revenge, <laughs> the T-Rex went through a skeleton of the Spinosaurus. I think it's a like a cute little thing in the way that there is a reference to Jurassic Park 3. They haven't completely forgotten it, but mm-hmm. um, it's like a real like little blink and you miss it moment. Um, yeah, I remember when this came out, like just remembering all the news around it, you know what? Yeah, had the biggest opening weekend of all time and everything along those lines and just being completely shocked because, I mean, you know, I kind of the thing I said at the beginning is kind of you hear this sequel, you're kind of like, oh, I'm excited, but at the same time you're just like, oh, they're probably going to ruin it more. Um, and just did not expect it to do as big as it really did. So mm-hmm. it's crazy to think just how big it did. And as you said, like only Star Wars beat it, uh, you know, in any other year. Like the fact that this, what, outgrossed Age of Ultron by essentially $200 million. Uh, yeah. and you know, at the time, how big are the Marvel movies? So, um, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to think how well this movie did. And this is a year in 2015, I'm looking here where the top 10 films, all made over two hundred million dollars. So like that is a mm. that is a big year. Um but yeah, it's just it just it still baffles me that this mo- movie did as well as it did, which I think is kind of you know, and we'll talk about this in the Fallen Kingdom preview and is that maybe it's gonna have that high expectations again. It's kinda like at the moment how they're talking about solo is a box office bomb. I'm looking here it's made hundred and forty million dollars. Like, yeah. okay, Star Wars <laughs> standards, probably a bit of a bomb, but hundred and forty million dollars is still a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's still a pretty decent take, but I feel that Jurassic World 2 is going to get the same thing as maybe a solo, like, oh, it only made $300 million, it's a box office bomb. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what, Jurassic World 3, Jurassic Park 3 only made, what, about $180 million or something, wasn't it? You know, and yeah. we talked about how that was considered, uh, you know, a fairly big success, and obviously we live in a different age, 2001, where generally these types of movies should be making $200 million, but... Um, it's just, it's just going to be fascinating to see how it does because, yeah, this really, uh, I mean, even I think the fact that The Force Awakens obviously went on to be the highest grossing domestic movie of all time for North America, uh, which, you know, maybe went on beyond expectations. But I mean, I don't think anyone, if you looked at the movies that were coming out this year, they would have assumed Star Wars would have been number one, probably Avengers number two, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, Jurassic World would have been in the top three or at least top five. But yeah. $652 million. Absolutely ridiculous amount that that made. That, that is just beyond well expectations that anybody even thought it would make. We've kind of gone through all of our opinions here on you know, the good things and bad things about this movie. And it's interesting because I wasn't even 100% sure what I was going to do this, this movie up until probably talk about that last scene there. Um, and I'm not really sure what you're going to do either because you set up from the beginning that you originally thought this was the best sequel, but then you just... You sort of you you mentioned how you have this bipolar relationship with Jurassic Park three. I think you're bipolar on all Jurassic Park movies because <laughs> your opinion. One. I think except for the first because no nobody can say anything bad about that one. But it's just all over the place. But I, I remember when this first came out, maybe not thinking immediately it was the best sequel, but probably being a little bit higher on it than I am now. Uh, what I finally do with this movie, I mean, I was assuming going into this, especially knowing that I did rent the Lost World and. I think, despite the fact the Lost World completely falls apart with the San Diego stuff, not just, it's not the idea of the San Diego stuff, it's just, it, the whole thing is just sloppy. 
Uh, and there's a lot of other problems like Ludlow and everything else like that. I always thought that I the good stuff about The Lost World I preferred over this. And I'd still say that. I still say I prefer the best parts of The Lost World over the best parts of this movie. But I think start to finish, this one's more entertaining. And it, it kind of, I think, gets put in the same category as Jurassic Park 3. You know, whereas The Lost World was a movie trying to get taken seriously that was actually just kind of dumb. Uh it could have been fun if they had done it with the right treatment, but instead they tried to make it something serious. I thought Jurassic Park 3 didn't intend to be anything serious. Therefore, you can forgive the dumb things because it succeeded with what it wanted to do, which was just be a fun movie. I kind of see Jurassic World like the hybrid between those two movies. And it probably leans a little bit more towards Jurassic Park 3 just being you know, a fun entertainment blockbuster. And maybe I'm more forgiving for it for that. I definitely don't like, you know, many sequences of this movie at the levels of some of the best stuff in Lost World, but I would rank this above Lost World, and Lost World is probably going to be the only one that I would recommend being a rent, because I think as many problems I have with this movie, I still can't help but tell people you should buy this, because it's a blast, and it feels like something special, and it feels like a movie that's big and unique, a movie that they kind of go out of their way to make a point of saying there's nothing big and unique anymore, it sort of succeeded with these little moments that uh, that made this feel like larger than life movie, like like Jurassic Park was in nineteen ninety three. One of the reasons why I went back to see this a second time, despite not really seeing movies more than once around that time period. So, so, so you've bought it. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, everything you said that I said is true, and it's kind of, but it does go down on rewatches. But again, it's not like it significantly drops off the cliff. It's not like you're watching. Oh, this is terrible. I never want to watch it again. It definitely has its moments that you can criticize and everything that we have done in this um, episode. And I, I definitely still like watching this movie. You know, it's still an enjoyable film. And I think that it, you know, while it does rely so heavily on nostalgia that kind of takes over certain elements of the film, there are parts of that that work so much that as a fan of Jurassic Park, you're going to like. So, um, I mean, I don't know if we're ranking these for now. We're going to do that in our preview episode next week. But We should um, do it I now. Mean, we can do it now. I mean, this is going to be the tricky one for me with this and Jurassic Park 3. But, I mean, if I bought Jurassic Park 3, I'm going to have to buy this one. So, uh, you know, they're both on the low end low end of buys for me. But, you know, I... It's it's going to... You know, like, you're you're the man with Star Wars when it gets to that, how critical you're going to be with those. And at the end of the day, I was like, oh, well, it's still a Star Wars who I'm going to buy it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Which is always going to be the case of these films. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still enjoyable. So... I mean, I've bought all four of them, which I don't know if that's a massive surprise or not. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I can still be critical of them, but still also enjoy them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what would you do for your rankings of this? I mean, obviously, one is number oh, one. Oh, one's number one, with hands down. I mean, that's my favorite <laughs> movie of all time, so that's not going to be touched. I, I honestly, you know, I would have Jurassic Park 1, Lost World 2, um... And I really don't know what I would... I mean, I would almost put these in order of their release, but at the same time, I probably would get more enjoyment out of Jurassic World just over Jurassic Park 3, even though, again, I'm bipolar on it. I'd probably go 1, 2, 4, 3. That's probably my order. I'd go 1, 3, 4, 2. Mm. Uh, and, and again, I just have a real soft spot for Part 3, uh, you know, despite all the issues with it. And, you know, two is just, I don't know, I, I might have had an easier time with two if we didn't have to sit down and analyze all the problems with it. 
but we at the at the same time, in all fairness, we did the same thing with this and the same thing with three. And I think the the real difference maker is was two trying to take itself too seriously, and these movies not doing it's it that launch. much. Well, I, I liked it at certain parts. I don't think it helped the second half of the movie when it just completely went in the other direction. But it's going to be interesting when we get to Fallen Kingdom, which you know, really this Jurassic World month is more like a six-week thing because we're going to include a preview and then a review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom when it comes out. But uh, the preview next week, I mean, we don't really have much to talk about other than just that we're going to talk about it more next week. Uh, <laughs> but you just want to briefly sum up where your feelings are now on fallen kingdom now that we've we've had all the trailers which we'll go into more detail on in a week well it's jurassic june colin as they're calling it so (laughs) um it's it's exciting Uh, i mean i'm always going to be excited about it and even if we were doing this month or not i mean i remember at this point knowing that jurassic world was a few weeks away i started to get really excited for it so um yeah i mean i've talked to a lot of people about a lot of people kind of always have that same opinion like oh i saw the trailer for it i thought it looked rubbish like uh, you know we did that episode on the first trailer and we quite liked it whereas Mm -hmm. the most majority of people seem to really dislike that first trailer which i don't see why i think that a lot of the trailers have been released have made it look you know there's some interesting things about it i've Mm -hmm. read a few things online Uh, i i know it's it's already out in like France and Europe and all these sort of places, and a lot of the first reactions to it were uh, quite good. Uh, I, I that channel that I've talked about a lot, um, the guy he saw he went to like that. They had a Universal Studios 25th anniversary celebration of the first movie, and they did a screening of the first movie, and then they surprised people just before they showed the first movie. They showed people the first seven minutes of Fallen Kingdom. Um, and he kind of did a spoiler-free review on it, saying that, like, it's it starts off differently to what you've ever expected in a movie. And um, he said that there's a, an appearance of a dinosaur that you're not expecting. And, you know, I've got hopes mm-hmm. for certain dinosaurs and that. So there's, there's lots of things in it that kind of are getting you excited about it. But at the same time, I'm also a little bit scared the fact that, you know, it could just be a Last Jedi. You know, I mean, everything yeah. in the lead-up to Last Jedi looked really good. <laughs> and then we got The Last Jedi. So, um yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I mean, I think the most excited bit I am, of course, is for uh, Jeff Goldblum in it. I know he's literally in it for, like, I think, like, two minutes. I don't even know how long. He's apparently not in it for very long at all. But, yeah, that's the bit that I'm super excited for. But I'm just, yeah, it's a Jurassic Park movie. I'm going to be excited for it no matter what. And I just hope that we can um, get it good because it's, it's meant to be darker. It's meant to be scarier. And that's a, a lot of what I liked about The Lost World, the attempt for it to making it darker. So... Uh, and also the, um, the, I guess, continuation of, you know, the real genetic side of Jurassic Park, which, you know, carts back to the first two movies, which we haven't really had a lot of. I mean, I guess technically Jurassic World did, but yeah, I'm going to be excited. And James Cromwell's in it. You know, we always like Farmer Hoggett. So bring on Farmer Hoggett. Jack Bauer's dad. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, it's weird because I mentioned on the Jurassic Park 3 episode that I don't really remember much or even caring that much leading into the movie about what it was and i mentioned in the beginning of this episode that a jurassic park movie's coming out you don't care it's just a jurassic park movie's coming out it doesn't matter what the story is i find that i'm probably paying more attention to what the story is going to be for this movie just because i don't know if they've reached this point where we've had four movies that are essentially the same movie four times in a row that maybe i'm wanting a little bit more this time or if it's the opposite where I don't want anything more, and I feel like this movie might be trying a little too much. So I'm I'm finding myself paying more attention to, not spoilers or anything like that, but trying to figure out, well, what is this movie going to be about? 
and I am sort of halfway in between kind of scared and intrigued. I don't think the trailers, I think the trailers look great for this. Um, I'm most intrigued by the fact that it's kind of going the opposite for most Jurassic Park movies from what we understand, where, you know, your first half is really just the buildup of what's going on on the island. Then you have the big disaster after that. And apparently everything we saw in that first teaser trailer with the, the volcano and the eruption on this island is all the first half of the movie. So I'm not even 100% sure what we're going to get with the second half. I've sort of heard a little bits and pieces here and there. But I'm, I guess in a way more, ex- if, if I'm going to use the word excited as in like more anticipating this than I am a typical Jurassic Park movie. Because most of the time it's just, it's Jurassic Park. I can't wait to see it because it's Jurassic Park. Now it's, it's Jurassic Park. I can't wait to see it because I'm curious where this movie is going to go. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing too, like... And we'll talk about it more in the preview is that definitely what you're saying about how so much of this has kind of been teased and given away about kind of how it begins and then what it leads into. It's kind of what happens after this auction that really no one has a clue about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I think, you know, people criticize movie trailers nowadays for essentially giving away the whole plot of a film, you know, in an entire trailer. And I think that this is sort of given away maybe the first half hour of the movie or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and which is kind of going to make the, the last half like really interesting. And I, I mean, again, I'll mention this next week and I thoroughly recommend people going to the dinosaur protection unit website and just reading a lot about kind of what this is leading into with things like government, you know, rules and Congress and things like that. I mean, it sounds all boring and oh no, not the prequels and politics. But, um, you know, it, it's still kind of, I like that sort of real world nature of like, I do too, this yeah. thing happened. You would literally have this. We talked about this in the DC movies, didn't we? About, mm-hmm. you know, what would the implications be if these things happen in real life? So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's intriguing and, you know, ultimately what we're going to get a little bit more of that in part five. So, yeah. And, uh, Mr. Boyega, that's how you say his name, isn't it? I've, uh, recently acquired the movie The Impossible, which I've never actually seen and oh. really want to watch it just because I went to a place where there was a tsunami and, <laughs> uh, in Thailand. So I'm more interested in watching that than the beach, even though I went to the part where they filmed the beach. So yeah, maybe I'll do Boy- John Boyega month in the lead up in my own personal. <laughs> John, hit. John Boyega or <laughs> Jay Bayona? I, well, whatever his name is. John, J.R., <laughs> Frank. <laughs> which, just one final note, which we could probably talk about this a little more on the next one. Uh, I didn't even realize this until just doing research for this episode, but the director of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Jay Bayona, not Boyega, <laughs> Bayona, he was the choice to do Jurassic World, and he didn't want to do it, and Colin Trevor was sort of like, this guy's like, well, we can get this guy for cheap. He hasn't done much, but they originally wanted Bayona to do the first Jurassic World. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how different the movie is. But that'll be a week from now, the preview for Jurassic World, because we're now two weeks away from the release of the movie. And, of course, we're going to have uh, a review after that. I don't know if we'll do a spo- if, if it's one that demands a spoiler review, we'll do a spoiler one. Uh, if not, it'll just be a regular review. But we are officially one month into Jurassic World Month. We are here to begin your second month of Jurassic World Month (laughs) as Jurassic June rolls on. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, Billy's YouTube channel, all those things. (laughs) Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, continue to listen to all of our other great episodes that we have out there, uh, and uh, be back next week for Fallen Kingdom Preview. My name is Colin, and... I know a lot of people were offended, but this podcast was legit, you know? And my name is Ben, and enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.